Hello, and welcome to the Commander Theory Podcast. I'm Nick Beatman, and I'm here with my friend, Zach Mack. Hello, theorists. On this episode, we also have a very special guest, Alex Whiteclay, friend of the show and frequent collaborator. Welcome back, Alex. Hello, and thanks for having me back. Yeah, it's it's awesome to have you here, especially on this this new set that just came came out uh, today. We're going to be talking all about Innistrad Midnight Hunt. Uh, it's going to be a very long episode. We're going to try to uh, keep up a pretty good pace as we go through it. Uh, we're actually going to be offloading our predictions into a separate bonus episode that's going to be released next week. So keep an eye out for that if you're curious to see uh, how our predictions from Modern Horizons two and AFR turned out in terms of the most adopted cards in Commander from those two sets. And of course, we'll also have our predictions of what in Innistrad Midnight Hunt is going to be the most played in Commander. So if you're curious about what kind of singles you should pick up, maybe uh, check out that episode once we release it. But in terms of the structure of this episode, we're going to quickly go over the mechanics in this set. There's a lot of mechanics, some new, some old. And we're going to be talking about sort of like how they fit into Commander. Uh, it, It wouldn't be surprising if a lot of these mechanics from this set showed up in the Midnight Hunt precons, which we're going to be talking about next week as well. Uh, and there's a pretty good chance that some of them will show up in Crimson Vow, which is coming out later this year. Um, so after we go through the mechanics, then we'll start on the commanders, then the planeswalkers, and then finally the the rest of the cards, all the non-legendary cards in the set. So with that, uh, let's jump right into the mechanics. Uh, we're going to read these out and then talk a bit about where they fit into the format. So we're we're gonna start with day and night. Do anyone wanna uh, tell us what day and night does exactly? So day and night is a mechanic that appears on uh, a number of cards, uh, werewolves as well as other cards. Essentially, once a card that cares about day and night enters the battlefield, day and night becomes something that you track from then on, and it starts off as day. What that means is that if a player uh, casts no spells during their own turn, it becomes night on the next turn. And then when it's night, everything that is daybound transforms to its nighttime side. Uh, certain effects might trigger as well. And if anything has daybound or nightbound, it enters the battlefield on its nightbound side, um, so the back side. And then when it's nighttime, if a player casts at least two spells during their own turn, then it becomes day on the next turn. And then once again, the daybound and nightbound creatures uh, enter on their daybound, the front side. Uh, and if anything triggers, then that happens as well. So how do you guys feel about this mechanic in Commander? I mean, it's, it's clearly uh, kind of offloading the werewolf mechanic from the previous Innistrad sets into its its own thing that is tracked off of the cards. But, but I mean, there's there's definitely this upgrade in terms of your, your opponents can't like cast an instant on your turn and kind of made it make it so that you wasted your turn trying to flip all your cards. So that's seems like a nice upgrade. But what do you think about this mechanic in general? I actually enjoy this. This is a mechanic that they tried in the original Innistrad. And at the time, uh, <laughs> design was like a lot um, more hesitant to do things like this, a lot more hesitant to have 
outside the game tracking pieces, perhaps like a dungeon or something like that, where there's uh, a lot of little bits and it's a little bit complex. And honestly, compared to Venture, like Night and Day is incredibly less complex. It's basically the old uh, werewolf trigger with like a little bit of a twist. So I think even like old players will be able to get it pretty quickly. And that being said, like I, I feel like it is going to be kind of a pain in the butt to track it sometimes but at the same time the design space that it gives you and like when we're going to be talking about these cards uh is really cool so i actually do like day and night uh especially like after seeing some of the cards i think it's going to happen more often you can kind of finagle it to happen more often than not if you really need something but it's also pretty much opt-in i think it's where the venture cards were pretty underpowered for this whole big thing that you had to track, I think that you might actually want to run one or two day and night cards in your deck just because it lets them beef the power up a little bit more. And and like you said, it kind of offloads a lot of the tracking on the werewolves to this token that's just on the battlefield. And just to add to, I guess, what you said kind of at the start, Nick, um, I think this is the kind of thing that we are going to see a lot more uh, activity, a lot more transformation uh, when compared to the original werewolves of the uh, first two Innistrad visits. Um, mm. Because each player is sort of responsible for their own turn, uh, which means that early on, if there's a player who's faltering, um, maybe you know not drawing into the lands that they need to cast the spells that they're trying to curve into, or uh, if in the late game someone is in top deck mode uh, and feels a land, you might expect it to turn to night, whereas with some of the older werewolves, another player might step in and play an instant specifically to prevent that transformation. If you are in the kind of play group where that happens and it gets to night with some regularity, I think the transformation from night to day is going to be pretty common um, since casting two spells each turn is a reasonably uh, common Thing to see at a commander table. Um, so all said, in terms of the triggers that, you know, whenever day becomes night or night becomes day, uh, you can expect those to trigger with decent regularity, I would imagine. I'll, um, I'll second what Zach said, though, about a little bit of a, a challenge tracking it. Because um, I think, whereas like with Venture, yeah, you have to track this outside the game component, but unless you're actively venturing, like, the 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 dungeon just kind of stays static like you're you remain in whatever room and it doesn't really require any additional thought on your part but with day and night like you play a werewolf you know the day and night uh transformation is introduced uh someone kills your werewolf and then it's still something you have to 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 go through the motions of like wait how many spells did you cast okay it's day again um just kind of like on everyone's turn on the off chance that somebody draws another daybound or nightbound card. So that that does seem like a little bit of a chore. But hopefully I I, I think that most of the the daybound and nightbound cards, the, the non-werewolf ones at least, don't seem super pointed at commander play. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm hoping that for the most part day and night is going to matter a lot in the werewolf deck. So it'll be easy for that player to track and then it's it's unlikely that you're going to be in a scenario where you're you're playing like just a handful of day or night cards and it 
mattering throughout the game like happens kind of sporadically. Yeah, and I think if someone is inclined to play, you know, one or two uh, day and night cards, you know, just kind of go into that knowing that it's probably in everyone's best interest if you are the one prepared to keep track of that throughout the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. It's it's definitely, I think, on the onus falls on the person who is bringing the day-night card. For sure. Uh, all right, I think with that, we can move on to the next mechanic. Um, this is Disturb. So I'll, I'll, essentially, uh, Disturb is a mechanic on creatures. And while it's in your graveyard, you can cast it from your graveyard for its Disturb cost, casting it transformed. So it enters the battlefield on its B side. And then pretty much all of these uh, Disturbed cards are, I think for the most part, they're all spirits and they all have the line of text, uh, you know, if this this B side, if this Disturbed side would be put into a graveyard from anywhere, exile it instead. so it's kind of like your it's kind of like aftermath on your creatures in that you're you're not getting the same creature but you're casting it from your graveyard and then it tends to get exiled although there are ways around that. Um how do you all feel about this mechanic and do you think it has potential in commander? So looking at kind of the cards that we have um I'm not sure that too many of them will make a splash in commander. Um But like you said, it is sort of like Aftermath. There's a lot of flexibility on what they could put on the backside relative to what's on the front. Um, If this makes a return in Crimson Vow, maybe we'll see, you know, a big player uh, there. And as we go through the set, um, maybe we'll talk about specific cards that are appealing to uh, particular decks. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's pretty much how I feel about it is like, I think the mechanic is really cool in the same way that like all of the flashback variants are pretty cool. (laughs) You know, like it's really just like what they put on each face, how much they cost it. And this mechanic is a little bit dangerous because they didn't want to just be able to mill your whole deck and then have some busted thing that wins. So they uh, didn't cost too many of them for Commander, but as a mechanic, I think it's it's good and fine, and I like it. Yeah, I think that getting additional value out of your graveyard is nice. Um, I'll kind of agree that, for the most part, it didn't seem like they really pushed this mechanic for Constructed. There's maybe one card that could, one Disturbed card that I think could make it into, you know, multiple mm-hmm. decks in the format but that's kind of because a lot of its power is concentrated on its front half and the disturb is just a little bit of a bonus but i i think we can maybe move on to the next mechanic if nobody else has any more thoughts on disturb no yeah let's move on None for okay me. uh so the next mechanic we're going to be talking about is decayed and this is uh essentially a a keyword ability that goes on um that goes on creatures and tokens and it means that the creature cannot block, and when it attacks, you sacrifice it at end of combat. And how this is used in the set is mostly to... Um, sometimes it's used as a marker to prevent like uh, recurring gameplay loops, uh, and sometimes it's used as just a way to make it so that you can generate a lot of tokens for relatively cheap. Um, but how do, you, how do you think it... Uh, interacts with commander do you think it's a good mechanic for the format you know like you said it 
allows for the creation of tokens on the cheap. Um, as we know, uh, aristocrats is a pretty popular archetype, um, so it might contribute uh, over there since aristocrats decks are always looking for uh, cheap disposable bodies. And in particular, with decayed creatures, you don't even feel that bad uh, since they can't block and they only last one combat anyway, so sacrificing them is really one of their uh, best outcomes. Um, there is also a couple of cards uh, in this and older sets um, that care about you know, tapping uh, zombies, and since most decayed tokens are 2-2 black zombies, um, you can get a little creative by using your decayed tokens uh, to repeatedly activate abilities like that. Um, all said, I, you know, I think it's a decent way, like you said, to um, to mark permanence um, in such a way that the game can kind of keep track of a feature about them. Uh, and, you know, I, I think it'll, at the right mana value, uh, be pleasing enough to play with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that as a marker, it's that's that's pretty appealing. And also, if you have um, a deck that can make use of them outside of being creatures, because it feels like they they're really just creatures in name only. They're not particularly good at attacking or, or blocking. But maybe you've got a deck, for example, that has like an Earthcraft or a Cryptolithrites or, or an opposition or just some other way to to get value off your creatures on it. Like, as you mentioned, Alex, I think that's a fantastic way to make use of these decayed tokens. All right. Uh, I think we can move on to the uh, next mechanic. This is Coven. Uh, so Coven is an ability word, and it basically is uh, tends to be a trigger or a static effect that is active when you have three or more creatures with different powers. I think that's like a cute little flavor thing going on like you know maiden mother crone type of thing but how, how what's the power level been in this set how difficult is it to get this uh, active in general and and what do you think about coven i think the mechanic like the mechanic itself having three different powers of creatures to track is fine there's a lot of things in magic and there's a lot of designs that can be made. I think it's a totally okay and cool thing to track and a totally okay and cool thing to reward. Um, the problem that we're going to see with Coven is just like what the reward is because it's not trivial to have three creatures stick around on the battlefield and also like attack with them and also your opponent not blow them up or mess with them somehow or like maybe you want to block or... It is a little bit of a chore to put three different powers of creatures on the battlefield. So the reward is really the question here. Like, okay, cool. Yeah, I can can I get three creatures with different power? What do I get for it? And I think that's kind of the where I run into the problems with Coven. Um, which not to spoil anything, we will get more into individual cards, but it it's really like a fine thing to track, I think. Yeah, I agree that with kind of both of those main points. And I'll, I'm about to, you know, dig into Coven a little bit here. So I'll start by saying that I really enjoy the flavor of the mechanic. Like you said, mm -hmm. it's very yeah. reminiscent of the, you know, the the three witches, um, each contributing their own powers uh, to the group. But it's a kind of a big ask in Commander, you know, aside from certain commanders that jump the hoop pretty easily, uh, where they, you know, make a token when they enter. Uh, 
uh, like Girid, or if they just naturally incentivize creatures with a different power. So like Mile the Anima, you know, in, in most decks, your, your best bet to get a lot of creatures is to make tokens. But if you're making tokens, they're probably going to have the same power as each other. So, mm-hmm. you know, the typical trick of if a card is asking you to run a lot of creatures, just make tokens, it doesn't really work with Coven. Um, and so, you know, because you're going to kind of have to count on using probably three cards to set up a Coven, it the reward has to be, in, in my view, you know, pretty, pretty big uh, to go through all that trouble. Um, and like, like Zach said, we'll see uh, if there are any cards that uh, are a worthwhile hoop. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with everything you both said. Um, it definitely is it's a challenge. Um, you, you are putting yourself at risk of getting blown at by mass removal. Um, so the reward does have to be pretty good to to make you commit to the board in like a non-token deck. So let's let's move on to we've got two more mechanics. Both of these are returning mechanics, so we'll hopefully get through them pretty quickly. But investigate is back in this set, uh, and investigate is often just like a rider on on spells or creatures that says uh, basically create a clue artifact token with two sacrifices artifact draw a card. So how do you feel about investigate returning? Um, and is it something that you think generally works well in Commander? You know, I like seeing uh, Investigate back. I don't use it a ton, truth be told, in my decks. But, you know, creating um, artifact tokens has kind of proved itself to be a pretty useful thing uh, over, you know, the last couple of years of releases. Uh, and we're not going to look, look a gift horse in the mouth when it comes to drawing some cards, even if it is a little mana inefficient. Yeah, that, that's the thing about Investigate that sticks out to me is it feels a little bit like a rich get richer type of mechanic um, in that you kind of have to be in a, in a color identity that's really good at generating mana. Like if you're in, say, like a mono white deck, typically you're you're pretty pinched on mana, so it's not the best solution to the white's lack of card advantage. But if you're in green, say, and like it's really easy to generate mana, then then investigate becomes a lot more attractive because you're really kind of racing to refill your hand um, once you have your your ramp engines going uh zach how do you feel about investigate um i like it i think that pretty much any time they can give me artifact tokens on on a card i'm happy with it (laughs) (laughs) i'm i'm a huge fan of these kind of mechanics and investigate and treasures and all that kind of stuff, even food. So I was excited to see Investigate return. I guess the most disappointing thing for me about it is just like how few cards had it um, in this set. I think there, well, there's five. Yeah. So yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. So it's it's wasn't super pushed. Um, it's not specifically a commander mechanic. Um, and a big reason is that I'm pretty sure they haven't printed an Investigate card. No, they did in the the last uh, commander set, the Forgotten Realms one, right? There is the Investigate Venture enchantment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, we did which, get a, mm-hmm. a little smattering of Investigate in uh, Modern Horizons too. 
Yeah, yeah, with the the token sub theme. So, um, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm into the mechanic, and I'm excited to see uh, what cards we got that have it. So, do you want to start getting into the the uh, commanders that are that are in the set now? Sure, I'll, I'll just say that flashback is back too. You know, it's been oh yeah around for years, <laughs> uh, and we know that certainly sort of how that plays out. It doesn't it's not really like something you you need to work to put in your commander deck, but uh, you know. It, it certainly works well with self-mill strategies or or things like that. It's a pretty generic rider to just get you extra value. But yes, I, I'm happy to jump into the commanders. And I'll, I'll start by reading off this first one. Uh, as always, we're going to go in color order. So th- this first commander we're going to be talking about is Adeline Resplendent Cathar. It is one white-white for a star for legendary creature Human Knight with Vigilance. Her power is equal to the number of creatures you control. And whenever you attack for each opponent, create a 1-1 white human creature token that's tapped and attacking that player or a planeswalker they control. How do you all feel about Adeline? Oh, man. This is... uh, I was saying right before the show started that, like, pretty much up until the night before recording, I was pretty impressed with her, and I thought she was four mana. I thought it was two (laughs) white-white. And then when I realized that it was one white-white for the star four vigilance with all that text i was like oh wow <laughs> mm. really really enjoying this and this shows me that someday white could actually be the token color like they say it is like <laughs> if we keep getting cards of this level of token production so i'm I'm really high on adeline i think this is awesome yeah i can i can see why you thought it was four mana uh, even if all you have is her the first time she swings right assuming that you're in a pot of four you'll get the three humans and it'll be a 4-4. So that would pass the vanilla test. But instead, what we have here is a three mana 4-4. And, you know, if you can keep those tokens alive with like a Dolmen Gate or something like that, this can really spiral out of control uh, since, you know, next turn you can pile all those humans onto one opponent uh, rather than spreading them around. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that it's uh, whenever you attack um rather like typically when we've seen designs like this like for example uh brimaz or um hero of blade hold it's like when the creature attacks that's when you get your attacking tokens but the fact that you can like play a one or a two drop and lead into adeline and then you know drop her and then immediately get the those three attacking humans or however many opponents you have that's really fantastic and i think that really puts her on another level compared to other white token producer creatures that are kind of structured like this. So I, I think she's a fantastic card just to put in your white token decks. Um, you know, as a commander, it's probably the best mono white token commander. Um, it, it certainly gets started super early and floods the board with tokens, but feel free to push back against that if you don't agree. I think she plays nicely with uh, a lot of the, you know, ways to push through a white finish. Um, so your Cathar's Crusade, Elish Norn, things like that, which, you know, if you're looking to make a bunch of tokens and swing out in mono white, uh, this does it at a great rate and she doesn't even make you swing her into bad blocks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, big fan of Adeline, uh, great new white commander in the set. And, uh, well, Maybe we'll talk about this at the end, but uh, I, I feel like this is the set where we're seeing some of the promises for white come to fruition. But 
more mm-hmm. on that later. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, does anyone want to read off this next commander? Sure, I'll take it. So this is, oh, maybe I shouldn't have taken it. Lear, Lyre, L-I-E-R, uh, uh, yeah. Disciple of the Drowned. Mm-hmm. Three blue, blue, legendary creature, human wizard. Spells can't be countered. Each instant and sorcery card in your graveyard has flashback. The flashback cost is equal to that card's mana cost, and it is a 3-4. So to me, uh, because you're cut off from flashing back your counter spells, which is like kind of the best, normally kind of the best thing to do with this type of mechanic, uh, I guess we're kind of just storming off. That seems like the the path of least (laughs) resistance with this design. So, you know, running mana doublers, running free spells, like the, the Urza blocks free spells, extra turn effects, wheels. Uh, it, it seems like getting a, a second bite at any of those abilities is going to make it pretty easy to, to do some powerful things, take some very long turns, uh, and, and potentially get a win. In terms of, of specific tech, uh, the, the main thing that comes to mind is Catalyst Stone, uh, which is from the original, um, see, from Odyssey block, and it reduces the cost of your flashback spells by two. But I, I don't know how, if you're on a budget, that information might be not very useful to you because it's already been bought out as of the time of recording. Um, and it's shot from like a dollar to uh, close to $15. But Yeesh. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but, <laughs> yeah, but you know, if, if money is no object, uh, it only costs two mana, so it's it's a really solid addition to this deck. In some ways, it reminds me of like Kefnet, not in the way that it's going to play, like God Eternal Kefnet. Just in a lot of the cards that you're going to run in it, you're going to run like a lot of the extra turns. You're going to run like draw effects. I think the big difference is the big mana and like the storm out kind of stuff, but I, I can imagine going to shops and seeing some some like Lear mono blue value <laughs> list, mm-hmm. you know, just like, okay, no counter spells. Here we go, everybody. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I uh, am expecting to see this in the 99 of a lot of decks too, just because mm-hmm. it's on plan, like you said, with pretty much every angle of Storm. Yeah. Um, it's kind of a big ask, I guess, to drop a five drop in the middle of Storming Off, but some decks end up with the mana to do it. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, it looks pretty comparable to something like Cast in Flames or Yogmoth's Will. And of course, both of those seem plenty of play in, in those types of archetypes. So, yeah, I, I also agree that I think it's going to see a lot of play in uh, Storm type decks. One thing I, I wanted to mention about Lear is that uh, because it has that spells can't be countered thing, you can actually use unwind and rewind to target your own spells as rituals. So uh, just like an additional way to, to like storm off to get more untapped spells in your deck. Even if your opponents don't uh, have anything on the stack, you can just, uh, although that does present an opportunity for a blowout where an opponent kills your Leer in response. And then the counter spell actually does counter whatever you're targeting. But you get your mana back, I guess. Uh, you can also use like Arcane Denial similarly, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. Uh, 
well, sorry, I'm thinking in the context of like you've got a high tide going or you've got like a extra planar lens or, or something to to make it actually worth your while to cast these free spells. Can I read off this next one? Yeah, go right ahead. So this is a Gisa Glorious Resurrector. So this is a 4-4 human wizard for 4 mana, 2 black black. She has, if a creature an opponent controls would die, exile it instead. And at the beginning of your upkeep, put all creature cards exiled with Gisa onto the battlefield under your control. They gain Decayed. And uh, Decayed, as we mentioned above, can't block, attack sack. So, yeah, this is... How, how does everyone feel about, about this card? <laughs> mm. Well, so, mm-hmm. oh, go ahead, Alex. Yeah, right Right off the bat, I'm pretty worried about the fact that you don't get to cash in on the creatures you exiled until your upkeep. Um, if you're sitting there with a big pile of exiled creatures that you've stolen from your opponents, just killing uh, Gisa and making it so that you never get to your upkeep is going to look like a pretty big value play, even if that you know doesn't make it the right choice. Mm-hmm. Um, and on top of that, you know, people just don't even like handing other people their cards a lot of the time. That's true. Uh, so, you know, there are some playgroups where people are extremely sensitive to that. Uh, and if you're in that kind of a playgroup, I think you're going to have a pretty bad time trying to get to your upkeep with this thing. Yeah, I think the one saving grace is my gut reaction when I saw this card was like, Oh, that's cool. But I think part of that is because I've been so desensitized because we've gotten just some like nasty, nasty mono black commanders over the years now. And uh, like Turgrid from the last year, Kalidus 2.0, I had that list together for a little bit, just like Mm. as a, it wasn't even like anything crazy. I was just like, I had a bunch of black cards I want to play and I just kind of put them in a deck and, uh, everyone made me take that deck apart because <laughs> of the exile clause. So I totally see what you're talking about on that part of it. Um, yeah. Incidentally, hosing graveyards is certainly a way to, to get some enemies in a game of commander. Yeah. <laughs> um, there, I have several decks that just do not function if uh, something like this is out. So I, I'm just kind of forced. My hand is forced to remove it. Um but I will say that there, you know, there is some, a little bit of build around with this commander. Um, you know, if you have like a grave pact effect or an attrition effect, you can like get a creature off of her upkeep trigger, sacrifice it, uh, and then get more creatures. So it kind of feeds itself in that way. Uh, and then you can also remove, um, you can also remove dem- decayed from your creatures by using like a conjurer's closet or similar effect to uh, just kind of blink it, and then it comes back without that downside that uh, Gloria gave, or Gloria, uh, that Gisa gave to it. it. It's funny when people say this to like riff off of a point Alex made when they see like a bunch of creatures in exile. Um, even if that's not the right play, sometimes people take it because like spite or it like seems like the right play. Um, so I guess just to echo that, if you're playing against a Gisa, if you're playing a Gisa, just keep that in mind and be like, hmm, if I get all these, <laughs> if I kill Gisa now and like exile my creature forever, is that better for me than letting the creature resolve and wiping the board or something like that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like is, are all of these creatures with decay better than 
whatever combo piece might hit the hit the board in the next turn cycle. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So um, I think with that, we can move on to this next guy, too, if you want. Yeah. Um, so I'll read this guy off. This is Jadar Ghoulcaller of Nefalia. It's one in a black for a 1-1 one, one legendary creature human wizard. At the beginning of your end step, if you control no creatures with Decayed, create a 2-2 black zombie creature token with Decayed. So uh, to me, this looks a little bit like an Ophiomancer that only like replenishes your token once a turn and the token's not particularly good at blocking. But what do you think about this commander and how would you build around it? To borrow a term from the Legendary Creature podcast, uh, this is effectively a Goonie, which is to say a creature that never says die. Uh, in the command zone. Um, it only recurs itself once, you know, quote unquote, since it can only make one decayed zombie each turn. Um, but it's a pretty small initial investment for all that, uh, just two mana. And it doesn't require later payment. So in that regard, you know, it has an advantage over, say, reassembling skeleton or something that's at a similar cost. The fact that it's worse than a Fiamancer doesn't feel super great since this is legendary. And you know, if I'm looking for extra bodies uh, in a Goonies kind of Black Sacrifice deck, I would probably just go for Tormod in most concepts. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, I, I expect to see this in list more than as the commander. Um, and I think in that regard, like, they made it worse than a Fiamancer on purpose. Like, mm. they knew that the Snake Lady in the command zone would be like pretty strong. Um, so they cut you a mana off and made it a little bit worse as, as a kind of a, uh, side grade, a bargain bargain bin <laughs> thing. You can have, you can play this as a commander now, but it's not quite as strong. Well, ag- agreed that you'll definitely find this in the bargain bin here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> so yeah, I think that's true. And, and then a lot of like just decayed tech, getting these zombies like getting uh grave pack effects and stuff like that like that's still good in jadar you know like mm-hmm. like any of the mono black stuff the goonies are good because mono black has the infrastructure to abuse it right so this is yeah. all those same things are going to be good here too yeah all, all grave pack effects tend to work pretty well with decayed because it's kind of nice that they have that built-in way to sacrifice themselves you don't really need a whole lot of extra extra bells and whistles to just make that interaction work Mm -hmm. so yeah um i don't know if there's too much more to say about jajar no i I think we've got another spicier uh (laughs) oh yeah i'll go ahead and read him off so this is jaren corrupted bishop uh, and this is our first dual-faced legendary in the set uh so it's Two and a black for a legendary creature, human cleric. It has whenever Jaren Corrupted Bishop enters the battlefield or another non-token human you control dies, you lose one life and create a 1-1 white human creature token. Then it has two target human you control gains lifelink until end of turn. And at the beginning of your end step, if you have exactly 13 life, you may pay four black black if you do transform Jaren. And this front side is a 2-3. Then on the back, it transforms into Ormondal the Corrupter, which is a legendary creature demon 
with Flying, Trample, and Lifelink, and Sacrifice another creature, draw a card, and it is a 6-6. Six, six. So I guess I'll start on this guy. Um, I just want to point out, yes, the backside does, does look very attractive, but the effort you need to put in to, to get access to Ormondal is just like incredible. Like you you pay three to, to cast your Jaren, you lose two thirds of your life. However, you, you want to do that with like a Necropotence or a Wall of Blood or something um, to get down to 13. Then you pay another six mana. So you've paid nine mana and two thirds of your life to get this Ormondal the Corruptor. Uh, and just in comparison, uh, Yogmoth exists. It has like, I'd say like maybe 75% of the power of Ormondal uh, you can get on a Yogmoth. And that only costs four mana and it can, you know, come out of your command zone. So I think if you really want to to have this Ormondal on the field, if that's like where you're going with this Jaren deck, you're just better off building Yogmoth. It's It's just a much more efficient way to do the same thing. Well, um, on the flip side... For two more mana, you could have a Razaketh and just pick the cards that you want. Yeah. <laughs> An excellent point as well. Still cheaper than than playing and flipping Jaren. Um, but speaking of Razaka, uh, I, I think that if you're building Jaren, um, you're probably focusing on the front half because the, the back half, again, has a mostly better uh, alternative. And so you definitely can do something with like human aristocrats and like, oh, I'm sacking these humans and getting human replacements and draining you or whatever. Um, I actually think that uh, Jaren is probably the the best commander if you want to do a really gimmicky Shadowborn Apostles list. Because um, <laughs> currently some of the the front runner Shadowborn Apostle commanders are like Shirei, who, who costs five mana and is kind of like a, a lifeline for one power creatures. So the, the benefit of running that list is you once you have your Shirei out, you can sack a um, sack your Shadowborn Apostles and they all return at the beginning of the next end step. But with Jaren, the benefit of running him is that uh, you know you you play out your Apostles on on turns you know one through three or one through four, get him on the field, and then when you activate your Apostles, you get a whole mess of humans to replace him. And so if the, the creature you're searching out, if the, the demon you're searching out is Razaketh, the foul-blooded, who has the ability uh, pay two life, sacrifice a creature, search your library for a card, put into your hand, then shuffle, um, you you basically get all this free sack fodder that you can then feed to Razaketh. And so I think what you can do is like, you know, as early as turn four, just get your Razaketh, sack all your human tokens, uh, to get a combo piece and like the mana to cast that combo and then just win the game. And it's incredibly fragile. Like any counter spell uh, will mess up your day very badly. Um, but it's also, um, you know, pretty fast, pretty consistent. And it's the kind of deck that you can like get a laugh out of if you were wondering what to do with your 50 Shadowborn Apostles. Yeah, it. It is an incredibly funny deck. Uh, Nick Nick has a deck list put together here, and I laughed out loud when I saw it. Um, it has nine distinct cards in it. So on the Architect interface, it, it didn't even look like a standard deck, like there weren't enough <laughs> cards in the deck to look like a standard deck, let alone a commander deck. Um, 
but you know like you said it's incredibly consistent um you can kind of mix up the play pattern a little uh depending on whether you're punting for the fourth swamp or the sixth apostle uh and like you said it's it's vulnerable but it works yeah uh i'm gonna post that list in the episode description so check it out if you want to see what a commander deck with with nine cards looks like (laughs) um but it i think that that's a a fun way to build around jaren and of course uh I'm, i'm curious to see like how the human aristocrats build looks as well so uh let us know if you've got a, a cool build for jaren mm-hmm. definitely uh, but with that i think we can move on to the next commander um this is Sarith the viper's fang it's two green green for a three four legendary creature human warlock other tapped creatures you control have death touch other untapped creatures you control have hexproof and you can pay one and tap her to untap another target creature or land you control. Uh, so how do you feel about Sarith? I I couldn't believe <laughs> that this card, like they put, not that this card is like overly strong or overly problematic or anything like that, just um, that they made it so easy that they gave tokenless another way to like, break through the lines a way to like protect their creatures um because this is really in essence it's really simple it's like a really simple creature but um like untapped hard to target tapped hard to block uh and you can flip between the two of them but yeah this it's just it does so much and it does so much in so many green lists that kind of want these effects that uh it's it's uh kind of crazy to me that they printed this card yeah, and it does exactly what you want when you want it to be doing that. Mm-hmm. So if you have a creature that, you know, you never want it to die, it probably won't get tapped and it will just have hexproof full time. Whereas all of your disposable creatures, you know, what does it matter if a token gets doombladed or whatever? Um, but they'll have that death touch when it comes time uh, to attack. Uh, I guess the other kind of tricky thing you can do is make it so you're mana dorks don't die in vain when they jump block oh yeah like any creature with a tap ability is potentially a uh a really nasty thing to attack into um yeah. <laughs> also like uh I, I really like the fact that she can untap lands you control because the you know the way i'm reading this uh you know it seems like you want to run a bunch of of tokens or creatures that are uh that can attack easily um, to, in order to get advantage of that, that tapped creatures you control have death touch ability. And so the fact that you can like untap a Gaia's cradle or an Itlamok cradle of the sun or whatever, um, that is, is really appealing. That's practically doubling your mana. So that uh, I like that a lot. Um, and then it, it makes sense because you're presumably attacking in order to um, get advantage of this death touch it makes sense to run things like Tusky or uh, Oren Frostfang or Druid's Repository, like all these green effects that uh, get you cards or mana when you're you're sending creatures in. There's so much tech <laughs> for this tech. It's so crazy. I mean, like to put it simply, even Overrun is tech. <laughs> you yeah. know, your whole team has Death Touch. Yeah, yeah. De- definitely a powerful combo. Oh, I also really like uh, pinging equipment in this list because... Oh, yeah. Uh, by the time you've you've tapped your creature with the Viridian longbow on it, it has death touch. So 
that that works great. What's the name of the the staff? Thornbite staff also mm, similarly mm-hmm. works pretty well. Um, so there's just a, a lot you can do with this commander. That one actually kind of works as intended, where you like actually just ping something and kill it, and it untaps instead of some other like sack out and then yeah. all the other heinous things it does yeah <laughs> <laughs> like i hardly ever see a thornbite staff used that way mm-hmm. yeah and yeah. again i think this is another one that as compelling as it is in the command zone you're going to see it a lot in the 99 too mm-hmm. definitely like that that's actually i think this is a good time to bring this up this set has like so many like role players in it like oh, this yeah. is the beginning we've already talked about this is what the third or fourth commander that's like a, could be a role player mm-hmm. and that's not even getting into the main deck cards like these cards just all work with so many other things and when we get into main deck cards it's gonna be even more of that just like for some reason they wanted in a three to be all about <laughs> like making sure your deck functions as intended i don't know <laughs> like <laughs> I'm, I'm here for it i'm, I'm happy about it so yeah I mean, I, I definitely think that they really focused in this Innistrad on making sure you had legendary creatures and main deck support to support the themes of the previous Innistrad. Because, you know, we've been to Innistrad so many times and they really haven't done a good job of like prioritizing commander players in these sets. But it felt like they've done so here. And you'll you'll see more evidence of that in, in just a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> but I think we can move on to the next commander, if that's all right with you guys. Heck yeah. Agreed. Okay, uh, so next we've got our first uh, multicolored commander. This is Denik, Pious Apprentice. White and a blue for a 2-3 legendary creature human soldier. It has lifelink. Uh, cards in graveyards can't be the targets of spells or abilities, and it has disturb for 2 white and a blue. So if you cast it for its disturb cost, then you get Denik, Pious Apparition, which is 3-2 legendary creature spirit soldier with flying. Whenever one or more creature cards are put into graveyards from anywhere, investigate. This ability triggers only once each turn. And then if Denik, Pious Apparition would be put into a graveyard from anywhere, exile it instead. What are your thoughts on Denik? The first thought is that the backside is, it looks a fair bit stronger. Making cards in graveyards unable to be targeted doesn't stop players from being targeted so you can still get tormods cryptid still get bogged still get around and you know this ability here where you investigate when one or more creature cards has been to a graveyard from anywhere um they kind of pump the brakes on it with this triggers only once each turn which blues cost mana so i'm not sure why that was necessary yeah i definitely agree with you to me, this is like similar to Jaren in that the difficulty of getting to the backside, which is like kind of the, the actual meat of the card, really, really turns me off. Because, you know, you're playing Denik for two, you're finding some way to get him in your graveyard, you're playing his Disturb cost for four, and then your your deck is actually online and you get to like, you know, mill cards or, or discard creature cards or whatever to get your clues. Uh, and then you still have to like pay the mana for the clues, and you're not exactly in ramp colors in this identity. So it just just seems exhausting to me. I, I just don't feel like it's worth all the effort. I'm just gonna echo what you are all saying. Like, there's no easy way to get to that backside. You'd have to build your deck with so many things in particular, and 
uh, one of the things I've noticed after building multiple white blue decks is that like you still kind of suffer from the no ramp infrastructure problem of commander where you you'd need a decent amount of cards to make sure your white blue deck does what it wants but if what your white blue deck wants is to have a sack outlet for your commander and also a bunch of other things all the time it's like one step further than it needs to be you know it's like you're always one step behind your opponents because your opponents are probably have thing a do thing b Mm -hmm. where you're have thing a get thing b use thing C, thing A works now. <laughs> like, it's, it's just adding an extra step into that chain of how your commander plays. So, yeah, Denik is kind of disappointing. Yeah. I have one more parting shot here for Denik. Mm-hmm. Um, that that backside trigger, right? I think that's set up to work with other disturb cards. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't even manage that because the spirit side of disturb cards, they don't even die. Oh, They don't even go <laughs> yeah. into a graveyard from anywhere. That's funny. <laughs> Exhausting, <Yeah>. like you said. <laughs> uh, I, I will say that um, we are getting a white-blue spirit precon with Crimson Val. So if you were like really in in the mood for to build white-blue spirits, and and Denik isn't isn't getting there, have no fear. They are almost certainly going to deliver on the the blue-white spirit precon commander. So just hold tight yeah. for a few more months, and you'll be good. I do want to say that um, this is a very good card in my Neombi 2.0 list. Um, it's a legendary creature you can pitch. It does something like you can make Denik the pious apparition from the graveyard. So it's kind of even more card advantage there. Um, and then you can get your clues by pitching other things to Neombi. Exactly. So th- this is a very good card there. And I, I don't really know where else I want to play this. <laughs> That's a good point. Uh, who wants to read off this next commander? Zach? Yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll do it. I haven't, I haven't read a boy in a little bit. So, uh, I, I also have a question about this guy too. So, this is Ludovic. I guess we've been saying Ludovic on the show. Do you want me to keep doing that? Yeah, let's do it's, that. It's way cooler. So, this is Ludovic Necrogenius. Um, this is a two-three human wizard for blue-black, just two mana value. Whenever Ludovic enters the battlefield or attacks, mill a card. And then he has X, blue, blue, black, black. Exile X creature cards from your graveyard. Transform Ludovic. X can't be zero. Activate only as a sorcery. So really the front half is just like ETB attack, mill one card. And then you can do this complicated thing to flip it into Olag. Ludovic, <laughs> I forgot. It sounds too much like Olaf from the Frozen. Frozen, and then I laugh every time. Uh, Oleg Ludovic's hubris. Uh, this is a four-four zombie, and it has as this creature transforms into Olag, it becomes a copy of a creature card exiled with it. Except its name is Olag. It's a four-four, and it's a legendary blue and black zombie in addition to its other colors and types. Put a number of plus one, plus one counters on Olog equal to the number of creature cards exiled with it. Man, okay, so, I mean, for not doing that much, there's so many words on this card. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It just looks like a, looks like a very complicated reanimation spell. And and I think it's like playing in the same design space as like Lazav 2.0 or the Mimeoplasm or Volrath 2.0, or Brakos, like they're all kind of doing the same thing of take this creature, typically one that's like 
has baseline stats that like scale up with it really well with additional power and give it more power. So like with Ludovic, you can, you know, reanimate, essentially reanimate a like a blighted agent and put a ton of plus one plus one counters on it or like a cephalid constable. But it's all, I mean, it's it's kind of the same as all these other commanders. They're all doing basically the same thing. And it doesn't really seem like it adds a whole lot to the format. And it seems like it's less efficient than a lot of the other options. Yeah, I agree with that. I am curious, though, what was your question, Zach? Is Olog Ludovic or does he kill Ludovic? Like, what is going on here? Because they both have the weird, funny backpack. I think it is Ludovic. I think right? that... I think that they were so so annoyed by everyone complaining about how bad the the Commander 2016 Ludovic was that they said, <laughs> like, not only are we going to make another bad Ludovic, but now we're going to just like morph him into something else. So you will never get a good Ludovic. <laughs> now you have chess. to get yeah. Now you have to get good Olog. Which I'm I'm fine with. I don't care. But um, yeah, I was just like, what did they ki- did they kill off Ludovic? I I don't get it. One piece of tech that has come into my uh, understanding, but since going through the show notes on this guy, and it came up from uh, Frank Karsten's Twitter. So uh, let's say you transform Ludovic into o- Olog. Uh, you exile a bunch of cards, and the card that you turn Olog into is Enduring Angel, which is a card we're going to talk about. Actually, you know what? I'm going to talk about this when we get to Enduring Angel. So let's all put a bookmark on this so I don't have to read off that card. Because it is wonky. It is a wonky rules interaction that I think people would want to know about. (laughs) Okay. Transforming is weird. That's the the short, short answer to all this. Yeah, transforming is pretty weird. I was going to go into that a little bit and then i thought to myself i'm not a judge i'm not even going to try (laughs) yeah (laughs) so i guess do we want to move on to the uh the next commander yes definitely so this is florian voldaren scion it's a three three legendary creature vampire noble for one black red he's got first strike and at the beginning of your post-combat main phase Look at the top X cards of your library, where X is the total amount of life your opponents lost this turn. Exile one of those cards, and put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. You may play the exiled card this turn. In the main deck, I think he's a great card advantage engine in Prosper. As a you know a vampire that does something useful, he's probably going to be pretty good in Edgar Markov. Uh, but as a commander... It seems to incentivize things that deal damage to each opponent so you can really dig as deep as possible with this trigger. And so I was looking into it and, you know, just like doing a a scryfall search on um, things that deal damage to each opponent or to each player. And like the well isn't particularly deep because you've got your acidic soil, you've got your price of progress, you've got your flame rift, but one of the things that came up in my search was Dragon's Approach. And I actually think this could be a a pretty decent Dragon's Approach commander uh, because casting a single Dragon's Approach is going to let you dig nine cards deep. And then uh, if you're you're doing that consistently, you're going to be able to find the cards that synergize really, really well with Dragon's Approach. Like Locket of Yesterday's uh, one-mana artifact spells you cast cost one less to cast for each card with the same name in your graveyard. So once you're dragons approaching, 
for a single mana, you know, you can Dragon's Approach and then use Florian's Trigger to dig out another Dragon's Approach. It becomes pretty easy to like actually pull off the dream of Dragon's Approach and like, oh, I, I cast a couple Dragon's Approach in one turn, go get a Nullspine Dragon, draw nine cards or something. So the deck can really go off. And I think that if you're trying to do that style of deck, this is a pretty good commander for it. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was delighted, actually, by that application. Uh, and it's goldfishing the deck. It's crazy how many cards that you can see with, I mean, just a really modest pre-combat main phase. A single Dragon's Approach, like you said, is nine cards. Even if you're just going, you know, like a more generic group slug route, you'll be able to see a lot of cards with pretty reasonable chip damage. And as you said, in the 99 of decks like that, it's just a fantastic card advantage and card selection engine for the price. Yeah, really, really pleased with this guy. Definitely uh, take a look at it if you're interested in building vampires, building Prosper, or uh, messing with Dragon's Approach. Can I read off this next guy? Yes. This is a a big boy. This is possibly... One of the more important commanders to come out of the set, I think. Yes, there's a lot to say about it. So I'll read him quick and we can get into all that. So this is Tovalar, Dire Overlord. This is a double face card. So Tovalar is a 3-3 human werewolf for three mana, one red green. Whenever a wolf or werewolf you control deals combat damage to a player, draw a card. At the beginning of your upkeep, if you control three or more wolves and or werewolves, it becomes night. Then transform any number of human werewolves you control. And he has Daybound. On the backside, he is Tovalar the Midnight Scourge, a 4-4 werewolf. Whenever a wolf or werewolf you control deals combat damage to a player, draw a card. And X, red-green, target wolf or werewolf you control gets plus X plus O and gains trample until end of turn and has Nightbound. So I thought this design was like super cute. It's like the make it easy to flip your guys on the back you get a Kessig wolf run on your wolf which is really cute uh and the trigger is just incredible so i guess i'm gonna release it to uh to you both to dive into some of the tech on this guy this is it's it's crazy (laughs) you know when i first saw this guy i thought like oh you know there's not actually that much evasion among the wolves and werewolves and so maybe you have to run a bunch of cards to like help your guys get in, like Bedlam, um, you know, uh, Goblin War Drums, Gruel War Chant, things that give your guys menace or um, or prevent blocking. But honestly, it was just in my in my initial testing, like it's pretty easy to curve out with wolves and werewolves. And you know, once you're drawing multiple cards of turn off Tovalar, you're drawing into your removal more often. You can clear out blockers that way. So it's not actually that big an issue, and it's just uh, a, a really effective tribal commander. It certainly does a good job of incentivizing these um, these creature types, and uh, I, I think it's a. I mean, this is kind of like the one thing they had to deliver on in the set. Like they yeah. <laughs> they, they <laughs> so bungled true. the werewolf commander so many times, and I think they did a good job. I think they succeeded. Tovalar is is going to be something that will make werewolf players very happy only took them 10 years (laughs) yeah it looks like wizards of the coast agreed that the secret sauce of a commander for werewolves is just to keep your team on the back face and 
this gets like a little wonky with older werewolves. If it's nighttime, you can't flip old werewolves during your upkeep. But yeah. kind of like we said at the top of the episode, it seems pretty likely that just in natural play, someone will cast two spells and turn it to daytime. And I would definitely expect that people won't intentionally not play spells just to transform all of your werewolves so Tovalar doesn't trigger. Like, it's just counterproductive. So why would they do it? I agree with that. It's like a, a friend of ours made a werewolf deck. This wasn't a commander deck. This was uh, just a 60-card casual werewolf list. And we were playing it with people who were new to the game at the time. And uh, something that I, because one of the things about Tovalar that they did, that they talked about, was that they basically warped the set to work with Tovalar. They were like, no, this guy needs to be here. This is the best version of this card. If something needs to change, it can't be him. So great call. <laughs> great call on that. But what that also means is that like they played Tovalar with the old werewolves too. And one of the things about the old werewolf gameplay is that the math is absolutely terrible. You attack with your board and some of your creatures are wolves. Some of them are werewolves. Some of them are human werewolves. And all of the buffs that they get from all of the other wolves and werewolves and wolf cards are different. (laughs) (laughs) So you look at the board and you go, okay, attack you for 14. Oh no, but this wolf actually only gets plus one plus one. But the werewolves get plus two plus zero. Oh, and all that's my attacking creatures six. get plus three plus zero. Yeah, oh. <laughs> exactly. So you look at the board and you're like, "Oh man!" But the thing is, that's a feature and not a bug. If you're a werewolf player, like there's a meme like math is for blockers. Mm-hmm. That's actually kind of like opposite. If you play werewolves, like if you play werewolves, you're kind of like into that like ridiculous like oh and then this gets this and then this gets this and this one has trample but that one's a wolf so it doesn't have trample but then this one gets first strike like (laughs) like you're kind of into that so i think one of the points of like tovalar not giving them trample uh, other than the activated ability or like werewolves not having evasion is that they knew that people liked that like combat (laughs) math and like Um, as the werewolf player you get to feel smart watch somebody, you know, make bad blocks or whatever, and then you can punish them incredibly hard for it. Exactly, yeah. I think that is uh, built into the card. It's a feature and not a bug. Yeah, absolutely. You're going to feel like a a pro when someone thinks they're safe from you drawing cards, and then you, you know, do a couple activations of the wolf run ability and draw the cards anyway. Yeah, yeah, and it yeah. doesn't matter. They might lose some creatures. It's like you're in red green, so you got all the ramp you need, you know, like it's yeah, it's and great. you just drew replacements. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> awesome. Very happy with this. This is just he's gonna be be the, the main man forever now. All right. I know we've been going through this in uh, you know, color order and then alphabetical order within each color. But I kind of want to handle, I want to kind of switch up the order of the next two commanders because I think it's like, you know, you know, they, they basically do the same thing, but one of them is much better at it. And I'd rather end <laughs> on the better one, if that's okay. Yeah. Okay. Go for uh, it. So, so let me let me read off the, the next one I want to talk about first. Uh, and that is Sigarda Champion of Light. It is one green, white, white for a 4-4 legendary creature angel. It has flying and trample. Humans you control get plus one, plus one. And it has Coven. 
Whenever Sigarda attacks, if you control three or more creatures with different powers, look at the top five cards of your library. You may reveal a human creature card from among them and put it into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. How do you all feel about this as a human tribal commander? We haven't gotten an effective green-white human tribal commander before. We had the previous Sigarda, but do you think this Sigarda gives the tribe what it needs? Hmm. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and just say no. As you guys have said on the podcast, and I 100% agree, plus one plus one is just not a meaningful buff in Commander. On top of that, like we said at the top of the episode, um, Coven is kind of a big ask. You know, you really are going to need to commit three cards to getting that effect. It's not even a guarantee, so. Yeah, like, I mean, compare this human tribal ability with Winota's human tribal ability. Like, Winota is digging deeper. She's putting the human directly onto the battlefield, tapped and attacking. You know, with this card, Sigarda needs to needs to attack, and you have to have at least three creatures with different power. Whereas Winota is just like, hey, you know what? All I'm chill. I'm gonna sit back here. The guys I played on turns one through three are gonna take care of this. It's just really, really underwhelming. It's it's unfortunate that you know were there were this the only human tribal commander in the set, there it wouldn't really solve the tribe's issues. Any other thoughts on Sigarda before we move on to the other green-white commander in the set? No, I, I think it's important to note like that this just was 100% a miss on the Coven trigger, uh, which kind of really brings down the whole card, as opposed to this next human tribal card, Nudge Nudge. <laughs> yeah, this is Catilda Dawnheart Prime. She is green-white for a 1-1 legendary creature human warlock, she has protection from werewolves. Human creatures you control have tap, add one mana of any of this creature's colors, and four green-white tap, put a plus one plus one counter on each creature you control. I, I think this is an incredibly powerful commander. I'm super impressed with this guy. Yeah, not only uh, does it work well with just the many powerful printed uh, humans printed throughout the years, it also uh, is really effective with your human token generation. Just being able to play like a, a gather the townsfolk and get two uh, get two mana dorks for two mana is really really strong. You can ramp incredibly fast with this commander. I think that just like in testing of my list, it's snowballing really fast. It works really really well with um, with vigilance granting effects because you can do super fun things like you know send in with all my guys. Uh, while they're attacking, tap them to add mana to activate my mirror entity, and they're all enormous now. Like the the combination of like I can attack and also add mana is is just very strong. I have loved this commander so far. I think it's really what uh, green white humans needs to put this tribal deck on the map. Uh, longtime listeners will know, especially uh, well that when. War of the Spark came out. Me and Nick uh, made a bunch of Planeswalkers, Commanders decks, like Rule Zero decks, basically. And Nick made, a, what's his name, Ajani? The, the Great Hearted. The Great Hearted, uh, which is the green-white commander. You don't need to know the whole card, basically. It gives your creatures vigilance as a static ability. And that deck like blew me away with how good it was, with like how many things you could do with that. like The power of giving mana dorks... <laughs> <laughs> the ability to attack and also tap 
was uh, much stronger <laughs> than <laughs> than I thought it could be. And so Catilda is definitely in the same space. I think it makes it gives humans a very interesting build and is this is the first like actual time that I think we've seen a build like this in non rule zero commander. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's really cool. I think it is worth mentioning too, uh, since this is, you know, it, at the end of the day, it's going to be an aggro deck. You're just going to have to attack people to death with these tokens. Um, mm-hmm. The fact that you can, I mean, you don't even have to bounce back after an Armageddon. You just aren't even slowed down by an Armageddon, yeah. <laughs> which is one of the best tools in any white X aggro decks belt. And mm-hmm. just really puts this within you know, a pretty a pretty healthy space. Oh yeah. Armageddon is so good in this deck. Like <laughs> there I mean there's so many low to the ground humans. You just you just have like six mana dorks on, on turn four and you just well I I don't really need these lands anymore. Honestly they're they're slowing me down. Uh, <laughs> so speeding so yeah, you yeah. up. Yeah, yeah. So if you know your your meta is okay with that kind of thing, then that's a really powerful line to take with this deck. Do we want to move on to this? I, I actually didn't know if we were gonna see this card in this set, uh, this next commander. Yeah, it was surprising to me too, but go ahead. Yeah. Uh, so this is Liesa. Uh, I've been saying that because Lisa sounds bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I, I agree. I, I like that. I like your pronunciation better as well. Okay. I always uh, say Lisa. Lisa's good. Oh, I like Lisa. Uh, I'll go with that. So we're going to say Lysa Forgotten Archangel. This is version 2.0 from the Commander, Commander Legends. Legends. Yeah, uh, which had uh, the first version, I think the pre-Avison arriving version of this card. So Lysa Forgotten Archangel is a 4-5 angel with flying and lifelink for 5 mana, 2 white, white, black. They have whenever another non-token creature you control dies... Return that card to its owner's hand at the beginning of the next end step. And then they also have, if a creature an opponent controls would die, exile it instead. Wow, this is this is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm super into this. This is so cool. Yeah. My first comment here, uh, Athreos, is that you? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, I, I think you, you make a good point. Like it is similar to Athreos. This isn't. Uh, this isn't really breaking new ground but i i certainly i like this a lot more than the previous version of lysa just because there's a good amount of build around and you know you can run a lot of these value creatures in these colors and sacrifice them get them back to your hand keep going you know you you want plenty of sack outlets blink effects work pretty well with a lot of the same creatures you'd want to recur in this deck again it's Interest. I, I mean, I, I get that they are doing the mirrored thing, kind of similar to, uh, was it Gisela? Yeah, the broken blade. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stuff? Blade of Gold Knight. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, where it it does one positive things for thing for you, and then kind of does the opposite to your opponent. Um, but it's interesting that we're getting multiple commanders in this set that just incidentally pose graveyards i don't actually think we're going to talk about it. i can talk about it at the end but there there's reasons for that if you look at like the limited cards mm-hmm. i think they were just afraid <laughs> one for a bomb to actually stop all of the card advantage that you would see from like uh, the creatures that turn into spirits and all that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah definitely my one big thought about this is uh, i really like this card i think it's cool i never liked athreos because i didn't like the choice that it gave my opponents 
But what I'm interested to see is uh, I am not every player, and I've learned that <laughs> the hard way <laughs> through our prediction episodes. I want to see how popular Liza is compared to Athreos. Like, did people like Athreos because he gave people a choice? So, like, is there a more casual group of players pushing the numbers up on Athreos? Or did people play Athreos because he was the only version of this that existed? And they're going to jump to the more consistent Lisa uh, oh, now that she exists. I think we're talking about Athreos 2.0. Uh, oh, 2.0? Not the choice granter. Um, oh, well, I'm, I, I well, guess I, 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 I was, was talking, talking about the about, first one. I was talking about Athreos 1. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I guess we should get on all on the same, on the same page, page here. <laughs> yeah, Cause, cause, one moment, everybody. Yeah, because yeah. um, you know, Athreos two point has that whenever a creature you know puts coin counters on things, and then whenever a creature uh, with a coin counter on it dies or is put into exile, return it to the battlefield. Well, I, I guess maybe the, yeah, I think that that plays yeah, that's similarly. Just, that's just yeah. the mind control commander. Yeah, fair, mm-hmm. fair enough. Fair enough. To me, like the Athreos one the popularity of it has always astounded me. And I've always had this question where basically like, do people like that choice? Do like, I know there's a lot of people who really liked the Bruna um, Strixhaven white black deck. And I get that. There's a lot of players that play with more casual play groups. I like that the choice, like I like that they like that there are choices that are offered to them in the table. Um, maybe that's the people who like the first Athreos, Athreos 1.0, you know, but is that true? Uh, were people playing Athreos 1.0 because he offered the choice or because he gave them recursion? And now we'll find out, you know? Mm-hmm. I think it's time. It's time to learn the answer to that question. I'll read off this next one. It is Vadric Astral Archmage. One blue red for a 1-2 legendary creature human wizard. If it's neither day nor night, it becomes day as Vadric enters the battlefield. Instant and sorcery spells you cast cause X less to cast, where X is Vadric's power. Whenever day becomes night or night becomes day, put a plus one plus one counter on Vadric. What are your thoughts on this commander? Uh, does it remind you of anyone? <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Is that you, Mizix? <laughs> yeah, it's Mizix if you can shortcut the entire wind-up process and yeah. ask her for one less mana. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Um, so this is like a more volatile, less consistent, but potentially faster Mizzix. Um, You can use cards like Brute Force or Fist of the Anvil uh, to rapidly buff this thing's power and just cut down the cost of your spells very dramatically for very cheap. Essentially making, I mean, there's like a dozen of them, uh, these cheap buff spells into rituals almost. Mm -hmm. You know, there's this humorous sort of Feature that the card Enrage, which is a red X instant target creature gets plus X plus O, is kind of like crazy good in yeah. this deck. And just double its power. Yeah, you know, you just give it plus four plus O real quick, double that. And now you're, all your spells cost 10 less. Yeah, I guess I'll, I don't know, stroke a genius for eight real quick. Like crazy, crazy fast plays like that on turn four. Mm hmm. I, I actually put together a, a list that I think will be in the show notes um, mm-hmm. that really consistently, um, if it's not interacted with, can get turn four, turn five kills um, off of just digging off of mana neutral or mana positive um, rituals and draw spells. And eventually you hit reiterate or a blaze and 
can blast people out or you draw into a combo. So um, with this thing's cost reduction, you can get Haze of Rage or Seething Anger, which are both buyback spells that they cost red and some generic, but they give your creature uh, extra power. And mm -hmm. if you combine those with Bergy or Stormkiln Artist, uh, you you make the red mana back. So that ends up giving you infinite storm, uh, infinite power on Vadric and any other creatures that you want, um, and infinite cost reduction because Vadric has infinite power. Uh, if you use Haze of Rage and Stormkiln Artist specifically, the way Haze of Rage works is it has storm. So the copies also make treasure. Uh, so you get infinite treasure too as a little bonus prize. Um, and, you know, it's not breaking new ground, but you are definitely using some goofy cards in this list, which is kind of exciting. Yeah, this seems like a, an incredibly powerful commander. Um, it, it's, in in my mind, it just seems, as you said, uh, a lot better than Mizzix, just comes down more quickly, is easier to, to shortcut. Do you think it's too strong? Do you think it's too good? Hmm. That's a really good question. That is a good question. So the build that I put together is pretty rough. Um, it doesn't have a ton of interaction just because, you know, if I'm showcasing a commander, I prefer to showcase like what it does that's unusual. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of hard to say, like, if you, you know, trade out 10 of the cards for counter spells, like, does the deck dramatically drop in consistency? Uh, I I would invite listeners to, you know, play around with the list and see. But the whole thing kind of does fold to removal, assuming you don't have an answer for it. Uh, and another thing that I noticed when you goldfish is you get pretty dangerously low to like fizzling in terms of mana, mm -hmm. to the point that like a well timed counter spell can also just leave you with an insufficient amount of mana to keep going. Mm -hmm. At which case the you know, until end of turn buffs drop off and you might not have enough cards in hand to get that going again next turn. Yeah, that's actually is going to be my point is that um, I think if you want to do the ultra fast, hyper efficient build of this deck, like there probably is a, a CEDH build of this guy that is like off the rails, really strong, uh, definitely turn one combo potential, especially if you have fast mana, your, your crypts and your mox amber and whatnot rituals but i think the thing about him is that interaction just completely destroys you <laughs> like it's really going to be hard to that quickly in the game have both protection and counter magic up as well as the pump spells or the rituals you need to get going uh, as well as like the card draw and stuff like that so i think that the combination of all of those things means that every now and then someone's going to have the god hand and no one's going to have the hand check to to stop at the kill spell, the counter spell, whatever it is. But I think it's fine. That's where I'm going to land on it right now. I could be wrong um, in three months if Vadric just uh, completely has decimated the CEDH tables, then uh, oopsie. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I think he's fine. I think he appeals to a type of player, and that player will be very happy and feel very clever when they like uh, enrage and get 
three mana off, four mana off on the next spells they cast that turn. So I, I think it's I, I think it's fine tentatively. <laughs> Asterix. We, we shall yeah, see. I mean, it's yeah. it's it, to me it kind of strikes me as being similar to really like any Voltron or aggro deck um, mm-hmm. in terms of you know maybe you'll knock out the table too fast. In which case, if that keeps happening, either they'll have to run more interaction or you'll have to maybe consider putting the deck away after a game or two each night yeah that's a that's a good way of saying it uh this next one we're going to be talking about is old stick fingers uh it is x black green for a star star legendary creature horror when you cast this spell reveal cards from the top of your library until you reveal x creature cards Put all creature cards revealed this way into your graveyard, then put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. Old Stick Finger's power and toughness are each equal to the number of creature cards in your graveyard. How do you feel about Old Stick Fingers? It is a cleverly disguised sorcery. <laughs> uh, essentially, so you're kind of going to calibrate your deck to a certain X like you might with a Grenzo. You, you pick an X right off the bat and you start building from there. Mm-hmm. And the X that you pick is how many creatures are in your deck so that when you cast Old Stick Fingers, every creature in your deck ends up in your graveyard. And there are kind of a few different things you can do with that. Um, something that I looked at was you just have one creature, Reassembling Skeleton. And as we all know, there's a lot of utility in that little skeleton. Uh, so you can get the reanimation party started very early and run some uh, effects that are extremely hostile to creatures and not particularly care, um, which that might not be the most fun alternative, uh, but you will probably be pretty interactive. So, you know, if that's something that you enjoy. Yeah, so there's, I've heard people talking about, you know, you can use this to set up like a um, Micaeus and Triskelion combo and then just play like a, a Victimize or something like that. But you can actually do it even more simply if you, uh, if your three creatures are Necrotic Ooze, Phyrexian Devourer, and Walking Ballista. So if those are the three creatures in your deck and you dump them onto the into the graveyard every game, then it just takes a single reanimation spell to get back your necrotic ooze and then just combo off using the Phyrexian Devourer and Walking Ballista abilities to, to add a bunch of counters and then shoot your opponents and then add a bunch more counters and so on and so forth. I, I, I don't know if this was like an excellent design, like kind of the, the Jalira polymorph problem. Like people have been aware of that for a while where if you, you know, flip into something randomly, then that kind of just incentivizes you to run the absolute best thing to flip into. So I, I don't know if this is like uh, an awesome design, if it kind of, if it's just kind of a buried alive in the command zone. Yeah. I'm not necessarily sure that it's a problem that there's just a buried alive in the command zone. I mean, it's new. It does something a little different than the things that put permanence into play. Um, it's it kind of looks like an inevitability to me almost like this card eventually was going to get printed so mm. mm-hmm. that's a good way of putting it 
both of you have hit on any point that I would make too, so I'm not going to add too much. The only thing I'm going to add to this is that, is that, do you think this is um, salad fingers? Is this like old Greg? Like, mm. what do we, like who Spider-Man do we? Or something. I, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what the hell this is supposed to be. I don't, I can't even tell like what creature type this is. Like to me, it kind of like, looks like it could maybe be a scarecrow but yeah. it's it maybe it's just some sort of generic boogeyman i do like some of the elements of the design if you look really closely at its fingers you can see that they actually have too many joints yeah um, that's a nice mm. little little bit of uh of character design there but, but... big quotation marks around nice <laughs> yeah <laughs> whatever this thing is i can share that i do not like it very much at all uh, which i think was the point it's yeah. supposed to remind you of whichever one of those kind of spooky things you like the least yeah <laughs> yeah definitely <laughs> moving on to the next commander this is rem Corollis, stalwart slayer one red white for a two three legendary creature human knight it has flying and haste if a spell would deal damage to you or another permanent you control, prevent that damage. If a spell would deal damage to an opponent or a permanent an opponent controls, it deals that much damage plus one instead. Uh, how do you all feel about this commander? And, and what do you think you would do to build around him? This, I mean, obviously, it is incentivizing you to break parity with the ability. So you want spells that deal damage. And then that will deal less to your permanence. Well, it will deal none to your permanence, and it will deal more to your opponent's permanence. Um, and therefore, you break parity and come out ahead. Um, I guess my one gripe, and maybe do we want to talk about what we like before we move on to gripes? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I guess I'll, I'll say like. It is nice that um, you know he has flying. That's certainly helpful if you're casting a lot of earthquake variants, things that deal damage to uh, creatures without flying. Uh, so he can dodge those and also like prevent them from damaging your other creatures. It's kind of breaking the parity on those types of effects. And in that respect, he's a big upgrade over Tajik uh, Legion's Edge because Tajik unfortunately had has a very similar ability. He prevented non-combat damage to your other creatures, but was unable to protect himself. But tell me about your gripes. What are your issues with Rem Corollas? Yeah, as much as it is an improvement over uh, Tajik, it still has that if damage would be dealt to you or another permanent you control, it does not protect itself. And just every time I see an effect like this, and maybe, you know, this is just me wanting more, but I just wish that it would protect itself. Like, what is the harm in getting to keep my commander that the whole deck is built around after the effect that I'm incentivized to put in the deck when it's not as though your opponent spells killing your stuff is like the most popular kind of removal. And I mean, I, I guess maybe the the bottom line is that they keep printing these in standard sets where in a lot of decks, you know, burn is how you deal with uh, creatures. So they have to put it in there so that you have an out. 
Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that um, I think it's pretty narrow the thing that it's refusing to protect itself from. Um, it doesn't happen a whole lot in Commander, and you could also just word it like. Honestly, you could word it if a spell you control would deal damage to you or another permanent you control. If you're worried about your opponent's things, then then make it so that the things you want to put in your deck, the things you're building around, work the way you want them to, and your opponent can still bolt your Rem Corollis if they're afraid of it. Like that would, I think, be a better path forward than just like, oh, I, uh, I guess my own commander is going to die to this blasphemous act. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Moving on to the next commanders, who wants to read this one off? Zach? Yeah, heck yeah, I, I love this guy. <laughs> this is Slogurk the Overslime. So Slogurk is a 3-3 three, three ooze with trample for three mana, one green-blue. And they have a, a lot of weird text. So whenever a land card is put into your graveyard from anywhere, put a plus one plus one counter on Slogurk the Overslime. Remove three plus one plus one counters from Slogurk, return it to its owner's hand, and when Slogurk leaves the battlefield, return up to three target land cards from your graveyard to your hand. Hmm, that last line of text reminds me of a, a card I play with a lot. Yeah, so for those of you who have incredibly keen ears, these abilities all feed into each other, and eventually what it starts to look like is a life from the loam. Um, if you have three cards move to or three land cards move to your graveyard you can remove the counters bounce slogurk return the lands and then play it and start again something that you can do with that is you can discard lands to uh, spell shapers which are sort of old at this point um, but essentially they're creatures that you pay some mana tap it and then you discard a card to do an effect essentially you turn the card into some spell. So, for example, one of them is a rampant growth. One is one of them is a fog. One of them is a word of command. Um, and with Slogurk, you can kind of turn these into uh, repeatable effects and locks and things like that um, because you don't really go down on cards. Uh, you can also, much like Life from the Loam, use it with cycling lands and. I mean, I guess it goes infinite with everything, so this shouldn't come as a surprise, but you can use Mind <laughs> Over Matter, uh, since each time you discard a card, you can untap one mana worth of land, uh, and Slogurk is only three, so you discard three lands, and then you have enough to cast Slogurk again. Um, so if you have a permanent that taps for two, you can go infinite with that. I put together a deck list, um, which, again, it's kind of a rough outline, uh, but it can definitely spin its wheels. You know, yeah. it's much like a lot of green blue, it's lands matter and drawing cards, uh, but it's doing it in a pretty unusual way. So if you're tired of the same old uh, green blue stuff, yes, be worth we, looking will, at. we will definitely link that deck in the episode description. So give that a, a peek when you get a chance. And before we get into the next commander, I want to uh, do a little bit of housekeeping. So mm -hmm. one unusual feature of um, the this set is, um, so of course we have the, the Midnight Hunt main set cards, and then we have the Midnight Hunt commander cards. Um, but there is actually a subset of Midnight Hunt commander cards that are not available in the pre-cons. 
They're also not available in the main set, or, or rather in draft boosters, but they are available in set boosters and collector boosters. So even though they are designated as Midnight Hunt Commander cards, because they're not in the pre-cons, uh, we're going to be covering them in this set review. And uh, the, the very first one of them we're going to be talking about is a new legendary creature released in this uh, this manner. Um and and while we're at it, I want to give a brief shout out to Bryce, our friend who just got married last week. Uh, yeah. and I'm doing it here <laughs> because Lind is a dead ringer for his wife, Megan. So congratulations to both of them. Uh, and gosh, please let us know how you bribed Anna Steinbauer to uh, immortalize <laughs> Megan in the cards illustration. Um, but what are your thoughts on, on this card? I guess I should read it off first. It is Lind Cheerful Tormentor. One in a blue, black and red, so four mana. For a 2-4 legendary creature human warlock with death touch, whenever a curse is put into your graveyard from the battlefield, return it to the battlefield attached to you at the beginning of the next end step. At the beginning of your upkeep, you may attach a curse attached to you to one of your opponents. If you do, draw two cards. Uh, So what are your thoughts? Pretty cool, actually. They managed to uh, play in the space of not just what makes curses interesting, but also what makes curses challenging in Commander. Mm-hmm. Um, in that the problem that you face with a curse deck is once your opponents start dying, you lose your curses. So the fact that, you know, if someone dies and all of your curses go from your graveyard to the battlefield, you will attach them to yourself. And from there, you can start passing them back out is an interesting way to kind of flip the script on the curses in that interim while still letting you kind of keep the train rolling. Um, I also thought that Death Touch was a really nice touch since, you know, piling a bunch of curses on one person is probably going to make them want to attack you. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. But a 2-4 Death Touch blocker isn't the most enticing thing to attack into. Yeah, I I really like this design. Like the the only thing, and we're gonna hear it forever. So just to get it out of the way, is that uh, you can't play overwhelming splendor. I'm sorry, but that would also kill her. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so uh, you probably didn't want to do that in the first place because once she puts it onto you, you don't get rid of it. <laughs> so, I'll, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. No, it's all right. Um, I'll I'll say that um, it's worth noting that a lot of the so there's about um 27 curses available in this color identity a lot of them are are clearly geared more towards uh other formats 60 card formats or draft environments um so one thing you can do uh that that perhaps gives a little bit more gas from lind is you can put some of these weak curses on yourself in like turns one through three like you know you put a curse of the bloody tome on yourself because who the hair who the hell cares about milling two cards at a time uh, and then cast Lind and then the, the very next upkeep after you cast her, so upkeep of turn five, you can just get cards by passing them away. So you definitely don't have to wait until you get the curses on yourself from her, her, her first ability, the recursion ability. You can just curse yourself uh, in the early turns of the game and then just get a bunch of cards uh, each upkeep. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, they really nailed it with this one too. Like we were talking about Tolovar earlier. I guess this is another card that they uh, just kind of 
really tried to develop and make sure they like delivered on this time around. The um, this is one of the set booster cards, though, right? Yes, that's right. Yeah, so that's the only real big downside here, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, you gotta gotta get it separate, you know. But um, they they did really try to uh deliver on a curse commander, and I think they did. I think they did that. Yeah, I guess the one nice thing to say about that is, you know, the curse commander probably doesn't have terribly broad appeal. So if they mm-hmm. had to pick one card to hide away in the wrong set, this wasn't the worst choice. Yeah, I'll, I'll say that like I I don't love this distribution method as well. But if the if it was pretty much like uh release it in set boosters or never release a curse commander, then I this is obviously preferable. I'm glad that she exists. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I agree with that too. All right. Uh, it looks like we have gotten through all of the legendary creatures. Uh, a mere hour and forty five minutes into the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we're gonna quickly run through the new planeswalkers in the set, and then we'll get to the main deck cards. Um, and as a reminder, when we discuss the main deck cards, that will include some of the set booster exclusives, and we'll we'll call those out as we get to them. All right. Uh, the first planeswalker that we're going to be talking about is Ren and seven. It is three green green for a five loyalty legendary planeswalker Ren. It has plus one reveal the top four cards, of your library, put all land cards revealed this way into your hand and the rest into your graveyard. It has zero put any number of land cards from your hand onto the battlefield tapped minus three, create a green tree folk creature token with reach. And this creature's power and toughness are each equal to the number of lands you control and minus eight, return all permanent cards from your graveyard to your hand. You get an emblem with you have no maximum hand size. So that was a lot of text. And uh, <laughs> it was perhaps a lot to digest, but um, where do you think this will fit into the format? So that second ability, the zero, um, you play any, or you put any number of lands on the battlefield. Uh, landfall comes to mind, particularly in AC and Tatsiova, where playing the lands can potentially draw you more lands. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, aside from that, the mulch uh, might have some applications, that first ability, um, in decks that are, you know, looking to stock up their graveyard uh, with non-land cards of any kind. Um, and I, I just also wanted to add, the fact that the Tree Folk has Reach, I thought was a pretty nice touch, uh, since... It is a pretty versatile blocker, and being off the number of lands you control kind of means that it'll be reasonably large. Um, so if you want to go that route and kind of try and slow roll this up to a higher loyalty, it will interpose a pretty decent blocker. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll, I'll mention one uh, additional synergy is that um, that zero ability works particularly well in Sasaya Orochi Ascendant um, because her, her flip condition or her flip requirement, rather, is you need to have seven lands in your hand. Um, so oh, that's, yeah. the, the deck you know, has a much higher than average land count, and a lot of your non-land cards are, are geared towards helping you reach that threshold of seven lands. So in a society deck, it's fantastic. It can just get all the, the lands you've been stockpiling onto the battlefield at once, uh, and from there you can really 
kind of just take off. Yeah, jump you up to 100 mana real quick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, the mana production in that deck is absolutely buck wild. Um, no, I, I kind of, again, I haven't been talking too much these last few cards just because I think you all hit the nail on the head. Um, I'm really excited for this Planeswalker, which is kind of rare for me to say. Uh, mostly just because there are so few Planeswalkers that I do end up playing in Commander. Uh, unless like I have a reason too and i think this one meets the power level for like oh i actually will have decks that want these effects i have green decks that uh want to put a bunch of cards in the graveyard and get lands that want to like that to do the ult if i can make it happen to put any number of land cards from my hand onto the battlefield like it just does enough things at a powerful enough rate that i think i'm i'm pretty high on ren and seven especially for like rampy graveyardy list which happens to be most of the green decks that i end up playing <laughs> mm-hmm. so yeah do we want to get into this uh this next guy next yeah, go right ahead i'll read them off teferi who slows the sunset two white blue for a four loyalty legendary planeswalker teferi plus one choose up to one target artifact up to one target creature and up to one target land Untap the chosen permanence you control. Tap the chosen permanence you don't control. You gain two life. Minus two, look at the top three cards of your library. Put one of them into your hand and the rest on the bottom of your library in any order. And minus seven, you get an emblem with untap all permanence you control during each opponent's untap step. And you draw a card during each opponent's draw step. Yeah, huh. Right off the bat, uh, Watsy, if you wanted to take the white mana out of this and just keep the two life, I would have been totally happy with that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think that would have broadened the uh, the usage of this card as it is now being a two-color card. Uh, obviously limits how many decks it can go into. The only thing I'm really going to note here is is this is definitely designed for 1v1 formats. Uh, the one thing that this Teferi is good at is, well, much like his original version of himself, he or the original Planeswalker Teferi, he goes infinite with the Chain Veil if you can uh, untap permanence that make enough mana. So that's a fun little game you can play on your uh, four mana Planeswalker. Yeah, it's kind of nice that... Um, it's kind of nice that even if you aren't netting mana off of your chain veil activation, like if you have exactly enough to, um, to make four mana to activate the chain veil, you can still, you still like go infinite by gaining infinite life. So yeah. maybe we should give that, that white mana a little bit of credit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. Just, just a Got little, like, it's like, a it gets a C, you know, the white mana. Yeah. Yeah. It, it it passes, or I guess a D. That's a a D's get degrees kind of deal right there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. One one thought, and this just occurred to me. Uh, he does work decently well in Estrid Super Friends stacks torture. Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> he yes. untaps your permanence, taps their permanence, and then eventually just like jumps you out of stasis completely. Those qualifiers really get me going. <laughs> <laughs> That's that's an excellent point. Um, yeah, that uh, I I love that usage. That's really good. 
especially since, you know, in that Estrid deck, you're likely to be running land auras. So untapping a land is even more valuable there. So good, mm -hmm. good tech. Yeah. Although I guess I misspoke. It doesn't get you out of stasis, but it gets you out of the orbs. So that's nice. Yeah. Yeah, that is nice. All right. Uh, moving on to the next uh, Planeswalker. This is Arlen the Pax Hope. Two red green for a legendary Planeswalker Arlen with Daybound. Uh, her front half has four starting loyalty, plus one until your next turn. You may cast creature spells as though they had flash, and each creature you control enters the battlefield with an additional plus one plus one counter on it. And minus three, create two 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 green wolf creature tokens. Uh, the reverse side is Arlen the Moon's Fury, a four loyalty Planeswalker Arlen with Nightbound. She has plus two, add red green. And zero, until end of turn, Arlen the Moon's Fury becomes a 5-5 werewolf creature with Trample, Indestructible, and Haste. How do you feel about this new version of Arlen? Eh. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yeah. Yeah, neither side is terribly thrilling. So in your typical deck, right, it's going to be day when you play this, mm -hmm. uh, unless you are putting this in werewolves, which... I guess to kind of cut to the chase is probably where you want to run this since that'll be the only place two green wolf creature tokens are going to be very exciting. Mm -hmm. um, the plus one, the turn you play it, is, isn't really a thing uh, because she's four, so how are you going to keep the mana up to play something with flash? Mm -hmm. uh, and then, you know, the backside is an Urgolem's eye. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not not too much to say there. So it it really again this is uh, costed and um and really made for one v one constructed. This is not necessarily uh, going to be a a powerhouse in commander. Uh, these abilities, the numbers, just like don't do too much. It's not like making wolves is bad, but making wolves every like third turn is if you want to keep her around yeah is uh not the best rate in commander mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah i'm just i'm probably gonna pass on pass on arlen all right well with that we have wrapped up our coverage of the legendary creatures and planeswalkers in the set and now we're going to move on to the main deck cards. We're going to start with Avacyn's Memorial. And I just want to point out that this card is only available in set boosters and collector boosters. Uh, it's one of the, those subset of Midnight Hunt commander cards. So Avacyn's Memorial is five white, white, white for a legendary artifact that's indestructible. And it says other legendary permanents you control have indestructible. Uh, personally, I'm not sure... There are a lot of decks that would want this card over an Avacyn. Um, you can more easily tutor out, cheat in, or reanimate an Avacyn than this this big white artifact. Um, and Avacyn has the benefit of protecting all of your cards and not just the the VIPs. But do you have any thoughts on this card? Just to agree, uh, this is worse <laughs> than Avacyn in pretty much every deck. I can't really think of a counterexample. Um, in fact, this is. So much worse that I had to reread Avacyn just to make sure that I haven't been misplaying it for the last decade. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Maybe this is what they wished that Avacyn did. So yeah. that you couldn't just break symmetry on Armageddon. 
Yeah, I don't I don't know. Like I I don't really see a point to like even if it was just other creatures you control have indestructible like that seems like it would have been good and fine, you know, like that that would have been a okay to to play with, but it it just seems like needlessly nerfed and and the, and the worst part about that too like um i didn't make this note but like this card is is going to be very expensive one day as they like continue to print basically just cards that uh are legendary like we're getting a minimum of like what like 12 to 15 legends per set nowadays mm-hmm. so eventually this card is going to just be good but at this point, it's pretty much only good in the Sissés and stuff like that. You know, like it, it's pretty lackluster at this point in time. <laughs> yeah. So, eh. So next up, we have Bereaved Survivor, which is a 2-1 for 2 and a white. They creature human peasant. When another creature you control dies, transform Bereaved Survivor. And it transforms into... Dauntless Avenger, which is a 3-2 creature, human soldier. Whenever Dauntless Avenger attacks, return target creature card with mana value 2 or less from your graveyard to the battlefield, tapped and attacking. I saw this, uh, and, you know, while Order of White Clay doesn't see much play, much to my chagrin, uh, (laughs) it actually seems like it could be pretty decent in Hatebear or Aristocrat decks. A lot of those decks tend to have uh, one and two drops kind of filling roles throughout the deck. Uh, and people like to kill hate bears and you like to sack, uh, sack fodder and aristocrats. So it'll be easy to flip. And then from there it can get you value. Nice. Yeah. I like this as well. I just, um, I, I would love to see more utility, uh, two drops in white. Like we've gotten bounty agent, and another card in this set that we'll be talking about in a little bit. Um, but definitely would, would love to really see a, a good suite of cards to recur with these low MV um, reanimation effects. They've been really pushing this effect for so long now. Like We have a decent amount of cards that can do this, that can bring back two drops at this point. Um, the problem isn't the cards that bring back two drops, it's the two drops. So mm. <laughs> I want... I want to see those boys. Uh, I want to see the baby. I want to bring it. I want to. I want to know what's going on. All right, well, bring it. Bring it over here. <laughs> well, we'll get to one in uh, just a moment. But oh, first, yeah. uh, first we got to talk about borrowed time, which is two and a white for an enchantment. When it enters the battlefield, exile target non-land permanent and opponent controls until borrowed time leaves the battlefield. Um, so. This is essentially just a, a functional reprint of Banishing Light. Banishing Light sees play in 10,000 decks on EDH rec. I think that if uh, if you're running Banishing Light and you need another one, go ahead and run this. That's my two cents on it. Right. The next card is a lot more exciting, though. Who wants to read this one off? Yeah, this is. I'm, I'm going to read it because I think both of you want to talk about it. <laughs> so this next card, uh, this is one of the babies that I wanted to see. This is Cathar Commando. This is a 3-1 human soldier with flash for two mana, one in a white. They have one 
sacrifice Cathar Commando, destroy target artifact or enchantment. Uh, we did it. We did it, boys. We have <laughs> been home. talking. Yeah, we, we've been talking for years about the need for um, better disenchants on legs in white. Like it's the, the the options we've had up to this point have just been really embarrassing. They they are either really slow or they don't work that well with reanimation engines for whatever reason. It's so so I don't know. It's, I'm I'm feeling like really like we're turning a corner with this color um like we're just mm-hmm. starting to see uh the 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 fruits of um you know watsi's promises that they've really been focusing on making white better in commander um uh, this is easily the the best disenchant on a white creature we've ever gotten the flash i was not even expecting we would get something like that but it's an amazing addition uh makes it so that you don't have to like telegraph what you're doing Mm-hmm. Uh, it's great with Sun Titan and uh, other low MV reanimation like um, Dauntless Avenger. Uh, I'm I'm really pleased about this card. Uh, now just give us the Rex Age. Yeah, yeah, it is wild that they gave this thing Flash. Um, but you know, in retrospect, right? They've been willing to give us Disenchant at three. Uh, we just can't get a second one at two. That's what's against the rules. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but I mean, you know, all all of that negativity aside. This actually is really, really exciting. Uh, it checks a lot of boxes, like you said. Uh, and they were even kind enough to give it one toughness, so it's Recruiter of the Guard compliant. So oh, thank yeah. you, Watsi. That's a great benefit as well. I, and I, I will also mention, I love that it's a human. Uh, you know, that's certainly useful for the human tribal commanders we've just gotten in this set. All right, uh, moving on to the next one. Uh Enduring Angel is two white, white, white for a 3-3 Angel with flying and double strike. It says you have hexproof, and if your life total would be reduced to zero or less, instead transform Enduring Angel and your life total becomes three. Then if Enduring Angel didn't transform this way, you lose the game. Uh, Then the other side is Angelic Enforcer. It has flying. It, uh, It also says you have hexproof. Um, its power and toughness are each equal to your life total, and whenever it attacks, double your life total. What are your thoughts about Enduring Angel? The You Have Hexproof is pretty interesting. Um, that's not like terribly common text, and it doesn't exactly pass the vanilla test, but you know it, it swings for six in the air because of the double strike. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that I would ever plan on this flipping, since... A, you can lose from causes other than your life total hitting zero, in which case it will never flip. And B, if you end up being knocked to three, the next person in turn order will probably toss the, you know, the last whatever, yeah, whatever uh, they needed to, like the Pongify token to finish the job. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I, I, yeah, I think as a like way to save your life this is not very good i think it's it's an angel it's like a reasonable double striker that gives uh an interesting ability like you said usually they put like the you have hex proof on like a crappy two one for two <laughs> like they, that's not an ability that they put on like sturdy permanence very often um so that's interesting but it's just not gonna flip 
very often unless you have a way to cheat the flip. And kind of that all being said, <laughs> can I can I remember that bookmark that I had about Ludovich? Yeah. <laughs> so we're going to have to wait for the full rules. But basically, as far as judges can tell on the internet right now, just a reminder, when uh, Ludovic Necrogenius turns into Olog, uh, Ludovic's hu- hubris, he becomes a copy of one of the creatures you exiled. So let's say you exiled... You're playing an Esper reanimator deck or something like that. Maybe the new um, Sithis or something like that. Mm-hmm. You, uh, Ludovic, into Olog. Olog exiles some creatures and you make him a copy of Enduring Angel. So Enduring Angel's trigger has like failsafe on it. Like if you make a clone of Enduring Angel, uh, the clone is just a basically a, a token. It's a copy. It can't flip. It doesn't have a double face. So you just lose the game when you try to not die. Mm-hmm. Um not true with Olog. <laughs> so what ends up happening is because you have this object, the double face thing that is now a copy of Enduring Angel, it is a copy of Enduring Angel. So what happens is the transform trigger happens, and I think it's rule. Uh, I can't. I can't find the rule, but I have the screenshot of the rule from the rules, like the handbook itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, it transforms. But because it's a copy of Enduring Angel still, it's still a 4-4 blue-black zombie Enduring Angel, even though it transformed. Uh, so you get the trigger, it transforms so you don't lose the game, and then it's still an Enduring Angel, so you can't uh, uh, die to damage still. Um, and that's uh, just because of oh, layering so and copy abilities wait, and stuff so it, like that. Wait, so it becomes stuck in Enduring Angel form? Or can it then like switch back to... Like Ludovic? Like no, it, it's basically, yeah, it's kind of like stuck in Enduring Angel form because Olog is like copying the angel, like has all the, the printed characteristics of the angel, but still has two faces. So it doesn't matter that like the angel transforms and the angel would have two faces or that Olog has two faces because it transforms, you like literally flip it over, but it still remains copying the Enduring Angel. So like it doesn't matter that it flipped over, it still keeps the text of Enduring Angel because of the way that the layering works and the rules. Okay, so if you have a... Let me just make sure I understand this. If you have an Olog out copying Enduring Angel and you get hit down to zero, uh, it does it try to flip and then it's still a copy of Enduring Angel on the other side? Yes, basically. Okay. Yeah, basically both sides become Enduring Angel and it's just always an Enduring Angel. Wow. Huh. That, okay, that's pretty neat. Yeah, so uh, that is the, the sick tech. Uh, not good for Ludovic, but good for you if you want to play with Enduring Angel. <laughs> they're very cool. It's a real, It's like the most corner casery thing. Like, you have to have this copy that is itself a transform card so that you don't lose to the transform failsafe. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that that is awesome. Uh, any, any final thoughts on Enduring Angel before we move on? No, I think I think we should yeah, get on to this next one because it's I'm still trying to process that. But yeah, let's move yeah. on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, th- this next card is a is a a doozy. We're getting into more of that that good good white uh, white card uh, yes. promises that they've been yeah. they've been saying. Uh, I'll, I'll read this one off. It is fateful absence. One in a white for an instant. Destroy target creature or planeswalker. Its controller investigates. Uh, I 
I was stunned when I saw this card. To me, this seems like the most important card in the set. Um, it's, I mean, it's worse than Swords of Plashers. It's worse than, than Path to Exile. Uh, and, you know, and it kind of does something different than Generous Gift. But this is easily in the top four white spot removal spells. This is incredibly good, much better than anything we've seen in the recent past. Um, and I, I'm certain it's going to see a lot of play. Oh, yeah. This is, uh, this is, they keep printing cards like this. I'm going to think that white's the color of removal, you know? <laughs> yeah, we'll see if they're calling it a mistake in five years. But hey, yeah. for now, we've <laughs> yeah. got some more efficient removal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just wish, like, not to dig on the artist at all, but I do wish that the art was different, <laughs> was was more... There's it was I'm gonna play this card so much I'd like to have not looked at just an empty casket <laughs> every time I cast it, you know. Yeah, especially like the the full art version of it is missing the flavor text. So it it's not even it doesn't even have the context. It just looks like Soren standing over an empty coffin. It's like I, I mean, is this his coffin? Yeah. <laughs> The, it's unfortunate that they chose this card to uh, like highlight this important story moment because it would be better if it would just try to show something cool happening. Rather than yes. It also, absence. I mean, even on top of that, it almost makes you want to play the card wrong because the card, like the, the creature is just not even there. It's an empty casket. So you would think it's exile and yet it's destroy. <laughs> Yeah. So. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, but uh this is another thing that we've been asking for for years just for white to get more spot removal for creatures uh cuz it really you know, it has those those two iconic ones that everyone thinks about and then beyond that it dries up and and there's just so few good options. So, yeah. Uh After this that, is blue is a better creature removal color <laughs> so yeah. easily by a, by a long shot. Yeah. Um but this is uh, really, really heartening to see. And I uh, can't wait to see what other future white spot removal spells we get. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, so is this, I think this next card is going to be the first day night that's not uh, werewolf we're talking about, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, Gadric was also day night. Oh, Gadric, you're right. You're right. Thank you. Um, well, this is Gavany Dawnguard. This is a 3-3 three, three human soldier for three mana, one white, white. It has ward one, and if it's neither day nor night, it becomes day as Gavany Dawnguard enters the battlefield. And whenever day becomes night or night becomes day, look at the top four cards of your library. You may reveal a creature card with mana value three or less from among them. Put it into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom Oh, in any order. That's weird they didn't do the random. They've been doing the random order so, so much. I guess it's a small number of cards. Yeah. So um, this is the first day-night card we've talked about that isn't a werewolf, but the ability actually still matters. Vadric had some text about day-night, but it isn't super relevant. Um, And essentially, this just highlights the benefits that you might just passively get from bouncing back and forth to day-night. And in particular, with Gavany Dawnguard, if you are on a white X plan where you're looking to cast a lot of creatures with flash. Um, so if you keep casting White Man Lion in 
got Eternal Oketra, or if you, you know, are just incentivized to cast creatures with flash like you are in Afara, you can pretty easily go your own turn without casting a spell, make it nighttime, and then there's a pretty high likelihood that someone will change it back today. Um, mm-hmm. So you'll get two triggers out of this every turn cycle, and two cards a turn for three mana in white is pretty decent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I think that um, the the fact that this is so cheap and the thing it gets you is is relatively valuable uh, just makes this seem worthwhile. And there are a lot of decks out there that can um, that can easily forego casting things on their own turn, especially like you know, as you mentioned, white blue lists. It's not a huge burden to you know hold up counter spells, and then if if nothing happens worth countering, just play flash creatures or um or card draw spells or something like that so uh, i'm a big fan of this card yeah this is one of the cards where like i it made me go oh okay like i think i would deal with having to track day night for something like this i think this is enough value that i will deal with the upkeep of uh, flipping this like external game piece back and forth (laughs) Yeah, so this is the first of a uh, five-color cycle we're going to talk about. This is Intrepid Adversary. Intrepid Adversary is a 3-1 human scout with lifelink for two mana, one and a white. It has when Intrepid Adversary enters the battlefield, you may pay one and a white any number of times. So you can pay one and a white as many times as you want. Whenever you pay this cost one or more times, put that many Valor counters on Intrepid Adversary. Creatures you control get plus one, plus one for each Valor counter on Intrepid Adversary. So, uh, it's a 3-3 lifelink. And enters the battlefield. You can basically multi-kick it any number of times, and it gets that many counters. And for each of those counters, your other creatures get plus one, plus one. So, yeah. Wow. Um, this is the first time White has gotten something like this. What do you all think about it? Uh, I, I mean, I definitely like getting white, getting, um, Anthem effects that scale well to commander that like really boost, you know, the plus two, plus two, the plus three, plus three things that, uh, make your token generation go wide. Um, but I don't love like how fragile this card is. Um, it's it's the kind of thing where you can, you know, pump it up, uh, swing in with your tokens, and then this gets removed by a spot removal spell and you kind of get blown out. Um, that's something I'm a little bit wary of. It, I would really have loved it if it just put plus and plus one counters on all your creatures. But, you know, that being said, it's uh, certainly cheap, easy to recur. Um, it's nice that you're your two MV reanimation can get back a, a really big can get back a really big um, anthem kind of out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I'd like to echo that. Uh, the fact that you can pay into that ability if you cheat this in off of like Winota or Dauntless Avenger, the new card uh, is just kind of a nice quality of life improvement. I think maybe what I would have liked to see in a perfect world is if this thing put counters on itself, and buff mm-hmm. other creatures you control. Um, so as we'll see when we talk about the other adversaries, they put counters on themselves. Yeah. Um, and so if this scaled off the number of counters on it, 
then you could put like other plus one counters on it and kind of like cheat the effect. Mm -hmm. But as it stands, you know, um, this is, I mean, a pretty reasonable kind of overrun looking effect in white, uh, which makes it look like a fine finisher in a non-green weenie build. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's pretty much what I feel about it is like I've complained so much over the years, like literal years that mono white just doesn't have enough oomph to end the game uh that even though i think this is like kind of on the weak side i think that that is totally fine <laughs> I, i'm i'm happy to see this i'm not going to complain about it i'm i'm gonna run it and uh, i'm glad that it works with uh flicker effects the way that it does so happy to see it um and yeah we'll keep talking about the adversaries because they vary in goodness <laughs> mm -hmm. drastically between the colors so um some are not even worth mentioning so <laughs> exactly um so this next card is sunset revelry this is a two mana sorcery it is one in a white it says if an opponent has more life than you you gain four life if an opponent controls more creatures than you create two one one white human creature tokens if an opponent has more cards in hand than you, draw a card. So I think it's um, in a in a four player game. It's pretty reasonable to get uh, the card draw mode, and and just the fact that this is most likely going to be a cheap cantrip makes me uh, much more willing to experiment with this and just put it in my decks and see how it plays. But I think that if you're maybe doing like a white black list. Some sort of deck that is able to to sacrifice to to sacrifice its creatures, like manage its creature population pretty well, then you could reasonably um, get the the token mode um, pretty consistently. And I think that you know if you're casting this to make two tokens, draw a card for two mana, that seems like a pretty pretty good card. Um, it's just whether you're in the right build and like the right metagame to make that happen. I, I'm, and with that, I think we should move on to the next card because we got so many. Uh, it is Sigarda's Splendor. Two white-white for an enchantment. As it enters the battlefield, note your life total. At the beginning of your upkeep, draw a card if your life total is greater than or equal to the last noted life total for Sigarda's Splendor. Then note your life total. Whenever you cast a white spell, you gain one life. So uh, what do you think about this card? I think this is cool. Um, I think it's weird. Uh, I, yeah. I think uh, <laughs> just the way that they wrote it is it makes it not sound fun. Yeah, <laughs> you know, no, like a chore. Yeah, they made <laughs> this like white life gain slash card draw spell like feel like homework, and that's I feel like that on its own is a feat. Probably not one that they like intended to do. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um. That said, I like it. I, I don't think this fixes white card draw. Um, I think it's very good in some decks. Uh, and I am glad that they're moving in this direction. This this shows that they are listening and they're trying to to put some oomph back into the color. And that, that makes me really happy. It feels like maybe Ari Nia, the, the white member of the Council of Colors, was kind of like looking over their shoulder as they were the, designing this card. Like, you don't get to a design like this i you know kind of just from blue sky spitballing it seems like um 
they were very, very conscious of like these restrictions need to be on it or it's not going to be a white card. And if if it needs to be if it's got to be this difficult to make white draw cards in a way that's not tied to its creatures or not tied to like uh, kind of controlling what your opponents are doing. This is the case in like Mangara the Diplomat or something. Um, maybe I don't even know if it's like worth pursuing this line because it's such a such a pain in the ass. Uh, <laughs> like this yeah, is only going to be. Uh, this only seems like it's going to be good in like pillow fort lists that can, you know, really protect your life total and keep it on the on the up and up. But what were you going to say, Alex? I mean, maybe what we really ought to be asking for, perhaps, is just uh, some some more effects that can tutor out these low mana value creatures, and then we just reuse them over and over. Which, yeah. I mean, I think that aligns more with Watsi's conception of what white's portion of the color pie is anyway. It's just we don't we don't have the tutors to make that work. 60-card formats do, but mm-hmm. in Commander, we just don't have the density. Yeah, I'm definitely hoping to see more things like Ranger Captain of Eos or Recruiter of the Guard because Esper Sentinel has like performed pretty well for me in terms of cards drawn uh, in the the games I've played him so far. And so just being able to like consistently find that if that if this is the only thing I'm allowed to have, just let me find it in most games and I'll I'll work with that. Yeah, and keep it alive after it dies four times. Yeah, absolutely. Well, speaking of uh, low mana value reanimation, yeah, yeah. Uh, this next card is Sigardian Savior, three white white for a three three creature angel with flying. When it enters the battlefield, if you cast it, return up to two target creature cards with mana value two or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. <laughs> we were on the verge of greatness. <laughs> I know it. Uh, that that if you cast it line is just. No fun allowed. Complete bone zone. Uh, if it didn't have that line, you could do some really neat things with like Safi Eric's daughter or um, Priest of Fell Rites. Yeah, but... it's it's so interesting to me that like Revel Arc has existed for almost over a decade now. Over a decade. Well over. Yeah, well over a decade, and um, and yet this card had to have the restriction on it. You know, like so strange. Yeah. Oh, well. Anyway. We have Vanquish the Horde. Six white-white for a sorcery. This spell costs one less to cast for each creature on the battlefield. Destroy all creatures. Well, uh, this looks a lot like Blasphemous Act. And I don't know if you've checked Blasphemous Act on EDH rec anytime recently, but... uh, these play in a ridiculous number of decks 73,000 um Mm. a couple things i do want to point out i think that you know a lot of people are really high on this card it's it's probably right to be high on this card but um when comparing it to blasphemous act there's a couple things to note um blasphemous act doesn't have a lot of good competition for red board wipes so part of the reason that it sees so much play is because, you know, you're building a red deck. Oh, I probably want some mass removal. My options are Blasphemous Act or a bunch of crappy cards that either don't deal enough damage to finish off a lot of important creatures or 
Uh, they just cost way too much mana to do so. Like, you know, if you want to kill a Titan with a Star Storm, it's going to cost you eight mana. So, like, Blasphemous Act is the default, whereas with white um, board wipes, there's so many different options at, like, four and five mana, and there's, you know, a lot of neat bonuses you can get. Like, oh, I, I really want to also have this versatile answer to artifacts and enchantments, so I'll put Cleansing Nova in my deck. So, uh, Vanquish the Horde, I don't think it's going to see to be as important as Blasphemous Act is. And there's some other notable differences, like, you know, the, the floor on this card is, uh, is, or rather, the ceiling on this card is only paying two mana, whereas Blasphemous Act, the best case scenario, you're only paying one mana. That all being said, uh, I still think it's a very good card. Uh, it's, and I would consider running it in metas with a lot of creatures. Mm-hmm. I, I'm one of the people who's really high on this card. I think that um, even if it's not an apples to apples comparison, you know, like people are going to see this card, they're going to see the mana reduction and they're going to jam it. And this is going to, spoiler alert for the next, the the bonus episode, this is uh, going to be on my like top 10 cards we're going to see. Mm-hmm. Um, just simply because I think people are going to make that assumption. Um, and I do think for all intents and purposes, like most of the time when you're going to cast your wrath, it is going to be um, just two mana. Like it's, it's of the corner case of like, you're in a one V one and you don't want to spend uh, six mana or whatever to cast it, I think is going to happen infrequently enough that uh, the upside of it costing two in most parts of the game will be worth it for people. So I'm I'm uh, on the other side of of Nick on this one in particular. <laughs> I think this is gonna be gonna be cool, and uh, yeah, I agree that White has more options. So that that's the thing is like I'm not just gonna rush to put it on my decks because sometimes like my uh, my um, Tim of the Weaver list, like I don't want to blow up all my little guys. I want to hit with my little guys. So I'm going to blow up all your big guys and all the enchantments or something with my austere command. Uh, and that gives me way more versatility. So I think that being the case that there are so many options is going to mean that it's going to like temper what's going on here. Just as kind of a point of reference, Doomscar was sort of heralded as like the last wrath replacement in a little under 5,000 decks. Mm, uh, there you go. So, I'm but that is within a, a relatively short period. I'll, I'll give yeah, it that's that. true. That is yeah. true. Um, but you know, I'm pretty high on the card too. Uh, I sort of fall into the uh, optimist category of thinking, "Oh wow, it's a two mana wrath. That's great." Uh, mm-hmm. And you know, if it's not, it's not. Moving on to the next card. This is another card only available in set and collector boosters. Um, there's going to be plenty of those throughout this uh, set review Uh, Visions of Glory is 4 and a white for a sorcery create a 1-1 white human creature token for each creature you control and it has flashback for 8 white white Uh, this spell costs X less to cast this way where X is the greatest mana value of a commander you own on the battlefield or in the command zone Uh, so I just want to start off by saying that um, I love that they are incentivizing higher mana value commanders. 
that's great. It's certainly like pushing against the trend recently, which has just been to play super cheap commanders and they keep printing cheap, powerful commanders. Um, but I, I like that they're trying to counteract that. I sometimes wonder if that just means like you're going to run Timna as one partner and like an Akroma as the other. But um, what what do you all think of Visions of Glory? Uh, well, next to Call the Copper Coats, it doesn't look too great to me. Um, the the front side of this being five mana is a pretty big ask. The sorcery speed is also pretty painful. Uh, you can there there are a few options in white to generate a pretty large board of creatures at instant speed, and I think I would reach for those first. Uh, with that said. Quadrupling your board presence seems decent enough, um, but that flashback is going to hurt unless you have a pretty expensive commander. Um, I think if I had an Elish Norn deck, maybe I would consider it, but that's like the only thing that jumps to mind. Yeah, uh, I I definitely don't love this like rich get richer type of token generation spells like. Uh, it it just seems a little bit win more if you've got enough tokens on the board that Visions of Glory is going to really deliver for you. Then you probably like didn't want more tokens. You probably just wanted like you know a really good anthem effect or something because um, Visions of Glory isn't really going to help turn your board full of one ones into a lethal fighting force. It's just going to give you more one ones, and it also uh, doesn't really. I mean, it just changes the situation from, like, I'm going to trade, like, one card with my opponent's Wrath by, like, playing a token generation and uh, generation effect and pumping it up. Uh, now, like, I'm going to play my one token generation effect, and then I'm going to play my Visions of Glory, and then I'm trading two cards against a Wrath effect. I, I don't know. I, I'm not high on this effect. Oh, one more comment, I guess. This is part of a cycle, just so everyone's aware. Yeah, that is actually an important thing to note. So this is the one of um one of a few of these guys that that we're going to mention um I, the only thing i'm going to note on this is that like i i think that this is actually good in savine lists the chrono chronoclasm yeah. yeah so savine the chronoclasm uh has when you the first spell you cast from your graveyard each turn you copy or, or first instant or sorcery you cast from your graveyard each turn you copy so kind of made to be played with flashback cards um, and you don't really need that many creatures to get going to make this give you enough card, like enough guys that it's worth it. Sabine costs five, so this is only um, what this it's te- it's five mana to flash this back. Uh, so five yeah. mana on the front side to get some amount of guys, five mana on the back side to get an exponential more. Yeah, that doesn't seem bad presence. to me. Yeah. Yeah, that seems fine. And and a lot of the flashback cards in particular make the good ones make creatures. So um I think yeah, I think this is fine in a Savine list. Mm-hmm. That's pretty much it. <laughs> sure. All right. Well, uh moving on to the next card. This is a a simple one, but perhaps uh one that'll see a fair bit of play in Commander. So this next card is Consider. It is a single blue mana for an instant look at the top card of your library you may put that card into your graveyard draw a card uh what do you think about this one 
I'll be shocked if it's not an overnight staple. I'll be honest. Yeah, Opt definitely uh, sees a lot of play in Talrand, Octavia, Jory N, Veyrand. There's just a lot of um, spell slingery blue commanders that are just looking for cheap cantrips. And this is a slight upgrade, especially in Octavia. And uh, so I, I would imagine it sees play in those lists. But just in general, Opt sees a ton of play. It's it's in over 30,000 decks on EDH rec. So I, I wouldn't underestimate the the reach of consider it. I think it could potentially see a ton of play. Yeah, totally agree. All right, you want to read off the next card? Absolutely. So next up we have Curse of Surveillance, which is four and a blue for an enchantment or a curse. Enchant player. At the beginning of enchanted player's upkeep, any number of target players other than that player each draw cards equal to the number of curses attached to that player. Well, we, we now have a curse commander, so there is certainly a home for this card. Um, I think I, I like that, um, you know, it's it's certainly a, an effect that scales a little bit better to commander than a lot of the curses we've seen over the past. It's not, there, there's been a lot of like variants on, you know, kind of piddly one damage a turn curses so actually drawing cards is pretty sweet and scaling to the number of curses is fantastic so it's really great addition to uh to your lind deck i think yeah i when i saw this i thought of honden of seeing winds which is the shrine that lets you draw for each shrine you control Mm -hmm. um and that's one of the shrines that if you're you know playing that list it, it feels like cheating when it's out um just the card flow on it is absolutely crazy so you know this looks like a pretty sweet curse payoff to me uh it's a little puzzling that you can choose to target other players just to like really make them feel horrible but i guess that's curses for you yeah uh i really like that um it triggers on the player's upkeep so you could i mean this may actually influence sort of how you stack your curses in a game with lind because you know all things being equal it makes sense to start piling curses on the player on your right on the off chance you draw curse of surveillance so that you can get your cards immediately and like give your opponent sort of less opportunities to remove it before you get your value Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah but um moving on to the next card this is uh one of the more powerful Disturb cards, I think. Do you want to read this one off? Sure. So this is Malevolent Hermit. It is a 2-1 human wizard for one blue. It has blue, sacrifice Malevolent Hermit, counter-target non-creature spell, unless its controller pays three. And then it has Disturb for two and a blue. And when you Disturb it onto the battlefield, it becomes Benevolent Geist which is a 2-2 with flying, a spirit wizard. Non-creature spells you control can't be countered, and if Benevolent Geist would be put into a graveyard from anywhere, exile it instead. Dude, I love this guy. (laughs) Grumpy pants. I know, yeah, both both of his visages are are pretty funny looking. Um, I I kind of like this guy. Like on the one hand, um, 
you know, you are sort of letting people know that you've got this answer and, and of course they can spend removal to prevent it from messing with you. But, uh, you know, even, even with the, the telegraphing what you're doing, it is nice to sort of pay most of your counter spells cost up front and then only have to hold up a single blue mana going forward. Like saw it coming actually sees relatively high adoption. Um, saw it coming is the foretell counter spell. And, and the thing about saw it coming is like, there's only so many foretell cards. If you're in a mono blue deck and you foretell something, it's probably going to be a saw it coming. So, and despite that, it's it's seen a lot of play, seen a lot of adoption. So I think that maybe the uh, losing the surprise factor isn't huge, isn't as much of a drawback as I would normally expect. Yeah, this is sort of like a Glenelendra Archmage for the, I don't know, speedier uh, climate we find ourselves in. These the days. modern era, sure. Yeah. I also, I would add that that backside isn't nothing, you know, having non-creature spells you control be uncounterable. Um, once you start moving on to, like, real counter spells, you win counter wars, it lets you uh, keep combos from getting busted up by counter spells. So mm -hmm. you might not always go for it, but it's there if you need it. Yeah, this is definitely one of the more reasonable disturb costs. A lot of them are, you know, Clearly, more geared towards limited. It you know, they appear to be things like, oh, in the very late game, this is something for you to do. Whereas this disturb cost is something you could reasonably cast in the early game in Commander. All right, uh, moving on to another blue card. This one is Memory Deluge. Two blue, blue for an instant. Look at the top X cards of your library, where X is the amount of mana spent to cast this spell. Put two of them into your hand and the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. And it has flashback for five blue-blue. Uh, what do you think about Memory Deluge? I actually actually like this card. Um, there's a card that was printed recently that's kind of like a variant on, um, on uh, Dig Through Time, which was a variant on... Ancestor. It was in 7th edition. They reprinted it once, but it's basically yeah. you look at the top 7 cards of your library, pick 2 of them, and put them into your hand. Uh, so in 20... Uh, sorry. In M20, Corset 2020, they had Drawn from Dreams, which is a 4-mana card that did that. It looks at the top 7 cards of your library, pick 2 of them, put them in your hand, and put the bottom in a random order. The rest in the bottom on a random order. And I liked that card, but the problem with it was it's a sorcery, and I just never really had the time to just fiddle around and do that uh, when I could be doing something more powerful most of the time or like needing to keep mana up. But Memory Deluge doesn't have that problem. It is an instant, so I think I might end up actually trying this out in lists that do want to keep mana up um, because kind of like you said, it's the, I don't know, the instant speed is really what's making this for me, and the fact that I can get so many cards off of it is uh, is great. It's great news. Yeah, this to me this just looks a lot like factor fiction. And I think if if you're in sort of a a classical blue control build, um, where you're just kind of like leaving mana open and countering threats and uh spending your, your leftover mana on draw spells, this just seems like a pretty good thing to do with your mana. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Um yeah, do you wanna keep on Keep on trucking. 
Mm-hmm. So this next card is Partisan Geist. Oh, sorry, Patrician Geist. <laughs> huh. Um, can see where my head's at. Um, so Patrician Geist is a two-two flying spirit knight for three mana, two and a blue. Other spirits you control get plus one plus one, and spells you cast from your graveyard cost one generic less to cast. Um, this is a weirdo. <laughs> yeah, this is a weird card. Yeah, uh, I think Moldrotha may be interested in this, but uh, Alex, I'll, I'll defer to you. You are the resident Moldrotha expert. What do you think about <laughs> this card? Yeah, um, so I think certain builds of Moldrotha will want it. I think it depends on if you're going for you know lots of spells each turn, or if you're looking to you know just sort of cash in on one big spell at a time and have options. Um, but, you know, it's certainly possible. I think other places where it would look pretty good, uh, Emery, Kess, Savine, uh, Silas Wren, or Vega. Uh, Emery in particular, since casting low mana value spells with no colored mana requirements is kind of the bread and butter of the deck. Mm-hmm. You could also... <laughs> reduce the cost of recasting Brokos, but I don't... That's probably not, like, a real thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I think that, like, when evaluating this card, you definitely have to think about, like, how much mana you're going to save over a given turn. So, like, you know, Muldrotha, Savine, you're definitely casting, like, a lot of spells from your graveyard on on many turns. And so you're going to, like, recoup the the cost of the patrician geist pretty quickly but i'm a little more skeptical of something like you know maybe a an emery or a silas wren where you know without uh synergies going on you're probably only casting like one spell from graveyard per turn um yeah that's, that's reasonable where i'm at with the card this feels like it's mostly a card in search of a deck though cuz like you know you know we can see commanders that could make use of the the cost reduction effect but for the most part the, none of those commanders are super interested in like buffing spirits so yeah. i'm wondering if this is kind of like a seed it, or well maybe this is intended to just make disturb a little bit more constructive viable or maybe there's something coming in the the blue white spirit precon that'll make this card make a little bit more sense yeah, I mean, it is talking about spirits on its other line of text, so I think it's reasonable to maybe expect that uh, that that's what they have in mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, any other thoughts on the Patrician, or are you ready to move on to this next guy? Let's move on. Okay, uh, next card is Poppet Stitcher. It is two and a blue for a 2-3 creature human wizard. Whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, create a 2-2 black zombie creature token with Decayed, at the beginning of your upkeep, if you control three or more creature tokens, you may transform Poppet Stitcher. And then the other side is Poppet Factory. It's an artifact. Creature tokens you control lose all abilities and have base t- power and toughness 3-3. And at the beginning of your upkeep, you may transform Poppet Factory. In the main deck, uh, it it looks a lot like a, a Talrand or a Murmuring Mystic. Um, I, I think that... It, it's certainly cheaper, but you know, decayed tokens don't really do much 
on their own. You have to like plan on flip into the poppet factory for them to be like worthwhile or for them to really be creatures. But what do you all think about poppet stitcher? So I'm pretty high on it. Uh, like you said, you do need to plan on flipping it. Uh, but if you want one of these effects, you probably want multiple of them. I don't think we're at the point that, you know, if you're looking for 10 of this effect, this isn't number 10. Yeah. So, so it's still on your list. And a 2-2 black zombie with Decade, eh, not as good as a 2-2 Drake with Flying. Um, but a 3-3 might be better than a 2-2 with Flying. It kind of depends on the board. Mm -hmm. And the fact that it plays nicely with those other effects, since there are very few uh, token generators in this vein that make anything bigger than a 3-3. Uh, you know, I think that is a point in its favor. Um, and the fact that the tokens keep their types. So with something like the the wizard that makes tokens, the insectile aberration. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. So with a card like insectile aberration, they stay wizards. So you get the buff uh, from the Lord and you can keep on making wizards as well. So that's nice. I, I honestly um, actually, here's a question. What do you think about running this card in the main deck of well, this might be spoiling a little bit, but there is a <laughs> a blue black midnight hunt commander uh, that creates decayed tokens. Do you think it makes sense to run it in that build? Yeah, I think it goes infinite, right? Oh yeah, great point. Oh, it does go infinite, yeah. Right, because the tokens lose decay and decayed, and then you make another one. So okay. yeah, that definitely makes sense. All right, so easy inclusion there. Um, but we'll <laughs> we'll talk more about that next week. Uh, moving on to another card that makes creatures lose abilities mm -hmm. is Sludge Monster. Uh, three blue blue for a creature horror. When it enters the battlefield or attacks, put a slime counter on up to one other target creature. Non-horror creatures with slime counters on them lose all abilities and have base power and toughness 2-2. Two, two. What do you think about this guy? So I like this guy. I wish that the ability was... Uh, dependent on the counter existing, not him existing. Um, I don't think it would be that oppressive. Even if it was just an attack trigger, Like I would have preferred that. And I don't know. So I, I'm kind of like middle of the road on this guy. Yeah, I can see why they didn't want to make this like a repeatable Darksteel bug. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and if it dies, you can you can reanimate it. The slime counters are still there. Um, so you yeah. can put everyone's commanders back in jail or whatever. Uh, the non-horror line is kind of bizarre. Yeah, really strange. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I think the idea is that, uh, like, if it let's say it didn't have the non-horror restriction, what would happen if it targeted itself? Uh, good question. That's a good enough question that I don't want to try and figure it out. <laughs> yeah, not, not on air like this. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. That's why it's there. Yeah. Uh, okay. I, I have a I have a one last question about this guy. Oh, sure. Why isn't it an ooze? Uh, an ooze horror. Yeah, yeah. Why not? Yeah. 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 That slime is counter weird. sludge. It definitely could. Yeah. You know, there. I, I don't mind horror as like flavor to like add a little bit of spice to another creature type. 
but there is like literally ooze tribal cards and there's literally scarecrow tribal cards. So why are, <laughs> why is Spoonie fingers and the sludge monster just classified as horror when we have other words? I don't know. Yeah. Weird. But moving on, <laughs> this is the next member of the adversary. Tri- uh, this is the next member of the adversary cycle. This is spectral adversary. A 2-1 flash flying spirit for two mana, one and a blue. When Spectral Adversary enters the battlefield, you may pay one and a blue any number of times. When you pay this cost one or more times, put that many plus one plus one counters on Spectral Adversary, then up to that many other target artifacts, creatures, and or enchantments phase out. Um, huh, wow. Crazy. Weird. They really love phasing now. It's Who would have thought? Uh, not me. <laughs> so, so offensive phasing can be powerful in the right circumstances, um, but the rate on this is pretty weak, even compared to like the other adversaries. I, I don't value phasing something out temporarily very highly in terms of in terms of the amount of mana I'm willing to pay for it. Uh, so this just. Yeah, you can like remove somebody's blockers, remove somebody's attack creatures that are attacking you, but that's like really specific. And also, those are effects you would expect to pay almost no mana for. Like a fog costs one mana. Um, and just like contrast this effect with like Cyclonic Rift or Rivers Rebuke or something. Like you can, if you want creatures or, or permanents out of the way temporarily, you can do it really, really cheaply. You can you can do much worse things than phasing for a comparable cost to Spectral Adversary kicked a couple times. Here's a thought. Maybe the intent was to use it defensively. Mm, but like even in that scenario, like let's say you're doing it against a board wipe, uh are, like you're you're on color for counter spells. You could spend two mana to counter the board wipe. Or you could spend like eight mana to play this and blink or and phase out a bunch of your guys. Sure, sure, that's true. Um, I guess it the color that it's in kind of I don't know precludes that possibility, but definitely disincentivizes that use. Um, I mean, at its face, right? I look at this compared to like Restoration Angel. And people pay four to rescue their creatures with Restoration Angel. Mm-hmm. Obviously, this can't go into like infinite combos in the same way, but it can protect other kinds of permanents. And if you're in like an aggro plan, it puts an invasive body on the battlefield at least. I'm not saying it's great, but maybe the defensive applications are are better than the offensive ones. Yeah, I, I mean, if we see like a good spirit tribal commander, I could see running that like you're going to be a, a lot of spirits have flash. You're going to be playing on instant speed a lot of the time. You could easily pass the turn with like most of your mana up and then potentially like get this guy on the board and blink some spot removal that was going at your commander or something. Um, like that, uh, that seems like a, a pretty reasonable use, but until we get something that really makes this the like creatureness of this card matter more, I would be more inclined to like solve problems with spells is kind of how I'm feeling. Totally fair. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the one saving grace of this is that spirits like flickering. 
and this works well with flickering. So if you have a way to like consistently flicker this, phase something out, it's not like the best value or anything like that, but it does mean that you have some weird toolbox to work with in Spirit Tribal if that becomes a thing, you know? Yeah, that is a good point. And it would be, I wonder if we're going to see some sort of flickering effect on the blue-white Spirit Commander or if they're just going to like tell us to rely on on Brago for that because Disturb cards all seem worded pretty carefully that you can flicker them and you know avoid the exile clause. Mm-hmm. So, hmm. I I feel like some synergy with flickering is definitely on their mind when they were designing cards in this set. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would I would hope so. It's really <laughs> yeah, that was a big part of Blue's plan in Abyssin Restored. So mm-hmm. that would make sense. Everyone's favorite set. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, this next card is pretty uh, crazy. <laughs> I'll yeah. start there. This is Triskai Decafile. This is a 1-3 human wizard for two mana, one and a blue. Uh, you have no maximum hand size. And at the beginning of your upkeep, if you have exactly 13 cards in your hand, you win the game. There's also the activated ability, three and a blue, draw a card. Yeah, wow. They kind of buried the lead there with the the ordering of those abilities. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're like, oh yeah, you can, you can draw a card, whatever. <laughs> so, I, I mean, alternate wincon effects are sweet. This one seems a little tricky to pull off. Like, exactly 13 cards means that you have to, to really mind game a little bit, like let's say you can just draw a bunch of cards and you can get to the right number. Like it triggers on your upkeep and your opponents are going to have the opportunity to answer it. So you need to figure out like how many cards do I want in my hand such that I will like be able to answer my opponent's answers to this and still end up with exactly 13 cards when it gets to my upkeep. I I think there's some like interesting uh like mind game stuff going on there because mm-hmm. your opponents like you know if they see oh he's got 15 cards and it, if they like bet that you can't re- just reduce your your hand size for no reason uh, i just don't have to answer the trick of triska file and don't mm-hmm. give them an opportunity to, to get cards out of their hand i don't know <laughs> uh, it seems like it could be uh, a fun play pattern yeah i mean yeah. i think Maybe the most important thing about this card in terms of whether or not we should expect to see it is that Theros Beyond Death has been with us since January of 2020, right? Mm -hmm. Um, That means Thassa's Oracle has been with us just as long, and yet Laboratory Maniac is still in 25,000 decks on EDH rec. So... Clearly, these alternate win cons are things that people are interested in. The mm-hmm. worst version of Thassa's Oracle still sees that many decks. So, you know, I think people will try it. Uh, I think that there are certainly decks where it's easy to both get to 13 cards and to, you know, fix your hand back to the right number, even if you have to cast some spells in the interim. So, like, a zombie, for example, you can just tap a wizard and fix the problem. You're back at 13. Mm-hmm. This is a wizard. She's a wizard. Like, there you go. Uh, 
if you're playing on Elegeth, that's got lots of permanents that you can tap, things like that. Um, so, and kind of the nice thing is, right, like the spellbook effect being on the creature means it's reasonably likely that you're not going to be past 13 cards when you play this. Like, this is probably what is going to enable you to even start the journey to 13 cards. So, you're not likely to, like, overshoot anyway. Curious to see how it shapes out. Uh, I think you're you're totally right in that it, it will probably see more adoption than its power level warrants. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Azure Mage, I think, is in like 200 decks or some. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, and, that commander powerhouse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, Spellbook isn't doing much better. Um, so if you discount that extremely odd uh, middle ability, why is it the middle ability? <laughs> um, you know, it's not like terribly exciting card. Yeah. Yeah, there there is a card. This is one last thing. There's a card in M nineteen. Um, it was a blue rare. It's like a two one for two that had like five mana draw two cards or something like that. That also doesn't see any adoption, but I can't remember the card name. Someone on the internet yell at me. Oh yeah, uh, I was looking at that card just this morning. Yeah, and I don't know the name either. Yeah, it just like it's it's something to do with archaeology or something like that, but it just is not good enough. <laughs> Mystic archaeologist. There you go. Mystery Mystic Channel. archaeologist. Yeah. Um so if that isn't seeing high adoption, I I don't think this will either, you know. Yeah, but it's it's the lore of that middle ability like Oh the, yeah. I mean, people will, I think... People will design decks just to make that happen. Exactly. I mean, this is going to be the win condition for decks, but I, I think, like, if we look back in, um, like, five to seven years, it's not like a chance encounter is, like, a commander all-star, you know? It's just, like, some people like to do that. Yeah. So right. I think that's what this card's going to be relegated to after people kind of get over the fact that it says you win the game on it. But in three months. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. All right. Well, we'll check our predictions then. Uh, moving on to the next card. This is Visions of Duplicity. Two and a blue for a sorcery. Exchange control of two target creatures you don't control. Flashback eight blue blue. This spell cost X less to cast, where X is the greatest mana value of a commander you own on the battlefield or in the command zone. And uh, again, just a reminder, this is another of those commander cards only available in set and collector boosters. But what do you think about visions of duplicity? Weird. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, It's like, uh, well, I'll let you talk and then I'll just throw in some last thoughts because I I don't have too many thoughts about this card. Gosh, I always want these exchange control effects to be played and then Mm -hmm. I don't play them myself. So I'm part of the problem. (laughs) Yeah. I'm right there with you. I think like the magical Christmas land thinking looks at cards like this and goes, oh man, I'm going to screw up two people and then I'm playing Tromocratis so I can do it again pretty easily or blah, 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 you know, but um, in reality, it never plays as well as it looks like I think wrong turn is a good card. Uh, I think wrong turn uh, can do a lot of work for people and wrong turn last I checked wasn't uh, seeing 
Oh yeah, you you made a note of this, Nick. Wrong turn isn't seeing very much adoption. <laughs> yeah, I think it's so, like sub a thousand decks on EDH rec. Yeah, and that card is actually like legitimately very good. Um, but at, at, it's still not seeing a lot of play, so I I don't think this will either. Yeah, well, you can I always agree. give someone an untapped creature with from a Kratos. Mm-hmm. All right, there you go. Oh yeah, you mean <laughs> that's true. Yeah, <laughs> that is so. That's so funny. Yep. All right. Uh, what is the uh, next card we've got? Next up is Ghoulish Procession. It is one black for an enchantment. Whenever one or more non-token creatures die, create a two-two black zombie creature token with decayed. This ability triggers only once each turn. Uh, well, I, I think this is pretty similar to like a Blight Mound or a Pond of Ulamog or a Sifter of Skulls. Um, definitely has less combo potential because it, it's got that only once each turn trigger. Um, but still, I, I think it could provide a lot of sack fodder in decks running like Goonies and, and lots of sack outlets. Trishan especially looks really sweet. Um, being able to, to sack your zombie kill one of your opponent's non-token creatures immediately get a new token that you can use on your on the next turn um that seems pretty good uh yeah yeah what do you think about this card i mean it's pretty unusual that it triggers off of your opponent's creatures dying a lot of the other cards that you list are just your creatures Mm -hmm. um so like you said this works great with attrition it works great with attrition in places where blight mound and pollen of ulamog aren't likely to um, it also plays pretty nicely with um, the Pesa that copies death triggers. Oh, yeah. Um, since you can make even more zombies with Decayed each turn. Um, and Pesa is pretty popular, so I imagine this will see a boost just from that. Yeah, it's kind of neat how like this and Grave Pact are basically itself a combo. Like you, you attack with your decayed token, it gets sacrificed. Uh, grave pack triggers your opponents sacrifice creatures. Presumably, one of them is non-token. You get your zombie back. Yeah, uh, it seems like there's there's a lot of play to this card, and it's cheap. It's only two mana. Yeah, it's a very modest price for all that. Yeah, can I read off this next one? Go for it. Go for it. So this is uh, a land, and you might be wondering, are we at the end of the set review? Well, no, listener, I'm sorry, not quite. Um, this is Hostile Hostile. This is a colorless land. It taps for a colorless. And it has one tap, sacrifice a creature, put a soul counter on Hostile Hostile. <laughs> I can't believe they did this to me. <laughs> then if there are three or more soul counters on it, remove those counters, transform it, then untap it, activate only as a sorcery. So you transform it, and it becomes a black card, hence why it's in the black section. It becomes creeping in, and in is spelled I-N-N, like like the place you stay. <sighs> yep. Uh, it becomes a 3-7 horror construct artifact creature. Whenever creeping in attacks, you may exile a creature card from your graveyard. If you do, each opponent loses X life, and you gain X life where X is the number of creature cards exiled with Creeping In, and you can spend four generic to phase Creeping In out. So kind of like built-in protection for four mana, uh, big booty, three, seven, coming in hot. Um, Is this juice worth the squeeze? 
Hell no, absolutely not. <laughs> Are you sure? It's only three creatures and uh, like four turns. Yeah, no. Are you both sure? Sides, both sides of the card are a pun. Yeah, both yeah. they are. There are two puns on this card, and and it is going to have fans for that reason. Uh, but God, uh, as a sack outlet, like it just looks so weak compared to High Market and Frexian Tower. Uh, and I, I don't want to do any of the things on the reverse side of this card. <laughs> I yeah, I I am really not interested in this. Yeah. It, it, the fact that it's like not instant speed as a sack outlet is like absolutely terrible. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. there's no it, it's a mythic. It requires three creatures. You have to spend a mana to sack the creature. It's not a free sack outlet. Just bad. Like I, I maybe would have considered it if it was instant speed, but now I'm just never really I'm just gonna look at it and groan at the the double pun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you don't even get to keep the soul counters. Yeah, you don't even keep... What the heck, dude? Awful. All right. Well, the next card is a very <laughs> strong one. Uh, yeah. So uh, Infernal Grasp is one in a black for an instant. Destroy target creature. You lose two life. How, how do you feel about this card relative to the existing removal in Commander? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty much... That's pretty much it. This is just absolutely a new staple much like the white the white kill spell this is just wow just so good yeah um it doesn't really have conditions other than that you can't play it if you're at two or one life um but unlike pretty much every other two mana removal it doesn't have any targeting restrictions uh and uh you know you got 40 life so you're you're not really too worried about that two life loss yeah, I'm uh, very high on this card. It seems like just easily one of the best uh, black spot removal spells. And the only thing I, I think that might limit its adoption is just the fact that it's very marginally better and the the two life might scare some people off. So even though it is, I think, better than pretty much all the other options, it just might not see a whole lot of play. And also because there's just so many different options for um, black spot removal that it's not incredibly compelling to go out and get an Infernal Grasp when you've got 10 different cards you could be running compared to something like the the white spot removal spell we saw where it's like, I am, have been starving for spot removal in my mono white deck. I need to get this right now. Yeah, also looking at the pre-order, it's looking... Like it's already over a buck fifty. So, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, on account of the fact that, you know, a lot of people agree with us, apparently. Hmm. So that might slow it down too. Definitely. All right. Are you ready to move on to the next card? Oh, boy. Am I? Okay. Uh, I can read this one off. This is Lord of the Forsaken. Four black, black for a six, six creature demon with flying and trample. It has black. Sacrifice another creature, target player mills three cards, and you can pay one life to add C, or add add one colorless mana, rather. Spend this mana only to cast a spell from your graveyard. Where do you think this might fit into the format? (laughs) So this is in a category of mythics that one day I'll figure out a name for, but it's like 
begrudgingly playable and also going to be like just slightly more than you want to pay for it. So it's going to be like a $9 mythic rare because like <laughs> enough decks want it that it's good, but it's not universally applicable. So like you have that feeling of like, well, should I pick it up now? Well, it's like five bucks, but I don't have a deck that wants it. <laughs> like it's, it's in that category because really it's not doing a lot of things that every deck wants, but some decks do want it. Um, I don't know what deck wants to pay black and sack a creature to mill three cards when like Mesmeric Orb exists and Stitcher Supplier and and so many other things. But the pay one life add a mana to sp- cast spells from your graveyard, that is actually something that a lot of decks might want. So that's good in Chainer 2.0, Moldrotha, Brokos, uh, Dralnu that gives your spells flashback. Uh, Kess, Dissident Mage, Kethis, the one that lets you cast legendaries from your graveyard. So there's enough commanders that like want to cast spells from their graveyard that this effect is like good, but it's also a six mana demon. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not like you're going crazy with it. So it's like good enough to play probably not a powerhouse and you're going to pay like eight bucks for it. So yeah that that's the the six mana price tag is what really kind of turns me off about this card i've got like the same issue with it that i kind of had about patrician geist which is that Mm -hmm. i'm paying six mana for the pleasure of of paying life to get mana so i until i like profit off of this and, and if like this can get killed before i'm able to profit uh I am not really happy with that exchange rate. Yeah. Uh, Alex, how do you feel about this? Like, do you think you can, would you be happy to, to play this in Moldrotha? Like, do you think you can keep it around long enough to, to profit off of it? Um, I'm probably higher on the spirit than on this, just because of my specific build. Mm -hmm. Um, I could see the red, black chainer wanting this just because you could, pretty reasonably play like artifact creatures and just immediately make your money back you know or like revive an eldrazi titan or something or not a titan but an eldrazi Mm -hmm. um in which case you know then you actually did legitimately uh ritual um the other ones you're gonna want to end up spending colored mana um, which means that you're probably not actually even going to make any mana of the turn you play this, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it, took up your, it took up your turn six. So that would probably be where I would be most interested in it in, is uh, the red-black chainer. And then the other point with red-black chainer is you're actually, you have creatures to sacrifice, which is not true of a lot of these others. Yeah, that's a good point. All right, who wants to read off this next card? I'll take it. Okay. This is Mask of Gristlebrand, which is one black black for a legendary artifact equipment. Equipped creature has flying and lifelink. Whenever equipped creature dies, you may pay X life, where X is its power. If you do, draw X cards. And it has equip three. So, I mean, the for me, the easiest point of comparison is is skull clamp mm-hmm. um i mean obviously skull clamp is busted but whatever it exists so we got to talk <laughs> about it um so skull clamp costs one to play and equip uh you don't have to uh you don't have to pay any life 
when the creature dies, you just get your two cards. So compared to Skull Clamp, you know, you need to have a narrow color identity, a ton of mana, a separate sack outlet, uh, and a disposable creature with three or more power in order to generate more than two cards off of the mask. And I don't think that there are a whole lot of decks that can meet all those criteria. Um, I was thinking maybe like Jared Lichlord or, or, or Golgari Lichlord, whatever his name mm-hmm. is. Because he, you know, has big creatures that he wants to sacrifice, and maybe this could help you uh, get get some card advantage in that situation. But but Zach, you you're more familiar with Jared. What do you think about it? No, I, I do actually like that. It like the lifelink is not uh, in, in like a Jared list would be not nothing you'd be getting enough life to like be able to survive some swings and swing backs and things like that. And then you would be able to actively get the cards back. What I was thinking about this deck is that it's more just like gravy on the Voltron train where um, if you're playing a black Voltron list, like you're probably buffing your, you got your, what is it? Black Blade Reforged and all that kind of stuff. Your Locked on Warhammers, your your other swords that you're putting on your creature. So when you attack with uh, your Mask of Grizzlebrand, you're going to gain some life. It's going to hit pretty hard. And then the booby prize is that if they kill your Voltroni commander, you draw a bunch of cards. Um, I think that's where we're going to see this more. I think people taking the value... Skull clampy line of play is not going to be the first thought most people go to, but I I think that you're probably right that like Jared would probably be able to do it. I'm trying to think of other like big creature black. Yeah, I've I've got one that so like Kakusho would love to die with this thing on because oh, the yeah, life is true. literally irrelevant. Yeah, yeah. you <laughs> just gained 15, who cares about paying 5? Yeah. <laughs> um, the other kind of nice thing about this is the fact that the creature only has to get into one fight to get you enough life that the life gain is negated. Is kind of yeah. a nice little play pattern. Mm-hmm. The only other place I could think of that this looked really good is Carabek uh, the Merciless, on account of the fact that Carabek the Merciless is absolutely going to eat removal and is absolutely going to deal a bunch of damage. So uh, I would. You know, I would feel pretty good if, if for whatever reason, Caravex survived a whole turn, then next turn slapping this on there. That's a good point. Uh, there, I'm wondering if how how much are you willing to pay for lifelink in something like a um, something like a Greven deck? Ooh, uh, it gives flying. Flying and menace is pretty pretty hard to deal with. Yeah. Um. All right, something to consider. Yeah. Uh, but I think we can move on to the next card. Morbid Opportunist. Two and a black for a 1-3 creature human rogue. Whenever one or more other creatures die, draw a card. This ability triggers only once each turn. Man, they're really going pretty hard on that once each turn uh, triggering in this set. Um, but I think... Uh, even despite the fact that it doesn't like kind of help you recover from a wrath as well as things like Grim Haru Specs or Midnight Reaper, um, it, it certainly does work really well with sack outlet decks 
just allowing you to draw four cards per round of turns is respectable. Um, but what do you all think about this? Well, to compare it to the cards you just mentioned, uh, Grim Specs and Midnight Reaper are both non-token. Uh, so this immediately plays better with tokens, mm -hmm. uh, which are also pretty likely to be able to, like you said, siphon those off across a four-turn span. Yeah, that's a good point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I uh, I agree with that. I I think this is just going to do work in decks that um, wanted those cards in the first place. It's uh, cheap. It's easily recurrable. Yeah, it's it's good. So I don't know. It's it's not like a. It's so funny because it's not really a powerhouse or anything like that. It's kind of just like another redundant piece for a lot of decks that want something like this. Another role player in a set full of them. I know. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> the next card is the next member of the Tainted Cycle. This is Tainted Adversary, one in a black for a two-three <laughs> zombie with Death Touch. Uh, when Tainted Adversary enters the battlefield, you may pay two in a black any number of times. When you pay this cost one or more times, put that many plus one plus one counters on Tainted Adversary, then create twice that many two-two black zombie creature tokens with Decayed. What do you think about the adversary? Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. hmm. So it's two mana value. So it plays nicely with some of the cards that we've talked about already. Uh, and again, because it's one of these adversaries, you can pay that mana even though you've reanimated it or something. So if the way that your aristocrats deck is working is that you keep reanimating things that have low mana value and come with extra bodies. This is a thing that comes with extra bodies. Yeah. I, I mean, I think this is fine in a zombie list, like zombie tribal. Uh, again, like the adversaries having like ETB triggers as opposed to cast triggers. So it's not literally multi-kicker is actually a, a benefit for this guy because if you do happen to reanimate him, you can pay the three as many times as you want and make the make the boys come out come out to play um but that said it's just like not very it's it's, it's not crazy good <laughs> yeah I, I like a lot of the other zombie token generators better like not just in terms of rate um but also like a, a zombie with decayed is just not incredibly valuable to a lot of the the existing zombie commanders there's so many like good zombie token generators out there that make tokens that actually stick around that i'm not super high on this guy but the the fact that he scales to your mana is certainly nice there's a point of like if you want to use the zombies to attack this is not good and if you don't uh if you have other things to do with the the zombies like that's that's a uh, he's probably fine um and something else you can do with these zombies because they have decayed <laughs> is uh this uh aristocracy stuff which kind of leads into our next card on the list do you want me to read this one off is that okay go for sure. it yeah so this is the meat hook massacre this is a legendary enchantment it costs x black black it has when the Meat Hook Massacre enters the battlefield, each creature gets minus X, minus X until end of turn. Whenever a creature you control dies, each opponent loses one life. 
Whenever a creature an opponent control dies, you gain one life. So uh, that's a pretty good way to use those those decay tokens. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, this reminded me a lot of Massacre Worm when I saw it. Um, in mm-hmm. that it is a wrath that can cause life loss. Uh, and Massacre Worm sees quite a lot of play. Uh, 12,000 lists. Although, kind of looking at it, a lot of them are decks that want to reanimate the worm or like care about the fact that it's a creature. Uh, so like the fact that it has an even mana cost, for example, uh, makes uh, Garuda want it. But that's not true of all of the decks that are playing it. Um, you've got Grismold, Gaunty, and Massacre Girl, which all kind of fall into this category of, you know, trying to keep the board permanently clear. Uh, and in that strategy, this is going to cause a lot of life totals to move around and serves as one extra wrath to fit into that plan. Uh, I, I really like the Meat Hook Massacre. Um, I mean, it it looks a bit like Black Sun Zenith, which sees play in 10,000 decks on EDH rec, not all of which are, are minus one, minus one counter lists. Um, and so, yeah, it's I mean, it's... It's no to- toxic deluge. It's no damnation, but as a, a, I mean, it can certainly kill things. And then the base mode of just like two mana for an enchantment that's like kind of like a a Zulaport Cutthroat or kind of like a, a Blood Artist is pretty good. It's certainly a lot harder to remove than those guys, and and those creatures are just enormously popular. So as like a as like a blood artist variant with this kicker mode that just kills everything. I think it's really a solid card for like aristocrats decks. Yeah, I would definitely run this over, over blood artist in a lot of decks. The blood artist only taking out one player at a time is just painfully slow. Um, So, you know, each opponent losing one life, but I don't gain any life when my creature dies totally fine i can live with that uh all right moving on to the last black card this is another one of the set and collector booster exclusives um visions of dread is two and a black for a sorcery target player puts a creature card of their choice from their graveyard onto the battlefield under your control and it has flashback for eight black black and it costs x less to flashback where X is the greatest mana value of a commander you own on the battlefield or in the command zone. Uh, how do you feel about this? It's not an effect I usually look for. Um, there's a card, you made a note of Dredge the Mire, which was a card that when it came out, it was like, oh yeah, you know, if you're pruning your opponent's graveyards, maybe you'll be able to use this. And it just turns out that like, no one is doing that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like no one is doing that and running that card next to it. So also, Dredge the Mire is like each opponent gives you one of their creatures. Yeah. 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 So I, I don't really expect this to be off the rails. That said, like if you're running like a Torgar, like Famine Incarnate, or like some like incredibly he- expensive, maybe. Yeah. It's like not like three mana and then like between four to two mana to get a creature from someone and someone might just have one creature in their graveyard you know like that seems whatever even if you're just getting back like a rex sage or something 
that's fine, but this is nowhere near a powerhouse, you know. All right, we are moving into the red cards. And uh, Alex, would you like to do the honor of reading this next one? I most certainly would. Next up is Ardent Elementalist. Three and a red for a 2-1 human shaman. When Ardent Elementalist enters the battlefield, return target instant or sorcery card from your graveyard to your hand. So this is very exciting. Uh, this is the, the best red Archaeomancer variant we've seen to date. Um, I, I love that it recurs instants at only four mana. It's, it's pretty darn cheap. Um, and there's just a lot of, or there's a, there's a fair number of engines in red that this chest kind of slots into. Uh, it's got two power for Alesha. Um, in Felden, it can help you regrow your instants and sorceries. In Kiki-Jiki, you can copy it. Uh, what, what do you think about this card? Where do you want to use it most? I look at this, and I'm seeing a very interesting uh, possibility for an engine in red-white. Mm-hmm. This is recruiter compliant in both power and toughness. So effectively, you can run three copies of this, which, you know, that might be enough to justify slotting in other pieces to sort of set it up at the head of an engine of sorts. Mm-hmm. Um, in white, you can run teleportation circle, Eldrazi displacer, ephemerate, um, and you can keep recurring ardent elementalist in order to, you know, get back. Uh, removal or card selection out of your uh, red half. Um, in mono red, you can run uh, Conjurer's Closet as well, or obviously in red white. Uh, white also has Ghostway and Eerie Interlude. Um, so if you blink your whole board and then return them all, you get all of your enter the battlefield and leave the battlefield triggers, and then Ardent Elementalist can just get back the ghost way or the eerie interlude and you, you also can... uh use semester's end in that slot as well oh yeah there you go and then again in mono red you've got a couple options as well uh if you are like in a human tribal kind of situation you can use kindred charge and make a copy of each human you control which of course would include ardent elementalist and then you get the kindred charge right back and twin flame um you can uh, strive and hit multiple targets there uh, and, you know, create a uh, temporary copy of both this and something else, which can let you farm ETBs as well. Um, now, obviously, like any engine, it's kind of mana intensive, um, but I think the possibility for card advantage in a color pair that historically struggled with it uh, definitely, to me, makes this a pretty exciting card. Yeah, I agree with you, and I think it's the kind of thing that's only going to get better with time. Uh, I think, so So right around the time of, like, not long after Theros Beyond Death was released, um, some members of R&D were kind of like, oh, you know, we, we kind of talked about it afterwards, and we thought that, like, the blink effect actually could have been white, uh, the, the Thassa Deep Dwelling. And so, you know, we we just recently saw this kind of come into fruition with um, Teleportation Circle, and I wouldn't be surprised if we see more white blink engines in the near future. And then, of course, we have things, uh, additional ways to stretch our existing ones in white, because, you know, with Sword of Hearth and Home, we now can, like, turn a uh, an Open the Armory or a Steel Shaper's Gift or a Stoneforge Mystic into a blink engine. Uh, we also have now um, like uh, 
uh, idyllic tutor or moon blessed cleric as ways to find your teleportation circle. So we're we're getting pretty good on blink engines on repeatable blink engines, and now it's just sort of a matter of like it would be nice to get a few more archaeomancer variants in this color identity. Um, we really only have the elementalist, uh, the revolutionist, anarchist, and then uh, that spirit from the red white spirit from Strixhaven. Mm-hmm. So getting more things like that would really open things up wider, and, and and then it'd be nice to also get some some more spells with game winning potential because part of the reason that like the archaeomancer or variants are so good in blue is because once you have like an archaeomancer and a bouncer blink effect and a time warp, you've won the game. And currently there's not really something that can take that place as well in um in this in like a red white shell. So that's that might be a challenge. Maybe that mm, Maybe depending on like how they design these future blink engines, it it could be possible that if they trigger, say, at the beginning of combat, then you could make something work with like relentless assault and other extra combat step effects. But again, we just need more infrastructure to really get this into place. Yeah, I mean, another possibility, right, is and, and this is pie in the sky kind of thinking, but if white gets stifles, you you might be able to use the red extra turn effects where you would lose the game at the end of it. Mm-hmm. That's a good but point. But you just stifle the trigger, and then you don't. And that would kind of make it, you know, feel a little different maybe than what Mono Blue is able to do. Yeah. But so... uh, we'll need to convince Ari to uh, put stifle in white first. <laughs> uh, all right, we'll work on it. Um, let's see if we can get him back on Twitter first. Uh, but are you ready to move on to the next card? Yeah, let's go for it. Okay. Uh, so this next one is Bloodthirsty Adversary. It's one in a red for a 2-2 vampire with haste. When it enters the battlefield, you may pay two in a red any number of times. When you pay this cost one or more times, put that many plus one plus one counters on Bloodthirsty Adversary, then exile up to that many target instant and or sorcery cards with mana value three or less from your graveyard and copy them. You may cast any number of the copies without paying their mana costs. So uh, I was thinking about this in like maybe like Zeta uh, or, or other like red spell slingery decks where like one cheap cantrip could translate into a whole mess of cards. Um, what do you think about this, especially in comparison to like Goblin Dark Dwellers? I think this compares quite favorably to Goblin Dark Dwellers um, in so far as it scales a lot better. You can put more mana into it and get more out the back end. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, obviously, you know, that is probably one of its best contexts, but much like yourself, I've been getting a lot of use out of, um, you know, the Wild Guests and Tormenting Voice variants, and even just the opportunity to you know, run those through one more time and potentially play around with this body. Um, it doesn't look terrible, uh, especially, like I said, if you can do this more than once, um, maybe like Felden jumps to mind if you can keep making a token of it or something. Uh, another thing I wanted to to bring up is like, you know, it's worth noting that 
you know, wheel of fortune, wheel of misfortune, both cost three or less. If, if wheel of misfortune is any indicator that they're willing to print more of that effect at that, at that price point, then this could potentially just like refill your entire hand for five mana. That's, that's nothing to sneeze at. Yeah, definitely not. No, I'll said I think it has um, applications. I don't know how how far they extend outside of mono red, uh, but in that context, it looks pretty decent. No, I would agree with you there. Um, but are you ready to move on to the next card? Yeah, I'll go ahead and read this one. This is Burn Down the House. Three red red for a sorcery. Choose one. Burn Down the House deals five damage to each creature and each planeswalker. Or create three 1-1 red devil creature tokens with when this creature dies, it deals one damage to any target. They gain haste until end of turn. Looking at just the first mode on this card, um, it looks like a pretty good addition to Firesong and Sunspeaker. Uh, it, it's going to, not only will Firesong and Sunspeaker survive it, but you'll gain an enormous amount of life um, in the process of wiping the board with this, uh, with this card. So that's kind of what I'm looking at for this. I don't think it's going to be good enough in most decks. Uh, Finale of Devastation is is almost exactly this card, and it doesn't see a ton of play outside of those Fire Song and Sunspeaker decks. Um, or sorry, not Finale, Hour of Devastation. Um, but do you have any additional thoughts on this card? No, like you said, I think Hour of Devastation provides a pretty good sort of place to anchor our expectations here uh Mm -hmm. you know in things like uh torolf where you can throw the damage around or hactos where it just refuses to die it has applications that are pretty similar to hour of devastation um you know there might be a universe where a torolf deck would want this since it's dealing lots of damage in very small increments with those one ones Mm-hmm. Uh, so it can actually take advantage of the mode, the modes on this. Uh, but eh, um, I could see a world where Torbran would want this, uh, just because those one ones spread out your damage one at a time um, in the way that Torbran is looking for. Mm-hmm. The one hesitation I have there is dealing five to your Torbran and having to redeploy it yourself uh, isn't terribly appealing. Yeah, I. I would imagine you just wouldn't use that mode in the the Torbrand list, but definitely the the devil mode makes sense. Um, it's worth noting that recently it seems like we've gotten a lot of six toughness, like red legendary creatures between like uh, Ilharg the Razebore, Morog, Fury of Akum. Um, I, I'm wondering if like going forward that that they are going to like intentionally try to push more expensive red commanders to have six toughness and and maybe mm. we'll see a little bit more value in um in these five damage rafts as a result like atali is running a fair number of atali decks are running this card um maybe that's just sort of like a an in color combo that they're going to try to push us towards is like high toughness creatures and damage based board wipes yeah, I could see that as a possibility. Um, I'm not sure how much that is a recent trend, so much as just 
you know, as cards keep getting printed, eventually it'll become inevitably true. Mm-hmm. But the fact that, you know, Firesong and Sunspeaker survives this and is specifically six toughness, we might see it going in the other direction where, you know, they are aware that there are certain high profile red commanders with six toughness and will get fed some more of these five damage burn spells. Definitely possible. Do you want to read off this next card? Sure. So this is Curse of Obsession. Four and a red for an enchantment or a curse. Enchant player. At the beginning of enchanted player's draw step, that player draws two additional cards. At the beginning of enchanted player's end step, that player discards their hand. So, looking at this, and in particular in light of Uh, our new curse commander, you might actually be kind of tempted to enchant yourself, uh, at least through, you know, a draw step or two. Um, If you're looking to stay uh, hellbent or even just heckbent, like with... um, Pardon me. Where's the name of the god? Ah, well, doesn't matter. so whether you're looking to stay uh, Hellbent or Heckbent, this can kind of enable that and give you some more card selection while you do it. Mm-hmm. Um, at five mana, I'm not sure if that's like super desirable. Um, another possibility is, unlike most curses, this one is actually kind of bad to have even for a single turn. Uh, mm-hmm. So if you're on the Arden plan of you know, moving curses around with Arden. Uh, This is a pretty good one to move since each person will ditch their hand and then only draw two cards as a consolation. Um, If if it even sticks around on them before you move it again. Mm -hmm. Um, So you can sort of do a slow motion mind slicer uh, before you just stick it on yourself since you're probably running low on cards by then anyway. That's an excellent point. Um, yeah, I think it was a really interesting one. And I just want to note before we move on that this is another one of those cards only available in set and collector boosters. All right. Uh, so All right. I'll go ahead and read this next one here. Okay. This is Falconrath Pit Fighter. It is a single red mana for a 2-1 vampire warrior. It has one red discard a card, sacrifice a vampire, draw two cards. Activate only if an opponent lost life this turn. I, I'm very high on this card. I I know that like it looks like <clears throat> I know it looks very dirtily, and it looks like you're not getting a lot of value. Um, but you can sort of like cheat both of those costs a little bit. <clears throat> you can cheat both of those costs a little bit, uh, and then it's basically just like a card draw engine, and it. It comes down super early. Um, like in a an Edgar Markov list, you're gonna have so many of his his crappy eminence vampires running around. So like sacrificing is not a huge cost. And then um, like in terms of discarding a card, there's plenty of madness vampires to consider. There's also a couple of self recurring vampires like Bloodgast and Silver Smote Ghoul that you don't really mind dumping. So I, I think this is just like not only a madness enabler, a graveyard synergy enabler, 
Uh, it's a card draw engine. It's it's cheap. It's small. Um, and because you're you're in an Edgar Markov deck and you're flooding the board, you can easily like just row guys away to trigger the life loss. I, I'm really pleased with this card. I, I I like it a lot. Yeah, I think vampires is obviously going to be one of its strongest spots since it's asking right on the card to play vampires. Um, it's actually kind of peculiar how many vampires you'll see in your average aristocrats deck to sound like a broken record on aristocrats today. Mm-hmm. Um, but you've got, you know, Yeheni, Visrasir, Bloodflow Connoisseur, the eponymous Balkanrath aristocrat itself, um, all of which are vampires. Uh, and your aristocrat payoffs like Rule Celebrant, Blood Artist, Pawn of Ulamog, um, and specific creatures that like to die, like Bloodgast, um, all of which are vampires. So if you are, you know, looking at your red, white, black aristocrats list and just happen to notice that you're playing a lot of aristocrats, or uh, if you're looking through your red, white, black aristocrats deck and you just happen to realize you're playing a lot of vampires maybe take a second look at this Mm -hmm. okay uh this next card is flame channeler it's one in a red for a two two creature human wizard whenever a spell you control deals damage transform flame channeler and the other side is embodiment of flame creature elemental wizard it's a three three whenever a spell you control deals damage put a flame counter on embodiment of flame and you could pay one and remove a flame counter from Embodiment of Flame. Exile the top card of your library. You may play that card this turn. Uh, what are your thoughts on this? Well, looking at it, this looks like a pretty strong card for Burn. And Burn is not a well-supported strategy in Commander, but there are a handful of decks that do it. You've got Roshin Meanderer, uh, Sirkara the Bold, um, Neheb II, uh, the first mono-red one, and Fire Song and Sunspeaker, and those are casting a lot of spells that deal damage. Uh, so using the second half, Embodiment of Flame, you can get access to some extra cards in uh, color identities that would otherwise have kind of a tough time capturing card advantage. Yeah, I, I really love the idea of this in Sir Kara because it, it just kind of looks like another copy of Sir Kara, except it's significantly cheaper. One of the, the things that kind of hurts Sir Kara is the fact that she costs five mana. So being able to get your game plan rolling maybe a little bit sooner or or maybe if you get priced out of her, that's really appealing. And if at any point we see a commander that really supports burn, like a commander that can make shock playable in some mysterious way, uh, you know, Sir Kara and Flame Channeler are both going to be excellent includes in the 99. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just I'm gonna echo everything that you've both said because I, I really like this card. I'm really excited to play this card in arena where it's one v one and you don't need to care as much, but I await the day that I can actually make a burn list. <laughs> oh, you know, Canada. um actually this might be some tech for Agar, the the thing that um draws you cards when you deal excess damage with uh giants or instance of sorceries. Oh that's a oh, that's true. use right there. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. pretty good. Nice. All right. Can I read off this next one? Sure. Go for it. So this is Moonvale Regent. This is a 4-4 flying dragon for four mana, three and a red. Uh, Whenever you cast a spell, you may discard your hand. That's it. Just kidding. 
If you do, draw a card for each of that spell's colors. When Moonvale Regent dies, it deals X damage to any target, where X is the number of colors among permanents you control. And I do want to note that if this is your only non-land permanent and it dies, you deal zero damage because you don't have any permanents with colors. Um, so, fun fact, uh, how do we feel about this? Uh, it, it seems like it's aimed at the five color dragon commanders. Like it has the relevant type line. Um, and of course, whenever you cast one of those dragons, you could potentially draw five cards. Um, so that that's seems what it's aimed at. It's honestly a little bit weird for them to use like a, a standard release mythic slot for something that seems uh, that's, that's more of a commander design but i mean hey i guess they, they did it um, yeah. <laughs> it it could also be a good draw engine in uh and this is like incredibly niche but morophon human tribal it um a deck that's kind of all about playing multicolored humans for free in that deck it's kind of just like a draw engine because you're always going to be drawing like two to three cards off of every spell mm. yeah i like my my inclination was to say that this is really good in something like a Niv Mizzet reborn, like Niv Mizzet uh 4.0, <laughs> the five color one. <laughs> Just because every spell draws you probably two cards, but then like Niv Mizzet is gonna draw you not just the five cards off of Niv Mizzet when Moonvale region is out, but also a bunch like usually three to six cards from just the trigger. And then you pitch all of them when you cast your two drop. Like it just seems much worse the further I went into that vein. Maybe so. maybe Ramos drag, Dragon Engine would be a better place. Oh for yeah, it. that's a that's that's Since a good one. It's that's asking you point. to play as many five color spells as you can. Yeah, that's actually that makes sense. Uh, again, though, if Ramos is your only permanent uh, other than Moonvale Regent, when Moonvale Regent dies, you're not going to get any damage. Uh, but <laughs> whatever yeah, that, that ability is <laughs> yeah. a blank that's not what we're playing it for oh no 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 yeah. i'm just just reminding people just just yeah. like uh don't don't ping don't <laughs> just don't make sure your board state is everyone's responsibility you know mm-hmm. <laughs> so um do we want to move on to this next one yes next up obsessive astronomer one and a red for a two two human wizard if it's neither night nor day it becomes day as obsessive astronomer enters the battlefield. Whenever day becomes night or night becomes day, discard up to two cards, then draw that many cards. So uh, I think that there are some red, maybe like red blue lists out there that can play on instant speed or, or like skip their uh, kind of skip playing on their turn just to get the, the day night cycle going. And specifically, like Riel is seems fantastic with this. The idea of like casting this on turn two, casting Riel on turn three, and then in future turns, just like keeping the day night cycle going and getting like like you can get this multiple times per turn cycle relatively easily, and then you're just drawing enormous amounts of cards off Riel. And there's probably other commanders that could also be interested in this. So I'm. I'm kind of into it. Um, what do you all think about this design? 
Yeah, I like this. I This is another one of those where I'm going to try it because like the opportunity cost is so low. Like if I play a game and I only pitch two cards and draw two cards one time or two times, okay, whatever, I'll change it. But it's a two drop. Uh, this is probably going to happen like... Mm, if, even if you're not trying to, it's probably going to happen at least like... I don't know, would you say like four times in a game where it might change from day to night? I think that, oh, I don't I don't know. I, it, there's like a lot of variables because if this yeah, dies, then yeah, like it doesn't matter. Is, yeah. yeah. So, um, so I don't know. I, I'm feeling like I might be able to get some value out of this, but um, we're really going to have to play with it to find out. I could see... Uh, like Grenzo Dungeon Warden at two, maybe wanting this just to smooth out its draws. Mm -hmm. uh, Grenzo's ability lets you, again, I think the easiest way to get this day night thing moving is if you are the one who moves it from day to night. Yeah. Because I think someone will turn it back. Um, so if you just take your turn off, activate Grenzo a few times, and then, you know, let it slip into the other cycle. Uh, discard maybe some reanimation targets and then pull them back onto the battlefield. Uh, that that could look pretty good. Um, another kind of idea in a similar vein would be maybe Alesha that smiles at death. Uh, it's got mm -hmm. two power and discarding things into the bin is something that you're interested in doing. Yeah, that's a good point regarding Grenzo. I was kind of thinking about maybe um, Felden of the Third Path because that's another deck that like ideally you're going to use some of your you're going to use up a fair chunk of your mana every turn just activating your commander so it's not that big of an opportunity cost to to like not really spend your mana on other spells mm -hmm. um so so maybe just like red commanders that have uh activated abilities or, or mana sinks on them would be a good yeah. place to look for this card yeah like gen comes to mind in a similar kind of vein sure yeah yeah, so can I read off this next one? Mm -hmm. So this is a werewolf. This is Reckless Stormseeker. This is a 2-3 human werewolf for 3 mana, 2 and a red. At the beginning of combat on your turn, target creature you control gets plus 1 plus 0 oh, and gains haste until end of turn, and then has daybound. The backside is Stormcharged Slasher, a 3-4 werewolf. With at the beginning of combat on your turn, target creature you control gets plus two plus O, gains trample and haste until end of turn, and has night oh, and then storm charge slasher has nightbound. So yeah, I I like this. I think this is like legitimately good enough to see play like in a decent amount of lists. Um, there's a lot of decks that just want to make one guy work the turn you play them. Mm -hmm. uh, like, so one is all you need. Uh, thank you, Tenacious D, for those words of wisdom. Uh, and I think this guy does it for you. I, I, it's, it can attack if you need it to, and it gives things haste if you need it to. Um, and it isn't just an enchantment like Fervor that sits there and does nothing. <laughs> yeah, I... I kind of feel the same way i don't think this is going to be a format staple but there are some decks that are currently running fervor that could probably get more value out of like a creature and, and don't mind the trade-off of like oh only one creature is going to get haste each turn and that's fine 
I guess with that, do you want to move on? Yeah. Uh, mind if I read off this next guy? Sure. Oh, go for it. All right. Uh, this is Smoldering Egg. It is one in a red for a zero four creature dragon egg with Defender. Whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, put a number of ember counters on Smoldering Egg equal to the amount of mana spent to cast that spell. Then if Smoldering Egg has seven or more ember counters on it, remove them and transform Smoldering Egg. And the opposite side is Ashmouth Dragon, which is a dragon with flying and it's a 4-4. And whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, Ashmouth Dragon deals two damage to any target. So I this is another one of these... Um, one of these transform cards where the backside just doesn't really matter to the card's quality. Like, I don't think it's super worth it to try to flip this and get like a and get like a shock for your um, your spell slinger deck. But the front half is just like one of the cheapest eggs that you can possibly get, and so therefore it makes sense to put it in like Atla Palani egg combo. Because uh, Atla Palani egg combo is like you run Atla Palani, run a b- bunch of sack outlets, and then you run like eggs and changelings. Because uh, basically the idea is you don't want to have to wait to activate Atla to get an egg that way. You kind of just want to like have an egg and a sack outlet on the board when you drop Atla. And because Smoldering Egg is like one of the cheapest ones, it just replaces some like more expensive Ruck egg or whatever. Um, so I, th- I think it's an easy fit there, and otherwise I wouldn't pay too much attention to it. This is another of the commander card in a set booster cycle. This is Visions of Ruin. This is a four mana sorcery, three in a red. Each opponent sacrifices an artifact. For each artifact sacrificed this way, you create a treasure token, and it has flashback eight red red, much like the other ones. And the flashback cost is made cheaper uh, by X, where X is the mana value of your commander, of the commander you own with the highest cost. So uh, very similar, the exact same thing as the others in the cycle. But this effect is actually, um, dare I say, good? It definitely flows better than most of the rest of the cycle in that what it's doing actually synergizes with having an eight mana value commander. Mm-hmm. Uh, creating a bunch of treasure helps you get to the very large mana value that the flashback cost is asking you to aim for. You know, it's not going to be like a dockside extortionist in terms of how far it puts you forward, but it's going to slow people down by blowing up their mana rocks in the process. I'm not in love with this card, mostly because, like, uh, you can, there's so many, like, really strong pinpoint artifact removal spells in red like you know in comparison to a, a vandal blast or a shattering spree or a by force or etc etc um there's just a lot of way you don't have to rely on sacrificing an artifact um to force things to happen and well basically it's like not awesome as removal and as ramp i think you can do better as well I think you could do better as ramp as well. So I don't know. I, I just don't know if it if either half of this card is super appealing to me. Hmm. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, it's only taking you as far as like Rand Dynamo. Mm-hmm. Assuming each opponent has an artifact before Goes in three comes out. 
Yeah, I think it, that's really the thing that scares me about this card is that like you're gonna get paired against mono green or something. Yeah, like potentially yeah. there's a lot of value to be had, but like maybe I'm just risk averse is, is the problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, the other the other possibility that I kind of like with this is um, red has more ways than a lot of other colors to ditch this and go straight to that flashback cost. Mm-hmm. So if you pitch this to a tormenting voice, now two mana to have each opponent sack an artifact and you make that many treasures, that starts to look a little better, especially considering you've already cashed in on the card by mm. drawing a replacement for it. That That's a really good point. Um, I, I think that if this is just like a, f- a free card, um, then yeah, that that's way way more appealing just something to to dump in my yard and potentially get value from later i like that Mm -hmm. in in any event i like it a lot more than the rest of the cards in the cycle because at (laughs) least it's in conversation with what the flashback cost is trying to get you to do yeah yeah i agree um last red card for the day Mm -hmm. um this is voldaren ambusher this is a two two vampire archer for three mana two and a red when it enters the battlefield, if an opponent lost life this turn, it deals X damage to up to one target creature or planeswalker, where X is the number of vampires you control. So if you hit uh, a person, if someone has lost life, then it can kind of kavu something. I don't know. Where <laughs> well, actually, I do know. Where does this go? <laughs> yeah, in, in Edgar Markov list, this is just like, a three mana um, necrotal or whatever. Um, I mean, granted, it, you do have to hit somebody, but if you're going like one drop, two drop, and then this is your three drop, uh, assuming you can deal damage to someone, then it's coming in to deal six. Uh, so I think it's just going to be really effective at clearing away a lot of creatures, and it's it's cheap. It's you. It's a useful ability. I think Edgar is going to be super happy to have it. Mm-hmm. And I love tribal designs like this that are just like utility, but like not better than what exists. But like it is in your list, you know, like this isn't displacing like a card in the format, but it is putting a card in a deck that already exists. And I think that's that's a good tribal design. Mm hmm. Um, and we are in the green. Who wants to to start us off? Uh, all right, I can go with this first one. This is Augur of Autumn. It is one green green for a 2-3 creature human druid. You may look at the top card of your library anytime. You may play lands from the top of your you may play lands from the top of your library and coven as long as you control three or more creatures with different powers. You may cast creature spells from the top of your library. How do you feel about this card? So I think the first thing that should be said about this is I don't think it needs the Coven active to be good. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the reason Mm -hmm. I say that is because it is the same mana cost, exactly the same mana cost, as Corsair of Crufix, which, again, lets you look at the top card of your library. Well, in Corsair's case, you play with it revealed, um, but you can play lands off the top. There are some decks that are playing Corsair of Crufix because it's an enchantment. There are some decks that are playing Corsair of Crufix because it has a life gain component, but the vast majority of them do not care about either of those things. They are simply playing 
for Surf Crufix because it lets you play lands off the top, which this does just as well. And maybe you can play creatures too. Um, in that regard, I think it would be an upgrade in most of the decks that are using Corsair. Uh, but because we don't have a critical mass of this effect, it's probably just a decent additional copy. Yeah, and, and I really want to stress that uh, switching from playing with the top card of your library revealed to just looking at the top card is an enormous upgrade. Like, oh yeah, the I'm not sure everyone knows this, but if you like draw a bunch of cards with like a Corsair out, your opponents get to see like every one of the six cards you just drew. Like your hand becomes known information at all times, assuming your your opponents like bother to to keep track of it. Um, and so like being able to to maintain that secrecy and, and uh, asymmetry of information is a really big bonus. And I'm I would be happy to give up one point of toughness and the enchantment card type and and the life gain just to to keep my cards known only to me. I want to come up with a name for this kind of effect. We talked about the Goonies that we're stealing from Legendary Creature. Uh, thanks, guys. Um, but these are like the farmers or something like that. Like they just let you do stuff with your land, Oracle, Moldiah, Corsair, Crufix, Augur, Rangers, Verge Rangers. Yeah. yeah, there's there's a bunch of these guys that let you do this, and it's great. And I, I think that the green ones in particular, like as we get a critical mass, also just give you like incredible like late game superiority. Like we know from some data, we did an episode. God. I don't even know how long ago back now where it talked about um, the gameplay data from the game nights um, mm -hmm. that they kind of crunch the numbers on all their games. And basically, if you hit all your land drops every turn, you're very likely to win. It, your like win rate goes up a lot. Um, this being able to possibly cast creatures just increases that mono green late game inevitability that everyone uh, kind of talks about all the time <laughs> yeah you know? like, like this is a really subtly powerful effect i've um you know you know i've been playing a lot of historic brawl lately and there's been a surprising number of games i've gotten where i have like an oracle of moldaya and a like uh realm walker mm -hmm. set to like elves or something common on the battlefield at the same time and it's just like once i've got both of those things active in a deck that's heavy creatures, um, I, it kind of just doesn't matter what's in my hand. Like I, yeah. I can, I can. That, that's like an excellent way to dig yourself out of um, to have like the Coven active on Augur of Autumn is a fantastic way to dig yourself out of having no cards in hand because you're just able to to play the game as if your library is your hand, at least until you run into too many lands. Yeah, I mean, um, essentially, it's just a future site for two less mana in in a lot of green decks and a lot of green stompy mm -hmm. decks. Yeah, exactly. So I, uh, all of this is to say, I think this is a good card. I think this is worth your three mana and I think you should play it. <laughs> let, let me just like check. I'm going to need to like really quickly check my uh, prediction, my list of predictions. Cause if I forget if Augur of Autumn made the cut, but I think we all just convinced me to make sure it's on there. <laughs> uh, but any other uh, parting thoughts on the auger before we move on? Uh, no, because sung its praises. Yeah, yeah. I th I think this next card. It, it's good that we have a high note because this is a pretty low note for me, at least. Um, this is the consuming blob. 
It is a five mana ooze. It is a star, star plus one, uh, reminiscent of another famous card. It says consuming blobs power is equal to the number of card types among cards in your graveyard and its toughness is equal to that number plus one. At the beginning of your end step, create a green ooze creature token with this creature's power is equal to the number of card types among cards in your graveyard and its toughness is equal to its that number plus one. So people were comparing this to a certain uh, goyfy, tarmogoyf, two mana that kind of looks like that. But there's a problem and that problem is tarmogoyf looks at all the graveyards. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And this does not. So, yeah, it's also three less mana. <laughs> yeah. Well, to be fair, it does. Tarmogoyf doesn't make friends, you know. Just true. Is, true. is simply the goyf. Yeah, I I'm not super high on this. This is like a pretty underwhelming mythic in my mind. Compare if you compare it to something like Rampaging Bayloths, you can get like if you want large token tokens, you can use Rampaging Bayloths. If you want just a lot of tokens, you can use an Avenger. There's, I don't know if there's a lot of design space left for green token generators, or at least like high end green token generators. Um, uh, there's at some point there's just like a tyranny of existing options, and yeah. it doesn't really compete with them. Mm-hmm. And that's really yeah. all I would want to say about this card. I don't know if you have anything to add, Alex. Just to add, I don't actually even know that it would have been a problem if this was like Skute Swarm, where it, even the tokens made tokens. Yeah, I mean, if it maybe I'm wrong place. about that, but a lot of decks can't even pull off Delirium. So yeah. <laughs> these tokens are probably not going to be like terribly large. Yeah, and I think that like if Scoot Swarm only happened once on like once and only on your turn it wouldn't be an issue it's like the landfall decks where you're getting landfall four times that you know are are really what makes scoot swarm pop off so yeah. you're, you're probably right like commander games are only so many turns there's an upper bound on how many times this is going to trigger mm-hmm. yep so all in all mm, whatever but you know what? I'm kind of okay to have more whatever green mythics. So, mm-hmm. and this is a mythic. I did not mention that, but it is uh, one of the green mythics in the set. Uh, this next one, oh man, holy cow! Like, <laughs> I guess should I keep reading? <laughs> yeah, go for it. Yes. All right. So this is Outland Liberator. This is a two-two human werewolf for two mana, one in a green. And it has one sacrifice, outland, liberator, destroy target, artifact, or enchantment. That seems familiar. It also has daybound. The backside is frenzied trap breaker. It's a 3-3. And it has one sacrifice, frenzied trap breaker, destroy target, artifact, or enchantment. And it also has whenever frenzied trap breaker attacks, destroy target, artifact, or enchantment, defending player controls. Yeesh. (laughs) Wow. So it's worth noting that this card was spoiled before Cathar's Commando. And so we all got really mad. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I had a rant prepared for sure. Yeah. There there were a couple days where we're just like in a crummy mood. Um, (laughs) Now that like white has has gotten something comparable, we can 
just discuss the card on its own merits rather than view it as like a symbol of great injustice. So, so what do you think about this card? So it looks pretty good. Um, it compares favorably to Caustic Caterpillar. I don't think that this even needs to flip to be desirable, um, that whenever Frenzied Trap Breaker attacks trigger, you don't even need it. The card is fine without it. Um, mm -hmm. If it ever happens, great. Maybe you'll destroy two artifacts and enchantments before this thing dies in combat. Yep. Uh, I, I totally agree. Um, Caustic Caterpillar sees play in 15,000 decks on EDH rec, so plenty of adoption. And I think this is their, this could certainly see play in a lot of the same lists, especially like Muldrotha, Marin of Clan Neltoth, and Corvold. Makes sense kind of in all of those places. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really have too much to add. Um, this is just on. a good card. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. The last adversary. I'm gonna read this and then I'll let you all rip rip into him. Uh, this is Primal Adversary, a four-three trample for three mana. It's a wolf that costs two and a green. When Primal Adversary enters the battlefield, you may pay one and a green any number of times. When you pay this cost one or more times, put that many plus one plus one counters on Primal Adversary. Then up to that many target lands you control become three three wolf creature tokens with haste that are still lands. So <laughs> uh, permanently animating your lands in Commander is going to lead to some blowouts. Uh you're like there's enough board wipes that yeah, like you're just gonna get totally trashed um but uh micah who is one of our patrons um suggested running this in an indestructible lands list uh like perhaps running a lot of the um the bridges from modern horizons 2 and that seems like a good idea so if you uh maybe you're looking into the the golos geddon's indestructible lands list uh this could slot in alongside some of your other land animation effects Oh, hey, um, this is Zach, really quietly jumping in to say that anything you listen to past this part of the set review is unedited. So if we repeat phrases, this is just going to be a little bit of uh, the sausage being made that you get to be a part of. Woo! Five-hour episodes. Um, so, yeah, thanks for making it this far. I hope you enjoy the rest of it. I apologize for any clicks, clacks, or other things. Uh, I just have a lot more to edit and figured if you made it this far, you probably are just enjoying it and uh, will enjoy the rest of it too, even with little gaffes and whatnot in there. So, uh, yeah, enjoy. Bye. I'm a slut for animating lions. I love this, <laughs> but I don't think this is a good card. <laughs> yeah. so there, I, this is a, a difference between like being into the effect and like acknowledging how good it is in commander mm -hmm. <laughs> like i yeah. like animating lands i know i'm gonna get blown out but um and i would not recommend this for most decks but this is uh something i'm gonna try and play so definitely not a universal appeal i mean it is noteworthy it absolutely devastates the vanilla test um like far and away Every two mana that goes in is four power out. So if you're willing to take the risk or if it's no risk at all, then it, it has a lot to offer. Mm -hmm. Yep. And like the baseline stats are crazy. Like 
three mana for a four three trample. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess that's fire design for you. That's fire design for you. Um, um, do you want to move on to this next fire card? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll read this off. This is Tovalar's Huntmaster. Four green green for a 6-6 six, six creature human werewolf. When it enters the battlefield, create two 2-2 two, two green wolf creature tokens. It has Daybound. And the opposite side is Tovalar's Pack Leader. It's a 7-7 seven, seven werewolf. And when it enters the battlefield or attacks, create two 2-2 two, two green wolf creature tokens and two green green another target wolf or werewolf you control fights target creature you don't control. And it has Nightbound. So, uh, what are your thoughts on this and does it remind you of anything? It does. It's Grave Titan, kind of. Um, <laughs> you just don't always get the, the zombies when you attack. It's got this fight clause, which is different, but it doesn't have death touch, which is different. And sometimes it's a 7-7. Seven, seven. Um, but all said, it's very similar to Grave Titan, but I think I would rather have a Grave Titan most of the time if I had the choice. Yeah, I think it's worth noting that, um, you know, the deck that is most interested in like werewolves and wolf token generation is uh is of course tovalar and he costs three mana so like he's you know kind of already up and running for three turns by the time you cast this um so i just don't know if it's like an awesome uh i don't know if it carries a ton of weight in that deck compared to just like a young wolf which is going to draw you way more cards over the course of a game you know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. yeah i think the one of the places I was thinking of um was Tulsa Mirror 2.0. Um like this makes a bunch of wolves for Tulsa Mirror the turn after Tulsa Mirror comes down and you don't really need to do much more after that, you know? Yeah. So that's a good I, point. I figure you could flip it easily in that deck. Uh make more there's not that many good wolf creation cards and this is like pretty good at it. So that's that's kind of my thought on it. Yeah, and that fight ability isn't nothing. Mm -hmm. You know, it's obviously this thing is like a curve topper in werewolves, like you said, but eh, it's repeatable removal. So, you know, yeah, that, that counts for something. I mean, it's certainly like like a lot more attractive in a list with both where with werewolves in it. Uh just because you're like most wolves aren't especially beefy. But uh, speaking of beef, do you want to move on to the next card? God, yeah. The, we found the beef. The age old question. All right. Um, uh, go ahead and read this off. Yeah. So this is unnatural growth. This is a five mana enchantment. It costs one green, 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 green. Uh, so that's a hefty green cost right there. At the beginning of each combat, double the power and toughness of each creature you control until end of turn. Every combat, <laughs> <laughs> every creature, each creature, each combat. Yeah, this seems yeah pretty strong in like heavy green builds that just naturally have a lot of large guys. Um, Xenagos, Goreclaw, and Galta are all the, the first ones that come to mind for me. 
Uh, could also just be like a strong Voltron enabler. Uh, it's, I mean, certainly is going to reduce the clock of any large green creature you're running out of the command zone. Yeah, there are a couple that have Shroud that if you, if for whatever reason you built them, Kadama of the North Tree or Multani Maro Sorcerer, they have Shroud, so it's kind of hard to buff them up, but this will do it. Mm -hmm. um, it's also kind of interesting, this wakes up Nylea just right on the spot because of that quad green and the cost. Um, so if you're interested in having an Nylea that's awake, this is a good way to do it. Oh, yeah, that's that's a good point. Oh, yeah, and that's then, another thing that uh, is nice about the running this in Xenagos is that this gets you almost, this in Xenagos is like six out of seven devotion needed. Right, whatever you play will probably do it. Yeah. Um, and then with Tanazir Quandrix, um, you, depending on your board, you can either double his power and then make everything an 8-8, or you can double the power of something else and then make it a base 4-4, depending on what would be more. So this is another opportunity in Anazir Quandrix to like make the table watch as you do math. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Uh, let's see. Oh, it's also worth noting uh, this turns Atarka World Render into a one-hit kill. Mm, oh. Delicious. Yeah. yeah Just like Galta. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I yeah. can't believe this helps you cheat out Galta, Galta as well. That's kind of crazy. Yeah, a lot of synergies with this card. Uh, seems like a sweet one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, wow. that's They, they did that. <laughs> um. And I guess we got one more vision. Well, yeah, we got one more visions from the the uh, set booster cycle of commander cards. Um, can I read this one off? Sure. So this is visions of dominance. This is three mana sorcery, cost two and a green. Put a plus one plus one counter on target creature, then double the number of plus one plus one counters on it. It has flashback of 10 so eight green green and that is reduced by the commander cmc as the other ones um i don't know where would i want to put this so there's uh, a couple places so it's i mean it, it it's worth noting that it looks a lot like hydra's growth um which is two and a green for an aura that when it enters the battlefield you put a plus plus one counter on enchant creature and at the beginning of your upkeep, double the number of puzzle plus one counters on Enchanted Creature. So there's certainly a lot of overlap there. And that card sees a fair bit of play in Skullbriar, in Pelucranos, um, in Mowu, Loyal Companion, uh, Halar, the Fire Fletcher. And then it, uh, I think this would also make sense in like Gargos, Vicious Watcher. Because when you target uh, any of your creatures, Gargos fights something. And a lot of the Hydras you're going to be running in Gargos enter the battlefield with a ton of counters. So even if you're targeting like your primordial Hydra or whatever with this, Gargos fights something and the Hydra gets real big. Yeah, a place that I thought this might be good is uh, Hamza, since Hamza has kind of an artificially inflated mana value. Mm -hmm. um, you get the flashback maybe cheaper than you ought to, given how much you're going to pay for it. Mm -hmm. And then you're already running creatures with counters. Potentially, one of those creatures is a Hydra or something that really wants to get its counters doubled. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really good place. I was thinking like Pier and Toothy, like doubling the counters on Toothy is never really a bad thing. Uh. You know, and then like uh, there's probably some partner builds where you can kind of cheat that second part. Because like I know Rayhan, Last of the Abzan, like wants to get big but is only three mana. But like what if you're partnering that with uh dargo or so you know what i mean like something where you're getting eight mana off or e- even just like a uh dark baron send gear or something like that getting six mana off of that activation for the second time like it seems like you'll be able to cheat it with partners as well and and there's a decent amount of partners that want the plus one plus one counters so that was a thought i had about this card that was um, one of the themes in Commander Legends. It sure was. <laughs> um, all right, so now uh, just one million multicolor cards that are role players. Is everyone ready for this? We'll, we'll try to get through them quick. Yeah, right. they, they're all... I mean, the, the problem is like there's a lot to say about some of them, like this this first one, so I don't know if anyone wants to get into it. Uh, sure, I'll, I'll read it off. It's Faithful Mending. White, blue for an instant. You gain two life, draw two cards, then discard two cards. Flashback, one blue, white. Uh, so, man, if they only, if only they'd knocked off the life gain, we could have got this even cheaper. But uh, what do you think about this card? Uh, well, if we knocked off one mana, uh, then it would have to be a red card, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> as you said, uh, this is essentially Faithless Looting, but in a different color combination. But Faithless Looting is very efficient. Uh, so even if we slap one more mana on to this cost, it still looks pretty good. Um, if you're in white, blue, uh, X commander colors that you're looking to mess around with your graveyard, uh, which there's not a ton, but there's some. You've got um, Bruna, Light of Alabaster, Horde of Notions, uh, Sephiris, Sharum, Vadrock, um, Neombi, as uh, Zach knows. Uh, and even like Scion of the Ur-Dragon, um, those all tend to play around in the graveyard. Um, Gavi enjoys that this is a very cheap way to draw two cards at instant speed. Um, and then obviously Bralin and Shabraz, anytime you're drawing and discarding, uh, those cards are interested in what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this card rips. <laughs> this is so cool. Um, so yeah, it is two mana, but the fact that it's an instant makes me just uh, so happy. So I'm I'm really excited to play with this card, and it's just a funny uncommon. So that's mm-hmm. most of the cards we're going to talk about in this next multicolor section. Honestly, yeah, yeah I'll I'll read off this next one. Um, this is Blade Stitched Scob. It is blue black for a two three creature zombie soldier. Other zombies you control get plus one plus o, and you know. We we talk a lot about how like plus one power as a buff doesn't generally scale well to commander, but there are commanders out there that just like really want to have as many zombies on the board as possible. So like if you're in Varina, you, you need two drops anyway, might as well run the one that's a lord for all your guys. Um so I think that there's a, a couple places that this can fit into the format. Yeah, lords get good in high volume. For sure, and zombies definitely have the volume. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. It doesn't really matter that this only gives you plus one plus zero when, like, the next lord you play in Verena on turn three also gives plus one plus zero, and you're also made tokens. And 
it just starts going wild. All right. Uh, speaking of lords, who wants to read off this next one? I'll read it. This is Vampire Socialite. Black, red, or a 2-2 vampire noble with menace. And when Vampire Socialite enters the battlefield, if an opponent lost life this turn, put a plus one, plus one counter on each other vampire you control. As long as an opponent lost life this turn, each other vampire you control enters the battlefield with an additional plus one, plus one counter on it. So this looks like a great addition to Edgar Markov. Um, you know, it's it's super cheap, it's low on the curve, but there's enough one drops in Edgar that you could realistically like play a one drop on turn one, activate the socialite on turn two, and then all the then all the vampires that come in following it on, on following turns are also going to get a permanent buff. So I love that it's still going to have an effect even if your opponents kill it. Um, it seems like a strong lord for that deck. Yeah, this is a very complicated way of wording what is a pretty simple effect, which is to say it's a lord that killing it doesn't help. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is... And that's great. Cool. That's great, yeah. Um, can I read off this next one? Sure. This is Dire Strain Rampage, a sorcery. It costs one red green. It says destroy target artifact, enchantment, or land. If a land was destroyed this way, its controller may search their library for up to two basic land cards, put them onto the battlefield tapped, then shuffle. Otherwise, its controller may search their library for a basic land card, put it on the battlefield tapped, and then shuffle. And it has flashback for five, three green, green. Sorry. It has flashback for five mana, which is just three red green. Uh, so yeah, just do it all over again. Uh, how do we feel about this? So I, I think if you're running Roiling Regrowth in your like red green landfall list and you don't actually care that much about the instant speed, then this seems like an upgrade. Um, you can use it on one of your lands and, and just get that kind of effect, the double landfall. And it also and it has flashback and it has that alternate mode of like if there's a terrifying artifact or enchantment, you can just sort of path to exile it away, sort of. And even in a pinch, if you need to take out a guy's cradle, you'll still be happier to see two basics than that. Yeah, very true. Definitely. Yeah. I'm I'm high on this card. I'm just not sure how high on this card I should be. Um the fail case of it kind of just being like a throw of it just being a throwaway ramp spell makes me think that it has pretty broad application. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're, I mean, you're not giving away like that much. And the fact that you get a second crack at it too, there's just a lot, a lot of options and a lot of potential going on with this card. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that like, the worst case scenario is on this card is just not that bad. And, and you're right. It does have a lot of versatility and utility. Uh, but any, any parting thoughts on Dire Strain Rampage before we move on to uh, another werewolfy type of card? <laughs> just that I'm really struggling to decide if it's going to be on my top 10. Mm. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, well, uh, listeners, you'll have to come back next week to find out. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I'll read off this next one. Um, 
This is Kessig Naturalist. This is a 2-2 human werewolf for red-green, so mana value 2. Whenever Kessig Naturalist attacks, add red or green. Until end of turn, you don't lose this mana as steps and phases end, and it has daybound. The other part is Lord of the Elvenwald, a 3-3 werewolf that has other wolves and werewolves you control get plus one, plus one. When Lord of the Elvenwald attacks, add red or green. Until end of turn, you don't lose this mana as steps and phases end, and it has nightbound. Um, so, yeah, another werewolf. Werewolf, woof, woof, lord. <laughs> another werewolf lord. Uh, there. I mean, it, it goes without saying that this fits into Tovalar, but I just like a lot of elements of this design. Um, I'm a big fan of like these attack trigger uh, ramp effects. Not only, I mean, for the same reason, I really enjoy um, the like vigilance plus mana dork synergy. I just really like being able to get my attacks in and still cast things with my creatures. Um, and then it also, I like the potential it, it could open up for ramp in red. Uh, so, I mean, there's a lot going on with this card and I really enjoy all of it. This entire cycle of um, uncommon like tribal enablers has been really strong. Got the blue one, which appears to not be included on our... Uh, that review one wonder why that is <laughs> <laughs> i wonder why um can i read off this next card is that is that okay yes the next tribal enabler go for it yeah so this is join the dance this is a sorcery it costs green white so mv2 it says create two one one white human creature tokens and it has flashback for three green white so mana value of five um so yeah, front side make two guys, back side make two guys. What's not to like? So, so I'm gonna read off uh, what I wrote before Catilda got spoiled. <laughs> uh, so uh, token generation at this rate does not see a ton of play in white, as Gather the Tones folk and Raise the Alarm can attest. However, the popularity of cards like Cranko's Command and Dragon Fodder, uh, thanks to decks like Zeta, Cranko 1.0, Wart 2.0, and Perforos show that if the right commander came along in a color identity uh, and that commander desperately needed lots of small tokens, this could spike in value. Or, or lots of humans. You said lots of humans. Or too. lots of humans. Uh, so uh, th- then Catilda got spoiled, and I this is easily an inclusion in Catilda. Same with Gather the Townsfolk. Catilda definitely pushes the value of these human tokens uh, above their the baseline of just like 1-1 one, one idiots. Um, so I, I think it is perfect for that deck. And otherwise, I don't know if there's any deck that are really interested in this. Yeah, I think uh, Katilda made it playable, like you said. And that also, I think, just makes Gather the Town Folk playable. Also, it makes like anything that makes decent humans playable, um, which, you know, is like not too many cards at this point but at least it has a home you know all right uh mind if i read off this next one go ahead uh this is right of harmony it is green white instant whenever a creature or enchantment enters the battlefield under your control this turn draw a card and has flashback for two green white so what do you think of this card 
This thing has a few factors working in its favor. Uh, the fact that it double dips on archetypes by triggering off of creatures or enchantments, I think, mm -hmm. is a point in its favor. The fact that it's an instant is a point in its favor. Um, and just the flashback uh, gives it another opportunity, uh, which is a point in its favor. Um, I think the best place for this is decks that are going to be making tokens at instant speed. Mm -hmm. So uh, Re Reese the Redeemed or Gave um, typically fall into a play pattern like that. They just sit on it as long as they can and then, you know, double up their board or make a bunch of sapperlings. Uh, and in that event, you're making... Or in that event, you're drawing a lot of cards at a fairly low opportunity cost. Um, I think... If you're drawing three cards on the front end and the back end of this, that's that's a cost I'm pretty happy with. Um, and I think there are a number of decks that can accomplish that. Yeah, I, I think that the fact that it um, is triggering off of things entering the battlefield rather than casting, the fact that it triggers off tokens, there's a lot of really appealing elements to this card. So I'm also super pleased. Uh, that this got printed. Yeah. I don't have much more to add. Can I uh, read off this next guy? Mm -hmm. So this is Can't Stay Away. This is a sorcery. It's a rare. It costs white-black, so two mana. Return target creature card with mana value three or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. It gains if this creature would die, exile it instead. And it has flashback for five mana, three white-black. Okay, so uh, actually, do you want to go ahead? Alex? Yeah, uh, confession time here. I actually, I really struggle to figure out what Extus is doing. Um, I've never seen an Extus deck, and I just still can't wrap my head around what it wants. But I think this is what an Extus deck wants. Uh -huh. um, you know, it's talking about the three mana value creatures. This is a sorcery. You cast it twice. I don't know. Um it could also be good in Tyam, since Tyam is looking for that three mana value threshold as well. And if you mill this, it's not the end of the world. You can just flash it back. Um, sometimes you just need to reanimate a creature that's going to accumulate counters that you can then turn into more reanimation. So, mm -hmm. uh, Personally, I'm pretty low on this card. Um just because, like, in the same set, we're getting Crawl from the Cellar, which is a single black mana for a sorcery. Return target creature card from your graveyard to your hand. Put a plus one plus one counter on up to one target zombie you control. And it has flashback for three and a black. So let, let's say you're, like, reanimating a one drop with Can't Stay Away. Then Crawl from the Cellar is just, is basically just better because you can like just get the one drop back and cast it uh and it doesn't have that drawback text that it gains um and for a two drop you do get a little bit of uh mana savings by casting can't stay away but you're adding this drawback to it and crawl from the seller has the benefit of getting back like any creature so you could get back a six drop um so like can't stay away i'm I just think like you're giving up a lot of versatility and getting a lot of downside uh, for relative to like things that typically come very cheaply 
in Commander. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's totally fair. I'm certainly not going to die on the can't stay away hill. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> I, I feel the same way. I, I, I'm i going to give this a shot. And uh, I have like a Timna list that the partner has been dancing around. I've been switching partners trying to find what I actually want to do <laughs> with that mm-hmm. deck. Um, but like this seems fine because there's so many one and like two mana creatures, you know? Um, so I don't know. Yeah. Well, we'll see where it lands. I, I I'm inclined to agree with Nick that like, I'm probably not going to see this or not want to play this very often, but I think in some decks, it's going to be great if you can flicker things, things playing, a like a teleportation circle, it's going to be great, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so the next card, uh, I, I'm just going to keep talking, so I'm going to read it out. <laughs> so this is Rite of Oblivion. This is a sorcery. It's another Orzhov sorcery. It costs white, black, and it has as an additional cost to cast this spell, sacrifice a non-land permanent, sacrifice a non-land permanent, exile target non-land permanent, and it has flashback for four mana to white, black, but you have to do that again. But do do the additional cost again. So um, the first time, two mana and a thing to exile something. Second time, four mana and a thing to exile something. So how do we feel? I like it pretty well. It's The sorcery timing restriction is not the best. Um, and sacking a creature twice, again, it's not, not the best. But it ends up being a two for three, um, since you sack two creatures and right of the oblivion Rite of Oblivion is only one card, um, and it exiles the problem. It, it deals with any non-land permanent, more or less permanently. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you if sacrificing a non-land permanent isn't coming at much of a cost to you, then this is pretty flexible removal at a cost that you can mitigate. Yeah, yeah. I think that's totally reasonable. Like two vindicates uh, is on a single card is pretty sweet. And you're right; there are a lot of decks out there that can uh, avoid this cost one way or another, either by sacrificing tokens or goonies. Or um, there, there's just a lot of things that uh, don't cost you too much to lose. Uh, yeah. Uh, I'm good to go. I think that covers most of this. Okay. Uh, I'll read off this next one. This is Diagraph Rebirth. It is three black green for a sorcery. The spell costs one less to cast for each creature that died this turn. Return target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield, and it has flashback for five green and a black. Uh, What are your thoughts on this card? So if listeners haven't noticed, I'm Pretty high on flashback in general. Um, I tend to, you know, view it as a pretty good upside. Um, this card is a card that is active in the graveyard that interacts with cards in the graveyard. So if you are haphazardly milling yourself, this is going to essentially be something that you draw for free that is pulling from this pool that you're building up over time. Um, And it's in a pretty good color combination for doing exactly that. Uh, In black-green, we have 
um, Moldrotha, Marin, um, Tyam, Sidisi, Herador, all of those are on the plan of just dumping as much as you can into your graveyard. Uh, and many of them also involve a component of sacrificing creatures, which means that this could potentially be uh, two reanimates, each of which is only two mana, you know, in, and I don't even think it's really magical Christmas land. I, I think that's a pretty achievable bottom line. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I actually agree with that, um, that sentiment, you know? Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Um, I have always been a big fan of Dread Return, and so similar variants just uh, give you more options for how to play out of your graveyard and, and utilize this this resource that a lot of decks are, can effectively build on. Um, it is also like, man, there there I can imagine like milling a bunch of cards, flashing back Dread Return, and then those creatures you sacrificing reducing the cost on your Diagraph Rebirth, like beautiful there's some oh yeah um amazing uh lines that are opening up like especially with two card combos um but i think we can move on to the next card this is ghoul caller's harvest it is green and a black for a sorcery create x two two black zombie creature tokens with decayed where x is half the number of creature cards in your graveyard rounded up uh flashback for three black and green and so th this, uh, uh, I think this slots pretty well into self-mill decks or decks that can uh, get a lot of guys in their graveyard and, and make use of the tokens. So Sidisi, uh, Brood Tyrant, she has, she has a lot of self-mill going on. Uh, a lot of creatures end up in the graveyard. And then because she makes zombies, it, it makes sense that you would have some zombie enablers in the in the set and or rather in the deck and that you could get more value off of these zombies than than most other lists. And then Izoni um from the most recent Ravnica block, she makes she wants you to fill your graveyard full of creatures so that she can make a bunch of insects when she enters the battlefield. And then she has a mechanism to sacrifice creatures to draw cards. So even though these decayed tokens aren't particularly good as creatures, she can convert them into more cards. So I think it could make sense in either of those lists. Yeah. Yeah, right. absolutely. I think yeah. uh, Carador might also be a decent place to look um, since Carador is looking to get that cost reduction from having a full graveyard. Um, oh, you're already kind of playing in that space. And because you are probably looking to cycle a creature in and out, you will have sack outlets that these uh, decayed zombies might be useful to uh, feed into. Hmm. All right, yeah, uh, I don't have anything to add. Mm -hmm. uh, who wants to read the next card? I'd like to talk about the next card. Okay. Uh, I could read it off then. Cool. So this is Brutal Cathar. It's two and a red for a 2-2 human soldier werewolf. When this creature enters the battlefield or transforms into Brutal Cathar, exile target creature and opponent controls until this creature leaves the battlefield, and it has Daybound. The other side is Moon Rage Brute. It is a 3-3 werewolf with first strike and ward pay three life, and it has Nightbound. 
So here we have a Fiend Hunter variant um, that, because it has two power and two toughness, it complies with both the red and white recruiters. Uh, and unlike Fiend Hunter, you might actually get more than one creature exiled with this, which that's pretty good value on a three mana creature. Um, you know, it, it's not a guarantee uh, by any stretch of the imagination, um, but, you know, Fiend Hunter, it's played in 8,000 decks, so not a terribly small amount. Uh, and in red-white decks, I think this is a pretty direct upgrade. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I agree. Like, the ability to... The, the potential to hit multiple creatures is there. Like, there's some shenanigans you can do with Fiend Hunter that you can't do with Brutal Cathar just because it's two triggers instead of the one that's on Brutal Cathar. But right. um, I think if you're just trying to like get things out of the way for a while, like this guy's this guy does it, you know? Yeah. I'd point out that um Banisher Priest uh is is maybe a more direct analog. That one's in just over two thousand decks on EDH rec. Um but there is definitely some play with this because you can get the trigger multiple times um like I, I don't know maybe a quick straw pull here but if you put somebody else's uh commander under your banisher priest how often would you say they leave it under the priest and how often would you say they put it back in the command zone oh they pretty much always put it in the command zone yeah so yeah. like this could be really good at just like harassing commanders um especially if you're running a deck that can play mostly on its opponent's turns. Like... Yeah, that, that is one of the things that I'd like to bring up, is the fact that this card isn't actually red at all mm -hmm. uh, and is being artificially pushed into white-red is kind of a big knock against it. Um, oh, yeah. If this thing could be in mono-white and uh, harassing commanders or, you know, white-blue and harassing commanders, um, that would probably be a lot more on plan than you're typically going to see in a white-red deck. Um, but as it stands, you know, we live with the card that we have. Um, perhaps one point is uh, this uh, might attack as not a human and then be pulled off the top as a human in Winota. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's a great point. Yeah, that actually, it, that's wonderful. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I like this card. Um, I agree with what you said about it being unfortunate that, like, despite you not spending any red mana to cast it, it's just counting as a red creature because of the back half. There's, in a, just a little bit, we're going to get to a card that is in a similar situation that's, like, really egregious. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I'm I'm also not a fan of this design, but whatever, they're... Not really thinking about Commander when they make these cards. Yeah. Speaking of thinking not really about thinking Commander. about them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, speaking of thinking about uh, about Commander, um, I don't actually know if they were with this next one. <laughs> uh, this is Croaking Counterpart. This is a sorcery. It costs one green-blue. Um, it says, create a token that's a copy of target non-frog creature, except it's a 1-1 one, one green frog. And it has flashback for five, three, green, blue. Uh, so 
this stood out to me because uh, so many of the spells that create copies of creatures um, combo off with a dual caster mage. So dual caster mage is one red red for a 2-2 human wizard, and when he enters the battlefield, uh, you copy target instant or sorcery spell. So basically, if you cast Croaking Counterpart targeting any creature, uh, then you dual caster mage it, and then have the copy come in and, and make a copy of dual caster mage, then that new token, I, I guess that frog dual caster mage, can come in, make a copy of the original Croaking Counterpart, and then you just have infinite dual caster mages. So that's an appealing use for this card if you're in like a, a rug color identity. Um, other, uh, what other uses do you think this card could have? Yeah, it uh, looks pretty good with green, blue X commanders that are essentially spells. Uh, so the Niv-Mizzet Reborn, the five-color Niv-Mizzet, um, Prime Speaker Zagana, Ishana, or Karuga, all, pretty much all of those are just big card draw effects. Like mm -hmm. they enter the battlefield and get you a bunch of cards. Uh, and this lets you do that again for three mana and then lets you do it again for five. Um, which is probably what you want to do, since all of those are five mana or more. Yeah, yeah that, that makes a lot of sense. The other possible place for it is if you are playing a deck like, um, like Riku of Two Reflections or something, where you're looking to create creatures that... Uh, and, and this is some, some old-looking meta, but if you're looking to make lots of magnetic forces or something, you don't particularly care if they're 1-1 one, one green frogs. Mm -hmm. mm, that's they, true. they still deal their three on each upkeep. Yeah, that's... Yeah, definitely true. Excellent point. Um, can I read off this next guy? Sure. Yeah, so this is uh, Root Coil Creeper. This is an uncommon plant horror. It's a 2-2 two, two for two mana. Green, blue... It says tap, add one mana of any color, tap, add two mana of any one color, spend this mana only to cast spells from your graveyard, and blue-green tap, exile root coil creeper, return target card with flashback you own from exile to your hand. Uh, so I, I saw this and thought of Moltrotha, but Alex, you can, uh, you can check me on that if uh, you don't think it'd actually be good in your list. Yeah, it seems like... A pretty good mana dork to me. Um, it's not every day that you see a two mana card that ramps you two mana, uh, and this will do it pretty reliably for you. Um, it even helps you out with colors uh, on the off chance that that's you know something you need if you need a lot of, say, blue mana one turn for whatever reason. Yeah, I really like uh, this the the way they've been designing a lot of mana dorks that are two mana and then they tap for one and then under certain conditions they tap for two that's i think a really good way to add power and like direct playables right into specific decks like elysian caryatid from um theros beyond death that's another one that's like oh if i have a four power commander that costs four this is fantastic in that deck but in most decks it's a little bit uh less appealing but uh I think we can move on to the next one. Sure. This yeah. is Suspicious Stowaway. It's one and a blue for a 1-1 human rogue werewolf. 
Suspicious stowaway can't be blocked. Whenever suspicious stowaway deals combat damage to a player, draw a card, then discard a card. And it has daybound. So the backside, seafaring werewolf is a 2-1 werewolf. Seafaring werewolf can't be blocked. Whenever seafaring werewolf deals combat damage to a player, draw a card and nightbound. So uh, more than 50% of Edric lists on EDH rec run Looter Ilkor, which is essentially the same thing as Suspicious Stowaway, but um, Suspicious Stowaway, of course, has the ability to flip, and then instead of being a looter, just draws cards. So this seems like an upgrade, although you'd probably just run it in addition and replace something else. But I, I really... Ooh, I really dislike that the color identity of the back half is green because this is a really good rogue. And unfortunately, you can't run it in the only rogue tribal commander, Anawan. Um, so it's, it's green color identity is really limiting uh, the, the decks it can be useful in. Yep, this one, yeah. I, this one is the one that kind of gets me the most. We just had, like, Anawan was, was less than a year ago. So it's like not like it should be. Well, yeah, it's still technically less than a year ago, right? Yeah. Am I tripping? Yeah. So it should mm-hmm. still be fresh on people's minds. I know we're getting a deluge of spoilers. I say as we go through a spoiler season, with another spoiler season within like a month and a half or mm-hmm. <laughs> something like that. But um, it just seems weird. I I agree. It's it's weird that uh they would make these cards unplayable in. Mm, like a mono blue list even though you don't need green mana to cast it you know yeah and and honestly like there are mono black werewolves in this set like if they just made it a black werewolf on the back half that would solve the problem it would be no trouble at all yeah but i guess that would be curious sorry go ahead yeah that was a curious choice to make it make it blue green i guess they wanted to be able to kind of do the wink and nudge nudge like oh look this could have been a green card mm-hmm. but really it is still all blue so maybe the idea is that they wanted to make sh- they wanted to be able to say that this is like the most werewolfy set ever <laughs> um because it is yes, but yeah true but not by a lot. Like there's only 19 werewolves in the set, and I think the only way they could achieve that was by cheating a little and like putting werewolves into other colors because they were like so pinched in uh, in green and red. Maybe that's what's going on. Maybe. Who knows? Um. Yeah, I don't know. That that sounds like a mailbag question for uh, <laughs> yeah for Mark Rosewater. Yeah. So uh, can I get into? We have only three more cards to talk about but one of those cards is actually five cards but they are essentially the same yeah, yeah. Go for it. <laughs> so this is a new cycle of uh non-basic lands they are the ally colors uh this one that i'm going to read off is called overgrown farmland it is uh it taps for green or white and it has overgrown farmland enters the battlefield tapped unless you control two or more other lands um that's it they they all do this there's the uh i said the ally color pairs it's uh i don't know how do you, how do you feel about them i i um 
I like them. <laughs> yeah, I'm high on these. Yeah, I think yeah. so. Like, yeah, they're not active in the first two turns, or they end the battlefield tapped on the first two turns. But um, first off, uh, you know, if you're keeping a hand in Commander, you're not going to keep a hand with like exactly one land, and that land is Overgrown Farmland. So if you have like two other lands in your opening hand, you'll just play them first, and it's no problem. Uh, right. It might be an issue where you have like Overgrown Farmland and one other land because I've kept plenty of two landers in in my day. But you know, you can. There's a lot of decks where you can give up like one mana on turn one, or or just like hope to draw out of it, and then that's like a very very specific scenario relative to like the 90% or 80% of the commander game where it's just, oh, you rip it off the top and it's boom, straight into play, untap duel, easy peasy. So I think these are very good. Yeah, and there are a lot of budget decks that are just going to be playing their mana fixing, like enter the battlefield tapped lands on turns one or two anyway. Mm -hmm. That's just naturally where those cards like land in, in their play plan. Um, and I mean, at the bare minimum, turns one and two is fewer turns than turns three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and ten. So, it, looking at this like compared to a fast land, I would rather have this most of the time. Oh, for sure. Um, yeah. I eagerly await the enemy color cycle. Uh, hopefully, it comes sooner than later. Yeah, it's it's a little unfortunate that they. Uh, decided to complete the uh the like snarl cycle in strixhaven because they could have yeah. <laughs> introduced this there and like you know that because nobody compares honestly like nobody really cares if like we get our snarls this is just a lot better but and anyway whatever I yeah the snarls no one was yeah. looking for where this is like I could see them printing these lands in like every commander deck from here on out, you know, like mm -hmm. why not? Just, just do it. Just yeah. give us a, a cool budget option that everyone is happy about. Mm -hmm. Like do it with the pain lands, do it with these guys. You're golden. Everyone can play their decks and everyone's really happy. And yeah, that's, that's what everyone wants, right? <laughs> give us functioning mana bases, Watsy. Yeah, exactly. All right. Uh, moving on to this next card. This is Moon Silver Key. It is a two mana artifact. You can pay one, tap, and sacrifice it to search your library for an artifact card with a mana ability or a basic land card, then reveal it, put it into your hand, and shuffle. Uh, what do you all think of Moon Silver Key? This is good. <laughs> like, I cannot believe like how good this is actually like there's so many uh i don't know like there's so many decks you just get your soaring um i don't know that's that's the fact that this synergizes with so many fast mana cards makes me think that like it's probably correct to run this in a lot of decks that just want to get their mana crypt or their soul ring or they're like a white deck trying to get that extra land you know like something like that so mm -hmm. i'm i'm into this card this card's cool <laughs> so i will oh go ahead so 
there are a number of decks that like really particularly want mana vault. Like they're trying to untap an artifact that can tap for three and don't particularly care that it's never going to untap naturally. Mm -hmm. um, this is great to get mana vault, uh, much like trinket mage is. It also has a bit of utility if you are interested in like liquid metal torque. It can get that. Mm -hmm. um, the Hedron Archive, if you just need to draw some cards. Um, and then Cursed Mirror is sort of an interesting application as well. Hmm. That new uh, that new artifact that it enters as a copy of a creature on the battlefield for a turn. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So you can turn this into, you know, a bit more utility uh, than even just getting a Soul Ring. And, and by no means is just getting just getting a Soul Ring a bad play. Yeah. Yeah, uh, for an easy point of comparison, um, Trinket Mage sees play in 17,000 decks on EDH rec. Un unlike Trinket Mage, this doesn't slot into creature-based blink or reanimation engine, but just it being a colorless artifact certainly opens a lot of doors for it. Um, there are decks like, say, Ozgear, where it being an artifact that sacrifices itself is really relevant. Um, also, like... For example, Lissa the Trader can recur artifacts, so it gets it could potentially get multiple things for you. Um, and then, of course, there it's a huge boon to colorless lists because uh, it gets so many things in those decks. Uh, I really like what you mentioned, Alex, about it finding liquid metal torque. Just having more ways to set that up um, allows for like easy value in like mono red decks that have a mm -hmm. just naturally run a ton of artifact destruction and more ways to find that means more ways to turn your shattering spree into like a vindicate when come to think of it actually uh rexian altar and ashnod's altar have mana abilities too oh that's amazing Those oh my god huge. that's so good yeah yeah <laughs> that is really um good. the great hinge is also another one it, it has a bunch of other texts but there is a mana ability like snuck in there that's really <laughs> really good wow uh okay so this this card is even better than i was expecting i, yeah, I did not think of that um, that's really good okay so yeah this this card seems fantastic um honestly like i'm, I'm starting to feel like getting a soul ring is like one of the the least less good, good things yeah <laughs> <laughs> i would so much rather have a second copy of of rexian altar in my deck than the because the thing is like you know if you're paying two to cast this and paying one to sacrifice it and then paying one to cast your soul ring like that's if you're doing that all in one turn you're it's really a sisse's ring not a soul ring um mm -hmm. like if you're splitting it up over multiple turns okay that's a little bit better but to to get your combo piece is a lot is a lot more appealing but i i like that a lot especially in the age where there are going to be more utility mana rocks much like this last card we're going to talk about. Ooh, good transition. Ooh, yeah. So this is the Celestus. This is a legendary artifact. It is three mana. It has, if it's neither day nor night, it becomes day as the Celestus enters the battlefield. It taps for a mana of any color, and it has three tap. If it's night, it becomes day. Otherwise, it becomes night. Activate as a sorcery. 
And it says, whenever day becomes night or night becomes day, you gain one life. You may draw a card. If you do, discard a card. So I um, I think this isn't bad. Like three mana rocks have uses in some decks. Um, it's, it's not abysmal to run them in, in certain places. And this does a lot of other things. Uh, it it's reasonable to use it as like a way to loot, especially if you're running, say, a deck like, ooh, like Raf Capuchin, maybe who can play on its on its opponent's turns really easily. That kind of deck can flip night to day and just get free loots in the process. Mm-hmm. Um, but what other commanders or archetypes do you think this could be useful in? So I was looking at it and comparing it to Pristine Talisman, uh, just as like a mana rock that passively gains life. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was actually kind of surprising to see how popular Pristine Talisman is. Um, It's in over 10,000 decks. And if you're looking at something like, you know, uh, Dina Soul Steeper or Karlov, um, there's a very high percentage of decks that are running Pristine Talisman. Um, in fact, the top 12 life gain-centric commanders that run this, it's in over 30% of them. Um, mm. So Pristine Talisman is very, very popular in life gain decks. Uh, and this might actually have more life gain output even than that. And that's to say nothing of the fact that it also lets you do this looting, which is valuable in its own right. Yeah, huh. Huh. That's cool. That's good numbers. Yeah, I, I really love the design they've been doing recently on three mana rocks that just have a bunch of hooks and bells and whistles and ways to synergize with them. So very good yeah. design. Like you said, I think there are plenty of times where a three mana rock is right and there's just a ton of hooks here. Like if you care about day night, there's a hook. If you care about life, there's a hook. If you care about drawing or discarding, those are both hooks too. Um, mm-hmm. You know, to the extent that it's never right to run a three mana artifact, I I really beg to differ with this card. For sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. All right, well, that uh, is the end of our Innistrad main set review. Uh, we're going to be coming back next week with a look at the Innistrad Midnight Hunt pre-cons. And we're also going to have a little bonus episode where we, we go through our predictions from Modern Horizons 2 and Adventures in the Forgotten Realms. And we'll make new predictions about what cards from Innistrad Midnight Hunt are going to be the most adopted in Commander, according to EDHREC. So uh, thank you all for listening. And Alex, thank you again for coming on the show, contributing your analysis. Uh, always excellent to have your support. Um, and and to, to hear your thoughts on new cards that are coming out for Commander. Uh, mm-hmm. Really, really appreciate you, man. Yeah. I, I want to say before I let Alex say anything, that just for the listeners, um, Alex is usually one of the the people behind the scenes helping us uh, like get card reviews done on time. Uh, like He's someone that we bounce ideas off of and kind of get the pulse on what's going on so that the show would not be what it is without his help and i'm excited that he could join us for this and uh I'm, you're on the the next set review with us too right the, or the commander review uh yeah sure. absolutely 
Yeah, nice. I if you'll have me back, I will gladly uh, step on for the uh, Commander Dex review, and I'm looking forward to trying my hand at this prediction episode as well. Um, Excellent. Yeah. Thank you both for having me on. It's always a uh, privilege and a delight to be here. And, uh, you know, I, re I really couldn't be more appreciative of the opportunity. Awesome. Ooh. Well, if our listeners uh, want to get in touch with you and, and chat Commander, what, what's the best way they can reach you? So I tend to be able to be found on the uh, Commander Theory Discord. Um, I also have a uh, blog. It is uh, commandermanifesto.tumblr.com. Uh, um, it's been a little while since I've posted on there, uh, but one of these days, I'm sure I'll get back in the swing of it. Uh, so either of those places, and uh, you can expect to hear back from me. Awesome. Thanks again, Alex, and thanks to everyone for listening and sticking through this, this very long episode. Uh, and the the Midnight Hunt Commander episode should be a little bit shorter, a little bit more digestible. Um, but we hope you enjoyed all our, our, our takes on the new cards coming out in this set. Uh, and with that, I want to say, uh, I guess, uh, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. If any of you theorists want to get in touch with us, I am at Commander Theory on Twitter and Tumblr, and Zach is at Fat Bartleby on Twitter. Our theme song is Lincoln Continental by Entropy, and you can check him out on SoundCloud. Until next time, we're going back to the drawing board.